You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Oz Network for the fourth and final, sadly, anniversary episode we're doing. It's been such a blast covering movies like White Men Can't Jump and what we're going to cover this week. And we apologize for the other ones that have been in there. But <laughs> it's a Titanic. <laughs> we are going back to 1997 again, uh, to a movie that captured the audience's hearts uh, several months before Titanic came out and ruined everything for the next several <laughs> years of <laughs> film. Uh, we are talking about Face Off today, the movie that made it cool for John Travolta and Nicolas Cage to be over the top, which also, as we'll talk about in this episode, ultimately would ruin John Travolta and Nicolas Cage's careers. But <laughs> Face Off 1997, it's the 20th anniversary. We're going to cover it all here today, hopefully under six hours. Uh, my name is Colin, and I'm going to blow you away. Uh, uh, wow, okay. I'm getting excited there. Uh, <laughs> damn it, you ruined the mood of my next quote. Uh, my name is Ben, and <sighs> let's go, let's go, I'm bored, let's go. Um, <laughs> that's what I was saying during Titanic. <laughs> that that, that was my best ben... Nicolas Cage impersonation, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we talked about whether Ben could do a Nicolas Cage impression on the air. <laughs> let's go, let's go, I'm bored, let's go. No, it's not even anything remotely close to him. Uh, we did tease at the end of Dirty Dancing, um, which we apologize to all our female listeners out there for our opinions <laughs> on. Uh, but we're here to gain our masculinity back and talk about yes. Face Off, the ultimate action movie. And it's interesting as we're doing these anniversary months to look at this in the perspective of what it was like in 1997. And I mean, you kind of just, you know, lose a bit of the perspective as time goes on because this movie was more influential than people give it credit for. Uh, it was pretty unusual to have like a hard R-rated action movie at the time. And even just the style that John Woo brought, which was very new, even though he'd done two American movies prior to this. Uh, it's just crazy to look at how many movies now this feel like face-off you know with the style of action the type of story you know being very over the top and yet as i'm watching this i'm looking back on you know the action movies prior to this and they were movies like speed and the rock and this just feels completely different you know very violent um very sci-fi but you know still kind of based in the real world it's it's a fascinating movie we're going to cover here and uh i i think unlike white man can't jump which was sort of a classic of 1992 that maybe had been slightly forgotten. This movie holds up, and I think it's just as popular now as it was in 1997. You know, we talked a little bit about our uh, first impressions of Face Off or how we got into this, but let's cover it a little bit again now. Uh, ben, do you want to go first and talk about how you got into Face Off? Do you remember it in 1997? I, I remember, I think you might have uh, touched on in one of the episodes about the teaser trailer, and I think I remember we, uh, iconic Tasmanian video store, uh, Video City, um, used to have like their, their ads, like, you know, a new movies out, come and rent it at Video City. Um, and they would play that teaser trailer, just the start of it, where they're kind of, you know, Sean Travolta sitting in a blackened room about, you know, saying how he's got to like go after one of the hardened terrorists in the world. And it kind of fades across to, to Nicolas Cage's face. And I remember seeing that. And I think my dad you know, would go out and rent it because, you know, I was 10 when this movie came out. Um, and, you know, I think technically, you know, well out of my ratings range in terms of what I should have been watching as a 10 year old. Um, but yeah, it would, it would have been definitely been one of these ones that my dad rented, uh, and I watched on a Saturday night, you know, we'd go to the video store on a Saturday night, mom would go off and pick her, you know, 
mum movie. My sister would go off pick up a sister movie, and I'd be there with my dad. Like you know, what action one? It's either that or a, or a wrestling, you know, video VHS, of course. Um, but yeah, that would have been the first time I watched it. And then you know, it's one of those ones that you see like as a kid. And you and I are kind of talking a little bit off air about this. I think about like movies that we remember from when we're growing up, and you just can watch them all the time and you love. Um, and I went through this weird phase in like the early 2000s where my friend at, at high school, uh, not the gay one that we used to pretend Titanic, um, another one who's actually now gay, good for him, um, but we would run out, not that matters in this story, uh, but we would, <laughs> context of myself apparently, um, but uh, we would like pretend to run video stores and like we would just have all these movies and rent them to our friends. We'd charge them like 50 cents because oh. we were cool. We actually got like proper video editing software, uh, video like rental software. Like this was 2001 people. Like, you know, this is like not as easy to download as it is today. But um, I would tape movies off TV uh, but I would sit there and pause them at the ads because I didn't want the ads in them. So Face Off was like on TV randomly one night and of course I, I recorded it. Um, and yeah, I remember just would watch this religiously. My dad would like, you know, go through my collection because I don't have it all perfectly laid out on a shelf, you know, in order. So people come and rent them at BNet video. Um, and yeah, it was just one of these ones that I randomly watch a lot because Face Off is awesome. So that's my long-winded story of history. I never saw it at the movies. I never got to see anything exciting like that about it. But um, yeah, come to BNet video revival coming soon. Um, you know, I think I mentioned in a past episode, I don't know if it was when we teased the anniversary month and that we would be covering this or not, but I mean, I, I had so much love for John Travolta in the 90s. Um, Pulp Fiction is really what started it. I was familiar with it from the Look Who's Talking movies. I think every kid watched the Look Who's Talking movies, uh, even though you, kids probably shouldn't watch the first one, but the, the second <laughs> and third, a little bit more appropriate. Uh, and I remember when Pulp Fiction came out, for whatever reason, I was only like 13 at the time, not really old enough to understand the movie. Uh, as we've gone through, there's a lot of stuff in that movie. I'm still not old enough to understand now, <laughs> but um, but like I just I, I really wanted to see Pulp Fiction, and of course I was too young to see it. And I remember the first day it came out on video, uh, I was sick, and you know my mom reserved the movie for me. She's like, "All right, well let's go get Pulp Fiction," and I sat at home and I watched it like three times before it had to go back the next day, and. Ever since then, like every time John Travolta had a movie in the '90s, like you know, Get Shorty and even White Man's Burden, which nobody saw White Man's Burden. I'm like, I love White Man's Burden. Uh, and Broken Arrow was the one that really got me. Where I think uh, when it came out, I saw it and I just was obsessed over it. And I even mentioned in the last episode that was like the first movie I ever watched outside of being a kid. I watched back to back. You know, when it came out on video, I'd already seen it in the theater. I watched it and I immediately rewound it and watched it again and immediately rewound it and watched it again. It was like over and over. And that, of course, was John Woo and John Travolta's first pairing. So I was excited about this movie, even just knowing it was coming out. And then, as you said, the teaser trailer happened. I, I, maybe I talk this up, you know, as being more of a classic teaser than it should be. It could just be fond memories, but even you mentioned it. There's something about this teaser trailer. There's like the perfect teaser. It's no footage from the movie. It is just one shot or technically two in the trick shot, as you mentioned. You know, John Travolta basically talking about this character. And even if, when you watch the movie, it, it's it's a mistake because he's talking about how he's going to become him so he can track him. And that's yeah. not even the plot of the movie. But it was just such a cool premise, you know, zooming around him. And then all of a sudden you come back and... The, you think it's still Travolta, but now all of a sudden it's Nicolas Cage. I'm like, I have to see this movie. And maybe, again, my nostalgia from that is that 
you know, I saw this teaser trailer over and over again. Whatever I was watching in 1997, five times in the theaters, Volcano, by the way, which we'll cover eventually. <laughs> we talked about off here, my obsession with Volcano. Um, I saw this teaser trailer so many times, so I just couldn't wait for the movie. And uh, yeah, I saw it and it was like, it was the craziest action movie I'd ever seen. And I am... Um, it's funny, I mentioned it was like a hard R-rated movie, but for whatever reason, here in Canada, we talk about the rating systems. This was what was called PA at the time, which is that you know if you were uh, under 16, I think it was, you, know, you had to have a parent accompany you. It really should be an R-rated action movie, but it was mm-hmm. a lenient rating. So I was able to go see this, and I just loved it. And you know, still today, I mean, I don't watch this movie all the time. It's one of these movies that I kind of intentionally will wait a few years in between watching it and it just it, it's it holds up so well it's it's crazy how well this movie holds up yeah i agree with all that and i think uh, i think it was ma here which i think i've mentioned before is restricted to 15 and under but like you know you can watch it with the parent and i mean it is kind of yeah i i, I would do the same and i don't necessarily watch this every year but i mean it's definitely one of these ones that's like um you know these 90s action films that like if i'm with my dad or you know whatever you just put it on if it's on tv it's like oh fuck face off i'm gonna watch this like you know speed you mentioned speed Mm -hmm. um you know i mean we can list a heap of 90s movies that are kind of like that um but yeah it's interesting you say about how it holds up i mean yeah this movie is 20 years old it does not feel like this movie is 20 years old for sure um and like you know, one thing, I mean, you mentioned John Travolta. I mean, I, I love John Travolta, maybe not as much as you, but I mean, I still love John Travolta. Um, and yeah, I've got, uh, which is not weird. I don't know why I say I've got a weird obsession with Nicolas Cage. Everybody <laughs> has a weird obsession with Nicolas Cage because the guy is... Whether positive just, or negative, everyone is obsessed with the man. <laughs> but I mean, the thing with like Nicolas Cage is this probably would be the very first thing I ever saw him in, like growing up. And then obviously like Gone in 60 Seconds and like National Treasure and things like this. And it's kind of like... You know, he's one of these people that really in the age of the meme and the internet has just absolutely taken off. Um, but like, you know, again, <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about the legend that is Nicolas Cage because this really is like two huge fans of John Travolta, you know, every fan in the world of Nicolas Cage because the guy is just amazing. I mean, you mentioned about Dirty Dancing. And I think I said this at the end of Dirty Dancing, that, like, Dirty Dancing is a film for women that men don't get. I could imagine this yeah. is the film for men that women don't get. Like, I get you if we, like, started a spin-off, like, Oz Network Women, which I guess we'd actually have to have women involved in this show to do that. Maybe Noah when like he eventually Jamie. comes back. Well, Jamie is... Well, she's officially being classified as a co-host now. Congratulations, Jamie. But, like, Jamie can get all the girlfriends together and they can do, like, girly movie month and stuff like that so we don't have to do shit movies. But, like, they would talk about Face Off like how we would talk about Dirty Dancing because I think you and I are probably going to pick so many things about this movie that just are like, what? What? That doesn't work. But we don't give a shit because this movie is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it is very over the top. You know, we, we explained this in a past episode that it's it feels like, like this should be so sci-fi and so out yeah. there, but they present it in a way, and this is where John Woo, he really has an elegance with being over the top. Where it doesn't feel... I'm just looking at your profile picture and it is mesmerizing, man. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You mentioned Nicolas Cage. We'll, we'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, but I'll quickly... You know, the whole thing is... I think this is the epitome of a guy's movie. Because most people think you know, a guy's movie is like Fast and the Furious. And I'm sorry. I know tons of guys who just can't stand Fast and the Furious. I'm one of them. I'm, I'm one of them too. <laughs> yeah, and Fast and Furious movies, like, the first one, I believe, was a guy's movie, but it's evolved into basically being movies that are probably more made for women now than they are men, uh, which is why it reaches a wider audience, so smart, you know, thinking on their part. 
But this is like purely a guy's movie. You know, there's no love story in it. It is just like the most insane villain ever. And, you know, this great hero and the most over-the-top action. But it's not what you expect. This is why I think women almost misunderstand. We're talking about women now misunderstanding (laughs) men. (laughs) Uh, Guys don't want just big explosions. And there are things like that in this movie. Like, they want a story that is just, like, crazy. This is kind of a thinking person's action movie. Because the plot is so outrageous. And not just outrageous in, like, a fun over-the-top way. Like, you really have to follow it closely. Because there's yeah. a lot going on. You know, we talk about the honest trailer off air. People should watch the honest trailers for Face Off because this is a few moments where they nail it and a few moments where they don't. But it's the story is what's interesting in this movie. And this doesn't work if it's just big blow up action and there's no great story to it and there's no great actors in it. It just is Fast and the Furious. But it's the actors in the story that really make it work. And you think about the very first movie we covered on the Oz Network, The Sixth Day. Like, I mean, that was kind of what's set in the not-too-distant future, so they can kind of get away with the cloning story. But to me, these movies kind of work in the same universe because, you know, you've got a movie about cloning, which they kind of had to explain it off in a far-fetched future, so we had to have a future setting. Whereas this one, like, as you kind of... Like, it should really be sci-fi, but it's not. And then it's interesting when I was reading a lot of the trivia about this that it was initially planned that this would be set in the future, but then they, of course, did it... in modern, you know, well, I guess the time of the day, the 90s. And, like, what's really weird about it and how I think with works, you were saying, like, how it's such a guy movie because, you know, you've got your explosions, you've got all this sort of stuff. If you just want movies of explosions, watch Michael Bay movies. They're full of them. Um, but, like, this one, it's like it does have that storyline to it. And, like, you're right. Like, the actors, like, build this up. I said in the end of Dirty Dancing, imagine this with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. That's a great movie in itself. But really, do we want anybody else besides Travolta and Cage? Because it's yeah. kind of, like, another weird one of those sort of genres that I really like. And it's not just in movies, but, like, I love the TV shows when, like, people swap bodies. And, like, you know, Freaky Friday, things like that, mm-hmm. where you've got people... I just love that. It's just a fun genre, which I love. So, like, you've kind of got this. And then, like, mixed with, like, the most over-the-top actors of their generation who kind of, I guess, have basically similar career paths in terms of they were big, then they were shit, then they were big, now they're shit again. Um, And it's like just the way that you've got to like legitimately think about this movie that you've got Travolta playing Cage playing Travolta and then it's like Cage playing Travolta playing Cage. Like it just, all of this together is like, wow, well, how did they make this work? How did John Woo do it? And it's just so fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. you know, we have to talk about the actors because you said this movie doesn't work without John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Sloan would have been amazing. Uh, it still is amazing. They made a very similar movie, as I mentioned at the end of Dirty Dancing, called Escape Plan a few years ago, which in its own right is a good movie. It's just it's not face off. But it had to be John Travolta and it had to be Nicolas Cage. And one of the reasons I think it works is because this movie was made very early in their action careers. You know, John Travolta was like the biggest star of the 70s and probably the greatest comeback star. I'm still going to say the greatest comeback story in the history of movies. Biggest star of the 70s, dead in the 80s, as dead as could be. And then Pulp Fiction comes out, and here's the guy now in his 40s. You know, this movie's made, he's like, what, in his mid-40s? And he suddenly becomes the biggest action star in the world. I mean, this is where it's interesting to look at the perspective of 1997. You look at this now, and old John Travolta made tons of movies like this. There is no way to properly explain how big John Travolta was mid to late 90s. Like, it's on levels with what, like, The Rock is now. John Travolta's in a movie. It's going to make a fortune. People are going to want to see it. They love John Travolta. Nicolas Cage had won an Oscar two years prior to this. And the very first thing he did after that is said, I want to make an action movie. And he did The Rock. 
Can, we, know, just, can and- we just stop there for a second again and say that sentence again? Nicolas Cage <laughs> won an Oscar. And here's the there, funny thing. There we this go. Is where you lose the perspective because he won an Oscar and people took him seriously. And even a few years after this, he got nominated for another one for adaptation. There are tons of other movies even he made in between where it's like, oh, Nicolas Cage has Oscar buzz. Like he's a good actor. He just yeah. he took this career path, which made him more money, which is smart. And, you know, people now praise Matthew McConaughey because like, oh, well, he's a good actor, but he took this career path where he made all these chick flicks and made a fortune doing it and kept himself relevant so he could eventually come back and do something serious when he got older and he knew people would take him more seriously. I mean, can you blame Nicolas Cage for saying, yeah, I'm a great actor. I can get an Oscar nomination every movie I make, but I'd rather have fun and I'd rather make $20 million a movie. I mean, and this is the first time he did it. And Travolta's often regarded as one of the best actors to have never won an Oscar as well. Yeah. And, I mean, he's as we kind of go over, similar career paths. And, I mean, there's so many actors, obviously, that we could list that have just taken the path. I mean, you know, someone like Adam Sandler, who I guess, you know, took the Netflix route and then kind of, you know, really just keeps dishing out the trash, but he doesn't seem to give a shit because he makes money off them. Yeah. Um, and then he can bump out, you know, a punch-drunk love and whatever this one that you and I have just discovered that he's possibly going to get an Oscar nomination for is at least being talked about next year. I mean, it's just... It's just these random actors but i mean it's it's just it is fascinating with like nicholas cage in particular that like he's just got this reputation now but again like as you said like i mean he he won his oscar got a few nominations i mean why should he give a shit if he is in a good movie every now and then he's he's got it on the mantelpiece and he just wants to make money i'd be exactly the same and i'm gonna shoot down everybody who likes to slam john travolta nicholas cage and say oh their careers are dead they make straight to video movies now you find any other actor that broke through as a middle-aged man had at least a good decade of being a massive star. Because even 10 years after this, Nicolas Cage movies were still really big. You know, um, what was the, that movie he made with my favorite actress, Rose Byrne? Um, Knowing. No, yeah, Knowing yeah, yeah. was a big hit. And that was 10 years after this. And yet people look at him now and say, well, in the last 20 years, his career has really taken a nosedive. It's been 20 years. You find, like, the biggest actors in history. You take, like, classic movie stars. Was Humphrey Bogart as big of a star 20 years later as he was, you know, in the 1930s? Was Clark Gable 20 years after Gone with the Wind? You know, Look at De Niro recently. De Niro's taken a huge dive and all these other big names. Harrison Ford kind of putting out Al Pacino. (laughs) Yeah, Harrison Ford, the biggest movie star in history. I mean, if he even maintained a decade at the top as two guys who were middle-aged when they really broke through as action stars is phenomenal. So... Of course, they're making directed video movies now. Everybody does, you know. The Except for Meryl Streep, because the woman is amazing and can't do no wrong. All right, let's move on. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep the female uh, audience here, Colin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know there's a sequel to Mamma Mia coming out. We won't mention that. Meryl Streep can do no wrong. <laughs> Um, the only other thing I want to mention is watch this movie. If people are listening to this episode and they have fond memories of Face Off, watch this again. You will see everything that Nicolas Cage is known for today. But this yes. was the first time he did it. He, the Rock was the only action movie he did prior to this, and he was not over the top. He was the straight man in The Rock. Over the top Nicolas Cage. Both of our profile pictures are insane face <laughs> Nicolas Cage, which if you were to show it to somebody, they say, oh, that's the Wicker Man. Oh, that's this. Oh, that's that. Pick any Nicolas Cage movie from like the last 10 years. This is the first time he did it. And that's what makes this movie special. 
Yeah. And I mean, the thing is that I found fascinating, of course, you know, me being me, the uh, social media expert, you know, tweeting out that I was watching this ready to record this. And you go to your little GIF menu and you type in face off. What are all the reactions of, of Nicolas Cage? You know, it's his <laughs> face when he's like turning around with this, you know, that weird look in his face. It's, uh, you know, him out of the plane giving the shrug. You know, it's him grabbing the ass like, oh, like it's just, you know, as you said, like this legitimately is the birth of the Nicolas Cage meme, which I mean, you know, this guy, I actually typed in YouTube to see, like, I wanted to watch a recent interview with Nicolas Cage and he kind of seems to be an actor that doesn't really do much interviews anymore because, again, I think one thing I read recently you on your thing about how he does things for money, I think one of the last interviews, like most well-known interviews he did, he all but admitted, like, yeah, I do it for the money now. Um, yeah. But like, and, it's yo, like, So do I. Like, do you yo, work your job for love of your job? Absolutely, because I get paid so much to do this. I am loaded. Um, you know, I mean, it Jobs is twelve. Jobs outside of the Oz Network. Because <laughs> I have one of them. Um, but, um, <laughs> but um, you know, like, I mean, I, I read a thing about him kind of going on this whole meme thing, and just everybody knows that face. I mean, he is like the quintessential actor who has really benefited from this you know, day and age of social media. Like, I mean, you type in YouTube, like, there's, I think, like, a 20-minute video of just Nicolas Cage moments. I think my brother-in-law showed it to me, and I just sat there laughing my ass off, just, like, legitimately every movie he's in. Like, everyone knows the Nicolas Cage moment. Like, as you said, it started in face-off. Like, everyone knows the bees, not the bees! And we're just like, you know, (laughs) A, B, C, G, E, F, G! Like, everyone knows the moment. That was an actually, that was okay impersonation. Um, But, like, it started him face off. This is Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage at the peak of his acting abilities grabbing a, a choir member's ass, singing hallelujah and having an orgasm in a choir. <laughs> and this is the birth of it. This We're right here seeing the legend that is Nicolas Cage. And you know what's weird? I mean, I said that both of these guys became known for like these... Like John Travolta doesn't get enough credit. He is one of the great movie villains of all time. And I've always had this debate with myself about what is Travolta's greatest villain, you know? There's so many you could choose from. The Punisher, uh, Incredible in the Punisher, you know, Broken Arrow, Face Off. I mean, all he does is really play villains. That's half of his career. But he, Broken Arrow was the first villain he'd done, and that was a year and a half prior to this. But this movie comes out, and it's weird that this is like the body swap movie, uh, or face swap movie, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that when this came out, it seemed like backwards casting, because Travolta's the obvious choice to be the villain, and Nicolas Cage is the obvious choice to be the hero. And you start watching the movie and you're like, well, in 1997, this felt weird. But then the movie gets into it and you realize why they were picked for these roles. Because Nicolas Cage spends the majority of the time in this movie being the hero. And Travolta spends the majority of the time being the villain. Mm. But it doesn't start that way. And that's what makes this movie so interesting is that they're both playing, you know, the hero and the villain. And we'll get into it later on in the movie. But what makes this work so well is that they're playing each other. And there are subtle moments where John Travolta is delivering a line and sounds like Nicolas Cage delivering a line. And Nicolas Cage sounds like John Travolta. And that's where this movie doesn't get enough credit for the acting. Like, it gets credit for, oh, they're both so over the top when they're playing caster. But watch the way that they play each other and even play their mannerisms. It's brilliant. The thing, too, which I think we need to talk about throughout this, because a lot of the little clips and things I've read about this in the last few days often, you know, say, oh, it's unbelievable because Cage and Travolta look nothing alike, or, you know, that Cage is 10 years younger than Travolta and blah, blah, blah. Like, one thing that I noticed in this movie is, like, you were saying about, like, their voices and that. Like, there's a bit right at the end when um, uh, they've got the gun to the daughter's head and, like, his voice comes back to Travolta's voice when he's in yeah. his cage. 
I barely could tell that it was a different voice. Like, to me, their voices sound so interchangeable. Like, I, I mean, we'll get to sort of issues, I guess, with their body transformation and things like that. But, I mean, like, if you go to their Wikipedia pages right now, you go right to the top and you see their profile pictures, they kind of look like each other when you quickly flick between them. I think, like, it's actually interesting to think that this film gets criticism for the fact that, oh, they don't look like each other. I kind of think they can pull it off. And, like, would Arnie and Sylvester Stallone look any closer <laughs> resembling? Like, you look at, like, some of the other people that they were thinking of casting in this movie, like Michael Douglas, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Harrison Ford was in consideration. Even Robert De Niro was in consideration. Like, I mean, Wait, did they... Was it ever... Was it ever Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson? Because that would have been great. <laughs> they could have pulled it off. We know they could have pulled it off. But, like, I mean, you think about some of those weird combinations you would have had. Like, would they have looked any, like, you know, clearer? So, I think that's one thing which I think we need to talk about through this when we get to these scenes is, like, I don't get why it gets criticism for the fact that Travolta and Cage look nothing alike. I think they kind of pull it off. And, like, the one thing which, too, in terms of, like, them playing each other, like... Um, apparently they spent like what two weeks with each other basically in a room or something just like working on their mannerisms together which you know I mean it's, can we just wish there was footage of that <laughs> like Nicholas Cage and John Travolta in a room okay Nick uh, let's let's pretend to be each other like just the best thing ever we'll get to it once we get to the uh, procedure scene but a lot of those things people say about them not looking at, like they explain almost everything yeah, in that scene you have to pay attention that's why I say like this movie moves by very quickly that's the most interesting thing about this movie it's two hours and 18 minutes that's long for an action movie but Doesn't when I really sat down and watched this and I'm like how much story is here this is a three hour movie and this is where John Woo deserves so much credit for making this just breeze by and a lot yeah. of these scenes like I don't think we're going to go for, you know, five hours on this recap because these scenes just go by like, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) should never say it on air. Uh, (laughs) But the editing in this movie is fantastic because the scenes just fly by. And this is easily a three-hour movie of material crammed into two hours and 18 minutes. And yet they don't miss anything and, you know, it, it doesn't feel rushed at any point. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, this is the thing I know, I mainly noticed with this is, like, as you said, you know, you go into watching it, we have kind of explained, like, we're going to do this with notepads and all this kind of thing, you know, oh, woe is us. But, like, um, you know, you literally get to a point where you look at the timestamp, you're like, I've been watching this for an hour and a half. It feels like I've been watching it for, yeah. you know, 20 minutes. Um, it just, it does not stop. And it's not in one of those, like, doesn't stop things where you feel like you're being so rushed. It's like, I mean, I love Armageddon. But if you watch Armageddon, like, it's like, really? Could they get to space that quickly? It's like, what? Yeah. No. Like, <laughs> what? Um, but it's like this. Like, as you kind of said, like, I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to pick out some things in this movie. We're not going to be completely uncritical of things. That's what we do here on the Oz Network. But, like, as you said, the things that this movie gets, like, ripped into so much for, it is explained. Like, it, like yeah. the bit where they're about to transform their faces, it's all pretty much explained then and there. Um, I mean, again, we can nitpick at certain things, like penis sizes. We'll get to that. But, um, <laughs> of course, I'm going to be willing to bring that up. But, like, yeah, the, like, for the most part, 98% of this is explained. Let's no, let's just talk about the penis size really quickly. <laughs> it's all about the dongs here on the Oz Network. <laughs> the dong-off, as um, they called it on, uh, on the Oz trailer. <laughs> um, Nicholas Cage, John Travolta, these are two Italian men. We know the reputation <laughs> of Italian men. They're pretty much the same, aren't they? <laughs> but, like, you know, I've got to get... When we get to that scene, it's kind of like... As, as somebody, like, sex is the love between man and a woman, Colin. You, you'll learn that one day. Yes. But, like, <laughs> I can't imagine that 
Caster Troy is not a hundred times better lover than Sean Archer. So, like, dick size or not, like, Eve is going to notice a difference, surely, yeah. the next morning. Yeah. I was with a um, woman for eight years who, let's not get into that, but if she, like, came to bed one night and, like, did things like a porn star that Caster Troy would do, I'm going to think she's someone different. <laughs> or are you just going to be so happy? You're like, I don't care if it's different. I'm on board. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have broken up with her. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's jump into the movie before Ben makes it easier. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. She never listened to it when we're together as if she's listening to it together now. <laughs> uh, you know, I talk about how the scenes, usually we try to break this down into a few scenes. And where I say that the editing in this movie is fantastic and the movie just flies by, I mean, we have a lot of short scenes to tell a lot of the story, so I'm basically going to group everything up to Caster's capture here because how else are you going to do this? Uh, the opening credits take place with the uh, merry-go-round ride with uh, poor Mikey, Sean Archer's son. It's all in black and white. All the backstory is shown in the opening credits, and it is so much backstory, and it sets up so much in this movie. Uh, little performance things I'm going to point out later on, but while Travolta and his son are on this merry-go-round, you see Nicolas Cage with a bad fake mustache and a sniper rifle. <laughs> and you're like, well, what's he going to do? And, of course, he shoots John Travolta, his arch nemesis, Archer. And uh, the bullet goes through Travolta and into his son. And the first thing I want to point out is something I'm going to bring up later on, which is the expression that the supervillain Caster has. And I, I want to get uh, an immediate take on you from this scene here what his before we even jump to the rest of the movie what is his reaction when that happens is it oh no i'm a dead man now or is it oh i really wish i hadn't killed the kid because i think that will explain a lot about his character later on look i'm glad you brought it up because i was going to say that maybe one of my things is that i take it as he's showing a bit of like oh fuck i've killed a kid shit like yeah. a bit of remorse but i think kind of if you take it into the context like you said of fuck i'm a dead man that makes more sense because at what point does Caster Troy ever show any form of remorse? That's why he's such an epically awesome villain. Um, so, I mean, look, it could be argued it's the one time in this film he shows remorse, but I would probably say in the grand scheme of things, he's like, as you said, shit, I'm a dead man now. I've failed at killing this guy, and now I've killed his son, so he's kind of going to be even more pissed at me. Yeah, um, I'm going to bring it up later because there's another scene which I think is less obvious but uh, would open up an interesting debate. Um, from there, we get the typical 90s computer screen that always has sound effects to it. <laughs> uh, usually, it's the... As the text <laughs> comes screen. Here, it's like a typewriter. I don't know why. <laughs> well, didn't your like, AOL make those noises? Like, you've got mail. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have AOL. Um, I'm not Me American. Either, but <laughs> well, COL. We had AOL in Australia, but I, I think, did we? I don't fucking know. I didn't get the internet until yeah, I was 17. Yeah, we had Optus. Yeah, same here. <laughs> um, I didn't have the internet when FaceOff was on, so maybe this is accurate. But there's a <laughs> lot of backstory here that you have to really pay attention to because the most interesting thing I'm going to note throughout this movie is how downplayed the whole terrorism plot is. And this is what was interesting to me because this is 1997, four years before the World Trade Center. And yet I feel like... They're touchier with the terrorism plot and even identifying him as a terrorist here than they would have in 2001, which is weird because this movie comes out post-2001 and it's he's a terrorist, he's a terrorist. 
he is a terrorist in this movie. You have the computer screen, which comes up, and I have to freeze frame it, where it's talking about him assassinating, you know, this uh, Croatian ambassador, and that this set off a chain of events that's basically, you know, has this Cold War going on. And you really get, like, this is a terrorist for hire, but maybe it's because if you look at the 90s, domestic terrorism was the big deal. You had, like, the Oklahoma City bombing and, you know, the uh, parkade bombing in the World Trade Center even in the 90s. It almost feels like in the 90s, all these movies downplayed terrorism. Like, people were really touchy about it. And four years later, it's like, it's out in the open. What are we going to do? Everybody's a terrorist. Uh, That's something interesting that will come up later on. But there's a brief moment where uh, Archer, uh, it's explained that he's, uh, you know, part of this covert anti-terrorism group. Uh, This is the original CTU, I guess. And uh, he's the original Kiefer Sutherland. He's got a a lot of mood swings. This is not the boss you want. Did you have Um, any dammits there? I don't know. Damn it! (laughs) Travolta plays like a really good moody boss. And this is where it's going to... It's a weird transition with his character that I think I'll be a little bit critical later on. Um, But yeah, this is like PMS boss here. (laughs) Male PMS boss, basically. Um... Pollux uh, and uh, Castor are kind of introduced here. Uh, Castor's the priest, as you mentioned. This is the setup for the entire movie. He's got a uh. bomb that he's planting uh, somewhere. And there's this Catholic choir that's performing. And he does the dance, which is, oh, uh. if I could have done a video profile pic, this would have been it. <laughs> me too, me too. The priest gyrating, and of course he goes up behind the teenage girl and, you know, whispers something in her ear, fakes an orgasm to hallelujah. (laughs) He's not faking an orgasm, I'm with him. If I'm touching her ass, I'm coming too. Oh, Ben, you went a few minutes without making a jailbait comment here. (laughs) She's legal, wait till we get to the daughter. Yeah, well, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) <laughs> and this, I just want to quickly talk about the over-the-top Nicolas Cage because it's funny that if this hadn't been a face-swap movie, Nicolas Cage, as I said, was the obvious choice to play the hero at this stage in his career. And it's only because they wanted Travolta's going to spend the majority of the time as the villain that they needed Cage for these early parts to be the villain. And Cage is basically doing what Travolta's supposed to do later on. Had we never had this movie and had we just had this be a cop versus a villain... If there is no face swap in this movie, John Travolta is playing Caster and Nicolas Cage is playing Archer. I don't think we ever have over-the-top Nicolas Cage after this. This movie is to blame for what's going to come later on. Um, There's the moment where, you know, uh, Archer's wife calls in. So he puts her on hold because there's they find out that, you know, Caster and Pollux are getting on this plane. Uh, We have his great over-the-top pickup line. It doesn't get more subtle than this if the flight attendant on the plane uh caster if i were to send you flowers no let me rephrase if i were to let you suck my tongue (laughs) (laughs) see i've tried that in 2017 on my tinder profile and i'm still single it obviously works in the 90s so i'm single in the wrong decade here clearly it only works if you're nicholas cage and have a massive dong Uh (laughs) (laughs) which is why when joan allen uh ends this movie with john travolta they're soon getting a divorce afterwards and (laughs) she's sleeping with the pool boy the alternate ending um we get a big runway chase which i mean this is this is an epic runway chase the the amazing thing about this entire action scene we'll kind of just breeze through it here is that this is the climax of another movie and one of my favorite 
action movies that because Michael Bay's career has taken, you know, such a turn for the worse or just a bad critical reception, people underestimate how good Bad Boys was and what Michael Bay was able to do on a low budget. Personally, I think Michael Bay needs a low budget and he needs to have a little bit more restraint. But like the the climax of Bad Boys is basically this opening sequence here. And that was two years earlier. This blows it away and it's the opening of the movie. And I'll have some arguments later on as to whether the opening or the closing of this is actually better. This is one of the greatest action openings in movie history. You know, you have the runway chase. You have, you know, the shootout in the, the plane hangar. You have like the showdown between Archer and Caster. And you already have all that context of the dead son and, you know, but chasing him for six years and all that. It just works so well as a climax. I'm like, this is the opening of the movie. Um, the uh, first moment we have, which of course will come up later, where they do have the showdown and Caster's mentioned is like, how's little Jamie? Is she ripening yet? And <laughs> that's, of course, going to become a big thing. And he gives off this weird, I wish I could, I tried to write down the quote because I'm like, I'm never going to remember how to deliver this. And he gives us something like a whoop, roar. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> It's like he's doing six animal impressions at one time. He has some amazing sound effects. Like they all have, like just the, the way when when even when Travolta's playing Cage, like just the sound effects that they make. Like yeah. oh, they're just so good. Again, I wish we had like audio that we could play on these episodes. Obviously, for copyright reasons, we're not going down that route. But just the, the we would have so much fun editing together the sound effects of Face Off. Oh yeah. Oh, and and again, he goes straight from is Jamie ripened yet? To whoop, to his gun won't fire a bullet, and suddenly he just please don't kill me, please don't kill me. We have he's within fifteen minutes the most evil villain we have ever seen, and now he's cowering. Don't kill me, don't shoot me. It's all. And the jet engine activates. He goes flying through the air like this. If you describe it, it sounds like a Michael Bay movie, or it sounds like a, a Fast and Furious movie. It is so much better than that because John Woo has so much like an elegant style to his filming. The way he switches between slow motion and one shot, and the next shots like in regular motion. It's just it bl- blends together seamlessly. And, of course, Cage goes flying. He gets knocked out. He probably should be dead or at least be bleeding or coughing up blood or something. But he's just lying there. And we get the cheesiest one-liner in this entire movie, which somehow doesn't play like a cheesy one-liner because John Woo's so good at, you know, how he directs this. Looks like Elvis done left the building. (laughs) 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 And we'll cap it there. Roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) This is a climax of any other action movie. Um... I love Speed. Speed may be a better action with this all around, but Speed's climax has nothing on this opening. Well, we just have uh, Dennis Hopper getting his head chopped off, basically. Is that the, the climax you're talking about there? Or yeah. Or yeah, stuff exactly. that happens before that? Um, yeah, I mean, you can see where I got my inspiration from, from Kill Phil, right, with all the slow motion. Um didn't have didn't have any didn't have any doves so in this movie, much though. Slow motion. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, this is this is like this is a James Bond movie, is it not? This is the pre-title oh, yeah. credit. We're, we're about to like to have you know the Skyfall or something. Your face off <laughs> when the face is off. Um, but like, even we get like the opening sequence with the the sniper. We kind of get a we get a bullet. We have got the gun barrel. So like, mm-hmm. it's it's this is James Bond. Um, my only like going back to the opening scene, and I know it was kind of. I think a lot of my points here, which I've written down, I've then gone and watched the Everything Wrong with video, which Cinema Sins do, similar sort of people that that do um honest trailers, 
And a lot of my criticisms, like, they they will point out. And so, like, people are probably thinking I'm stealing this from everything wrong with. But um, I, I will point out ones that I haven't written down that they've said. But anyway, I was thinking in this part, like, when he's, like, got that face, and obviously you're going to bring that up later on in the, the episode, why doesn't he then try and shoot him again? Like, I mean, <laughs> John Travolta's injured. Like, he's he's crawling. Like, like it's not like nobody can see that somebody sniped him because everybody's like, ah! But, yeah. like, he's got a perfect opportunity. Shoot him dead right then. So that's just my only criticism there. But, um, yeah, like, it's interesting when you're saying about kind of like you read the text on the computer screen. It's like going back to the, the teaser trailer, like, when they're doing the pan around on Travolta, he's explaining that in that teaser. Like, he's wanted for political assassinations, you know, he's global terrorism and things like that. So, like, even in the trailer, they kind of give you a bit of a teaser about that. Um, and, like, as you said, like, this is a different movie post-2001, and it's kind of interesting to kind of watch this knowing that this is pre-9-11, that a lot of these themes kind of, you know, would work well in that a- age, but obviously it's going to be a lot different. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, we know the world changed post-9-11, but, I mean, terrorism was still a thing in 1997. Yeah. Like, as you said, though, mainly, like, domestic. The opening scene with Nicolas Cage is like one of the greatest opening scenes for a character in the history of opening scenes. Another video that I watched, uh, the Nostalgia Critic, basically says in his video that this should be the automatic music for any Nicolas Cage movie. Like, go back and edit any Nicolas Cage opening scene. This needs to be it. And just, like, him walking in and doing that head swell. Hallelujah! Fucking good. I love it so much. And just like grabbing that girl's ass. Uh, I mean, like, we don't give a shit. We've just seen him, like, put this bomb together. Just the way he, like, comes out. I'm always the guy who watches a movie or TV show, and I always go for the villain. I always want the villain to win. And I love an over-the-top, like, asshole villain who has no remorse, who doesn't give a shit, because that always pisses me off when you get such a great villain. Like, here's a spoiler. Season 3, 24... Uh, Stephen Saunders is probably my favourite villain in all of 24. And all season, he has the upper hand. He's doing so well until his daughter comes into it. And it's like, fuck, great. There you go. You're lost because if you've got a family. <laughs> like, Just like Tom Lee Jones in Volcano, it ruins everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, like, oh, I just love this hallelujah scene. Oh, it's so amazing. Um... But yeah, like the, the, when he's on the plane with that woman, and like I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> there's like definitely again, honest trailer points out the peach fetish in this movie. Yeah. But like he's such just like a, a sleaze. Like even like when you were saying like it's Jamie Ripenjet. <laughs> like, but you just you gotta imagine that this is who he would be because like even later on like clearly the women go for it because you know you said I was your favorite peach no you said I was your favorite peach what is the, can I just point out what is the point of this FBI lady on the plane because like she's on the plane right they've only just found out that they've like the brother has got this plane so if they had time to plant her on there or is she working undercover for a long time with him and then like all of a sudden it's like she's all playing into it and she's all into sucking his tongue and getting eaten for an hour but then all of a sudden she's like FBI like it's like I don't get that yeah I mean maybe it doesn't really get explained maybe she is undercover and they weren't sure when they were going to make the move on him and then they said okay well we know he just did something in you know downtown 
he's going back to his plane and then they get the radio. It's like, all right, so now we're making the move on him. You're going to have to keep him on the ground. Yeah. One That's of the, just I mean, a theory. What you mentioned about video profile pictures, I think one of the greatest um, bits, which is a GIF on Twitter, use it. It's amazing. When he throws her out the plane and then just has that shrug out of the plane, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. It's the way he's like, just brutally murdered this woman. And he's just like, no. Yeah. It's just so awesome. He has some amazing one line. It's just like when he's like, This is a big gun. Fly the fucking plane. <laughs> and then was it um uh, Tito's like, You don't play chicken with a plane. Just like it's so over the top, like nineties one liners. It's so good. Um and probably my one of my favorite little exchanges. Nicholas Cage, John Travolta have amazing chemistry together. They're awesome. Oh, yeah. They work so well with each other. Uh, which is again why this movie works so well and again it's hard to imagine like as great as Schwarzenegger and Stallone would have been. I don't think we're going to have the same. I mean, who would have played the evil one? I would have imagined it would be Schwarzenegger would be Caster and they would swap over and that uh yeah. Stallone would be Sean Archer. Yeah, cuz um, I mean at least he had been a villain once in the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, that would be how I think it would work. Um, but, like, I, I love it when they're, like, doing this shootout. And then what is was, like, Travolta say, Shut the fuck up! Watch your fucking mouth! <laughs> I just love how there's this random, like, ongoing thing about, like, Caster Troy has his thing against swearing, which he then <laughs> swears as he's, Watch your fucking mouth! Um, but yeah, just so awesome. Um, just everything you said. I mean, I don't really have anything else to add, but, uh, oh God, this movie is so good and we're barely even at the start of it. Uh, next group of scenes. Again, this is going to be a lot here, but every scene just breezes by and they, they cram so much into like 30 seconds. Uh, after they finally caught him, uh, Archer goes home. You know, we get to meet his wife for the first time, Joan Allen, this is also interesting just to see Joan Allen doing a movie like this because I guess she was just starting to take off. I mean, she had done, I think she got an Oscar nomination or at least, you know, uh, Golden Globe for Nixon a few years earlier than this. But we're still a year away from Pleasantville, which I think would be her next Oscar nomination. What a and, movie. It, yeah. And, and then The Contender after that. I mean, Joan Allen would go on a roll for a while after this. But here she's just the wife. Um, would she ever do a movie like this now? No. And that's kind of why it's great to see this. And uh, I'll have more comments on how this is a real guy's movie and other movies get it wrong just because of how Joan Allen is in this movie. But we get introduced to his daughter. She's got her back to the camera. She's been suspended, you know, because people were making fun of her clothes and she beat them up. She turns around <laughs> and we find out why. Jamie's dressed as Pennywise from It. Um, <laughs> and my Jamie will love this because she talked about how creepy it is to see women with too much makeup on, that that was a fear of hers, like clowns. <laughs> Um, this is the most 90s teen ever because she's moody and is like, you don't understand me, I hate you. And really, she's got nothing to complain about. Uh, obviously, she has some problems since her brother's dead. Archer goes back. And- <laughs> you just <laughs> pulled that off so well. You're like, most 90s teen, she's got problems. I mean, obviously, she's got problems. Her brother's dead. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, I stopped breathing there for a second. I had to move myself. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's, it's a common reaction in the Oz Network. People realize they're listening to it for passing an hour. I'm like, oh, fuck, I stopped breathing. <laughs> um, 
you would think he'd be a nice guy all of a sudden, but he goes back and he's still the world's biggest dick as a boss because everybody's clapping. It's like, we finally got him. Now he goes home and he's like, I got him, Eve. I finally got him. It's over. And he goes back to work and they're like, congratulations, you got him, boss. What about Anderson? Pincus, Janelli, Winters. <laughs> like, I shouldn't be laughing at these dead with... people, but Pincus and Janelli, I mean, that was their name. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, can we come up with better names? Pincus, Janelli. Could you ever imagine, like, 24, my name is Jack Janelli. <laughs> yeah. just like my name is pincus james pincus <laughs> this is the longest day of my life <laughs> um yeah th- then of course we find out it's not over they get the the thing on um pollux's laptop <laughs> dennis nedry <laughs> in an r-rated <laughs> movie i'm sinclair and i'm gonna blow you Away. <laughs> hey, that's how it happens whenever I turn my computer on. Shut up. <laughs> that's Ben's screensaver. So <laughs> when I log on, welcome, Ben. I'm going to blow you into Windows 10. Welcome aboard. <laughs> that's what Ben looks for on Tinder Girls. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we find out, you know, oh, how are we going to take care of this? And it's interesting, It's it kind of feels backwards here, and this is maybe my one complaint, although it, it does make sense in the context of what his character would be thinking, but that we get this immediate pitch, hey, you guys could switch faces. But then it's after that, he's like, let me interrogate some people first. Like, you think you would try to interrogate first? Because <laughs> it's, it's completely backwards. But they lay out everything here, and this is where, you know, Honest Trailers even gets it wrong, and a lot of people complain about, well, they look nothing alike. They say, you know, your skin pigmentation's the same, your eye pigmentation's the same, which it is. I mean, if, if you were to wrap their faces around, they have the same eye color, at least. That's all you really need. Everything else, they're like, you know, we could change your teeth, uh, we can remove your hairline. I like that they actually will point out the things that these guys are famous for, like the negatives they're famous for in this movie. You know, they mention, like, you know, we could change your hairline, Nicolas Cage's really odd hairline. And then with Travolta, we could do something to take care of those love handles, too. Because Travolta, obviously, you know, <laughs> kind of famous for, you know, being a little bit chunky here in the 90s. Um, and that's where I hate that even Honest Trailers, which normally is pretty good, they complain and say, well, they do nothing to change their bodies. Yes, they do. They explain it in this first scene yeah, here. they do. Say, we're changing- yeah. we're going to give you plugs for your chest hair, I think they even go to at one point. Yeah. So, like, the bodies will be completely changed. You know, how they put his love handles back on at the end of the movie, I don't know. Or if they would bother to do that, because the only thing he cares about is really the scar. Um, but, but why would you yeah. want to, like, oh, please, can you make me fat again? I don't want to be thin. Yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that when Cage, if Cage had gotten his face back, he's like, can you give me this ridiculous hairline again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, there's two things these guys are going to... John Travolta's like, I want Cage's body. And Cage is like, I want John Travolta's hair, please. (laughs) And I want Cage's penis size. And Cage is like, yeah, I want a small little Italian dick. I'm Nicholas Cage. I've got a big one. So shrink my penis. Yeah. Uh, They're going to want, you know, to do a little little bit of mixing and matching here if they switch back. (laughs) Um, Then it gets to, of course, his reaction to this is great, you know, um, where he's kind of laughing it off. But he's like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Uh, an area where John Woo gets this really right is that people don't think anything of it. And we talk about, this is so sci-fi. I think partly because it's 20 years later and we're like, well, no technology like this exists. Every, every action movie now comes out with some form of technology where you're like, that doesn't really exist, but I accept it because maybe the government has something like that. Die another day. I saw like, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, at the time, you're like invisible car. Well, far fetched, but maybe, maybe it'll be there in five years. I- I'm not talking about the the genomes and the genetics that you rip shit oh, into. That, yeah, no, nobody bought that even in 2002. <laughs> but like, even I saw the new Triple X movie earlier this year, and there's some technology in that where I'm like, that that doesn't exist, but you can accept it because it's an action movie, and obviously these techies are gonna have stuff before it's released to the public. Uh, that's why this movie was okay to set in 1997. It gets a little bit far-fetched now in 1997, but it's the reactions people get. Like, even Travolta's reaction is sort of like, okay, I don't really believe this, but hey, you say it can work, it can work. You know, it doesn't become a sci-fi movie because people respond right. There's only one character that responds in the way the audience should, and that comes at the end of the movie. Um, but again, after this, he's like, let me try interrogating some people. And of course, they bring in everything. They've got Pollux, they've got Sasha who we really know nothing like this is the introduction of Sasha at this point feels weird. And maybe this is one area where the scene was a bit too rushed because who is she? They don't really explain. There's like, have you seen Castor? Do you know anything about him? No, haven't seen him in a while. Okay. Bye. Like, <laughs> I'll see you no son. Relevance to her. Yeah, <laughs> There's no mention of the sun or anything. You know, her character only becomes important halfway through the movie. And we only really find out who she, her character is halfway through the movie. So she feels at this point, if you're rewatching this movie, they're tacking this on because they want you to remember who she is later on. Uh, the only yeah. thing we find out is, uh, you know, the, the one person he can break is, oh, I just heard something about the 18th. And again, he gives up there. Like, <laughs> maybe this guy does know more. Maybe he doesn't. But do you know that? Oh, all I heard was something about the 18th. All right. Well, let, let me see if I pull the trigger. If you remember something else, you know? How oh, well, no, nothing more. Okay. I better change my face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those scenes a little bit rushed. Uh, he, you know, says, you know, there, there's the one where he goes to Eve. He's decided he's going to do this. So he goes to Eve. You know, we get the first look at the scar, um, which, is, of course, is going to become very important later on. And he says, oh, I got one last assignment. It's such a sad thing. You know, he, she thinks he's finally done with this. He's going off. Um, we'll just group the procedure in here, too, because there's more talking points on that. Uh, he says he wants to keep the scar in the procedure, there's incredible makeup effects, and it's like this isn't a visual effects heavy movie. Most of what we're seeing is practical, but the makeup effects here are incredible. In that, I can't really tell when they're, you know, maybe putting a little bit of a blood squirt on Travolta's face, and when they legitimately have like a full body cast of Travolta. Uh, the whole sequence works really well, and I like that John Woo, even though he has an R-rated movie here, he doesn't dwell on the gore, and that comes up later on. You know how he does these quick cutaways to it. Um, when there's the first reveal, of course, with Travolta's Cage, he breaks down in tears because that's all that Archer's going to do for the majority of this movie. If Nicolas Cage is, should be famous for anything other than crazy faces, it should be for crying because he cries more than Natalie Portman does in Hi. this movie. <laughs> and we all know Natalie Portman does nothing but cry. Um, yeah, and I, I also wonder, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about them being locked in a room together because I wondered if when they were making this movie, if they filmed all their early scenes first so that they could get the mannerisms out, so they knew what they were going to speak like and everything. But obviously, they wouldn't have to do that if they did that two weeks together. Um, there's the brief mention, just as you know, they've done the face swap. Uh, and th- there's the voice thing, obviously. Well, we have to explain the voice, which Mission Impossible 2, John Woo reuses in a few years. Uh, and they do mention, well, you know, if you put pressure on it, a sharp blow, a violent sneeze, they say you can dislodge this. It makes you wonder why he doesn't try harder later on when he's calling his wife. Yeah. Saying, That's hey, you! <laughs> exactly. Just sniff some pepper or something. Like, put some effort into it, Archer. He's kind of lazy. Um, 
There's the funny thing where he just says, my face is itchy, <laughs> and he's scratching it up against the wall as he's leaving. And we find out, you know, this is completely off the books because even his team, uh, they're like, oh, you know, uh, Archer's going to be pissed when he finds out when he gets back from the Georgia swamp and, the, you know, that Castor's alive and being locked away in a prison. Uh, we'll break it up there before we get to the prison because that's going to be like a huge section of the movie. But the whole face swap thing here, I mean, it's far-fetched, but the movie makes it believable somehow. Um, yeah, can we just point out that um, John Travolta, Sean Archer, is a really, really bad husband and bad father. Oh, terrible. And, and a bad boss, of course. And another thing that, um, you know, uh, is improved by Caster Troy is he becomes a better father. <laughs> he becomes a better he boss. He does. <laughs> like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, again, roll credits. Does he go back to being a dick? <laughs> <laughs> so he's a better lover to his wife. He's a better father, a cooler father. He's a better boss. Uh, he's more famous because he's on Time magazine. So, like, <laughs> like do they, how does this happen at the end? And, again, like, do we get to the end of this and he's an even bigger celebrity because he was the first ever facial transplant? And questions for the end of the movie, Ben. Um, but, like, yeah, like, just to see when everybody's clapping, like, he's devoted his life. He's basically lost his daughter and his and his wife and when he did lose his son um you know and yet, like he should be happy but again he's just like what about pincus and janelli like yeah. fuck pincus and janelli you got the man <laughs> like, your daughter's turning into pennywise and you're worried about pincus and janelli can i can i also just point out like do we ever actually hear the words caster is dead i don't know if i picked up on that until we get to the scene when he's in the hospital and goes oh christ you're keeping him alive like yeah is it ever actually mentioned? Because even when um, Pollock says, like, oh, I want to see my brother. Like, I'm, I I forgot that he's meant to be dead. Like, I just assumed that he's a vegetable and they know he's still alive, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, exactly. So, like, I don't know if that's ever um, fixed. Uh, you, you know, just, you know, you call it jailbait, if you will. But, like, let's point out that Dominic Swain, who is Jamie Archer, 17 at the time of filming, I was 10... So she is seven years older than me. All right, and also like this, I don't. This doesn't help my case. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but bear with me. Uh, she was well known going into this, of course, as being Lolita. I don't know if you knew that was her. Um, in the the what the that came out the same year, did it not? Um, yeah, it, it had been filmed like well beforehand, and there was a lot of publicity on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that really doesn't help my case, Ben. It's okay to like her. She was a 10-year-old in Alita. She was meant to be promiscuous. It's fine. <laughs> Shut up, Ben. <laughs> but you know I'm going to like her. <laughs> but... yeah. Uh, yeah, when the scene coming up, I'm like, I know Ben's going to appreciate this. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's like we say about how this film uh, doesn't age or like it, it still stands up. Not when all the um, details about the terrorist plot are on a floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> they hold 1.44 megabytes, people. <laughs> I don't know. Like, terrorist plots were very small in file size in the uh, late 90s. <laughs> um, but, like, this is kind of where, you know... We, we we say like we we uh, this is movie like it's awesome and all this sort of stuff. But like the one thing I've got like it actually makes sense when you said like he should be interrogating them first and then they should be like, oh we're out of options. How about we swap faces? Not let's swap faces. Oh no, how about I interrogate them first? Oh yeah, shit, exactly. didn't work. Swap my face. Surely, <laughs> surely. And again, I don't want to rip the entire point of this film to bits here, but like. They are the worst at their job. If they give up, like, especially with this one guy, he's like, I heard something about the 18th! Like, 
okay, that'll do. <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> like, I mean, even September 11, they sort of knew, but they didn't stop them. <laughs> like, like they kind of got the gist of what they were going to do and obviously didn't stop them. But, like, surely here, <laughs> they've got, like, six days. They can interrogate people. This is Castor Troy, who's, like, this big international... He's killed a Croatian diplomat. Ooh. Like, I mean... <laughs> Surely, sure, and like if if they if he's been kept alive and they say like he's a vegetable, like if they've got this medical technology to swap faces, they have medical technology to wake him up and make him like a, a sprouting vegetable. I mean, the guy literally wakes up in like twenty minutes and there's nothing wrong with him medically. Like again, I'm not trying to rip. We love this movie, but like people criticize this for like they don't look like each other. Oh, how do they you know hair and all that sort of stuff? Again, you as you said, that's explained. I think there's other bits of this movie which is like, do they really need to go to that length just to find out what? Because if you think about it, like you think this is going to be the whole plot, like stopping a bomb, but that kind of gets stopped and it's done with, and then it's obviously just yeah. becomes about them switching back. So I mean, that's just kind of a, a real nitpicky bit there. Uh, just a few of the actors here, of course. I mean, uh, CCH Pounder, of course. Uh, I mean, I, I forgot that she gets killed off like fairly. I thought she was a yeah. lot bigger role in this movie. Um, uh, I mentioned Alessandro Navola. You mentioned about Dennis oh, Nedry. Yeah. I mean, he obviously did go on to be in Jurassic Park 3, so um, Jurassic Park connection. Um, and as my Desperate Housewives fandom continues to grow, which never waned, I don't oh, know why I'm saying man. it continues to grow, James Denton as Buzz, of course, went on to be uh, the iconic Mike Delfino, Terry Hatcher's love interest, um, just to connect this all with uh, all these other shows that we've done. John Tenney always imagined that Terry Hatcher would go on to be the love interest of Buzz from Face Off. Uh, <laughs> what? Where did that come from? Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like, I like um, uh, Sasha, what's her, Gina Gershon. Uh, I like that uh, she's been in so many things. She's one of these ones that are like, yeah, her. But like, it's it's weird. Like as you said, like it's kind of you don't really get much from her at this point when she's there. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like later on, oh, okay, that's that woman from before. And then uh, we've obviously got to mention uh, Mr. Notebook, don't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> people, Nick, was it Casavetes? Is that how you say his name? Casavetes. Casavetes. Who, if yeah. people didn't know, and uh, thanks, honest trailer for pointing this out to me. Uh, the bald guy, uh, obviously, uh, Dietrich, is that how you say that? Whatever. That's the director of The Notebook. Arguably, if we if we lost our female listeners from being shit into Dirty Dancing, we would do it even more if we actually watched The Notebook. So, <laughs> I've you never know what? seen... You actually, I don't mind The Notebook. You said that about Dirty Dancing, too. So. <laughs> well, I said I hate Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, it's like, it's interesting when you mentioned about the whole, like the, the effects, like the gore, like I think part of this, you're always expecting to see them without their faces, aren't you? Um, but you only ever get to see that sort of reflection that's obviously coming up, uh, soon. So it's kind of, it's very subtly done, which I think really, really works. Um, I do like Tito's face as they're watching the surgery, like, ooh, ooh. It's like, well, of course you're watching a guy getting his face removed. And should we point out too, uh, that you said about this, you know, being a thing that, oh, is that real? Could that happen? Uh, facial transplant has successfully been done since this movie's been made. 2012, I read up, was successfully done. So facial transplants are a thing. They don't do it so quickly and you don't like wake up five seconds later with no scarring. Um, and why the hell do they like do his hair while they're like actually in the middle of surgery? Surely there's like a, a, a sanitary thing going on there that hair follicles <laughs> yeah. would get in the face. 
<laughs> One little nitpick I've just got to point out there. Um, this is a movie where they literally swap faces, Ben, so I'm sure they've got better sanitary methods in this hospital. Um, I love it when he smashes a window and we get, like, Travolta's cage. It's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you! <laughs> um, but can I just... The question I want to ask you is, like, from this point on, are you watching this now seeing Nicolas Cage as John Travolta, if that makes sense. Like, you know when you watch, like, Freaky Friday and you're seeing Lindsay Lohan as Jamie Lee Curtis the other way around? Yeah, from this point... Like, this is the thing that's done well, is that I feel from this point onwards, at no point are you really seeing Nicolas Cage. You're kind of seeing John Travolta from this point, which I think Nicolas Cage props to him for acting so brilliantly, and then same with John Travolta. You're seeing Nicolas Cage at that point. So, um, again, going back to what other actors have done this, like, do we really see Schwarzenegger pulling off Stallone? Like, Adrian! And then, like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Stallone, like, going, I'll be back. (laughs) He'll say, I can't. uh." (laughs) We just had, like, what about (laughs) you Watch your fucking mouth. <laughs> there we go. We're going to quote everything in this movie. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, if we had him doing hallelujah, like that would have been worth it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I really have much else to add. Um, but yeah, that's I don't have much else to add. We're going to prison now uh, because oh. apparently... You know, this jail page. Because <laughs> I was looking at a seventeen-year-old who was playing a ten-year-old in a movie earlier on this year. Um, but like, yeah, I, I actually I forgot too that. Um, so it's only uh, CCH Pounder and Tito. I know that Tito's uh, like <laughs> character's name's not CCH Pounder, um, but like <laughs> they're basically the only ones that know at this point. And you, you didn't also point out your man, Colm Farrar. I know, I forgot. Yeah, but he's still to come. He's not dead yet, I guess. Um, but he's he's yeah, there. Colm he's the genius behind all this, right? <laughs> I mean, one of the great Canadian actors, and I think a great Canadian actor is somebody who will who can steadily work in America, but chooses to still work in Canada. Uh, you know, Anna Paquin, who we claim oh. as being Canadian because she was born here, actually born in my hometown, Winnipeg, grew up obviously in New Zealand. And now, for whatever reason, she's come back and decided, I'm going to make all Canadian stuff now. So it's kind of amazing. Weird. She is, yeah. Especially in all so the good. Canadian stuff. So good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like Colm Fior, I mean, he juggled at the exact same time when he was doing 24 as Henry Taylor. You know, he was doing a Canadian TV show called The Listener at the same time. And you know, he's most famous here for playing probably our most famous prime minister, not Justin Trudeau, his, you know, more popular father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Um, but, I mean, he just, he he's one of these guys that pops up in movies, and he can steal a scene by being in, like, two scenes, you know? Uh, we talked about him, like, in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 earlier this year. Uh, Chronicles of Riddick was probably the biggest role he had. Uh, uh, he was in the biggest Canadian movie of all time, Bond Cop, Bad Cop, which is, like, uh, I guess... Our big Canadian action movie, which sounds funny to people, but... Um, well, they blow stuff yeah. up and say sorry afterwards? Yeah, pretty much, yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Colm Fiore's in this. I mean, we have a lot of great actors in very small roles here. I don't even know the guy that plays Tito. Like, who is he? Has he ever done anything? Because he's great in this. Uh, Robert Wisdom is his name. I'll check him out. Can I just, I just quickly, while we're on the subject of Colm Farrell, I just I need to weirdly apologise for a reference I made in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, I claimed he was the dad in Step Brothers, 
I was very wrong on that. It's actually Richard Jenkins who played that role, but they actually do kind of look very similar. But uh, yeah, little, I just, yeah. I did realize my mistake after I made that reference. So I'm sure with all the complaints I got, none, um, that um, I needed to reiterate that. Uh, Robert Wisdom uh, apparently was in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, Sawful. Oh, as Army Captain at Bridge. Yeah. I do remember that scene. Mighty Joe Young. Uh, Bill Paxton movie. He's in Volcano as OEM <gasps> staffer number two. <laughs> oh, I'm rewatching it. I'm going to see him. It was in That Thing You Do. That was a good movie. Um, Ray, <laughs> Crazy Like a Fox. Uh, <laughs> we're just listing his entire filmography here. Yeah. <laughs> M- moving well, on. <laughs> we're, we're a big fan of Tito. So, <laughs> Robert Wisdom, uh, come on the show. Give us your wisdom. Please do, yes. Uh, let's move on to the prison stuff now. Um, so first of all, this prison, I mentioned there's a lot of similarities with the movie escape plan that Schwarzenegger and Stallone eventually did do together. You know, obviously they did the expendables, but that was like a small role for Schwarzenegger. Um, this whole thing with, you know, this super high security prison, that's really just on a floating platform in the middle of the ocean. Uh, there's a flaw coming up with that too, but, um, these magnetic boots and everything. I mean, it's like a super high security thing. And it's funny that in a movie where you're taking people's faces off and swapping them and having these, you know, voice things implanted that when this came out, I thought the prison was the moment this felt like a sci-fi movie, which is weird to me. I don't know. Did you have the same thing? Uh, not really. I never kind of see this as sci-fi. I just kind of see this as advanced prison with magnets. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what most people consider sci-fi. Magnets and advanced equals sci-fi. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the the prison's a really cool, like, setting. And this is another thing that's great about this movie is that you have this huge setting, you know, at the beginning of the movie where it's just like real world. And then you get this prison stuff, which feels completely different. And it breaks the movie up. This is the moment where I looked at it. I'm like, we're like 45 minutes into this movie. That's crazy how much story there's been so far. Uh, and Pollux is, of course, in this prison, um, which really is the whole – we should mention the plot here, if you forgot, is that <laughs> Pollux is the only one who's going to know where this bomb is exploding on the 18th. He's not talking. There's no way he's going to talk because they interrogated him for 30 seconds. <laughs> and Dietrich only knows the date. <laughs> and Sasha knows nothing. We don't know why she's there. So you go into the prison, and he's posing as Caster. Well, he can get Pollux to tell him what's going on. Um, the fight basically happens right away in this, where we find out the famous Burke Hicks, little person, because uh, <laughs> he forgot the little people, uh, picks a fight with Caster. And, of course, the um, thing here is that, you know, why is Archer picked for this? Well, because he knows Caster better than anybody else. For a guy who's on the run, I wonder how he knows his mannerisms. How does he know the crazy face in all this? Because I doubt that they've had face-to-face conversations in the last six years. So yeah. you do have to wonder why is he know him that well where he's the only guy who could do this. Tito's probably better equipped to do this than he is because he's not emotionally involved, at least. Better, better um, skin pigmentation, too, between Tito yeah, and exactly. uh, Casa Troy. <laughs> at least their, their dongs were closer. So that, oh, that would have Probably. <laughs> we all know Nicolas Cage has got a big dong. And, well, I mean, Robert Wisdom clearly has an even bigger dong. So Yeah, that's what Robert Wisdom is known for. Um, <laughs> he's he's a very large penis. <laughs> <laughs> Literally on his Wikipedia page. Um, Robert Wisdom. Ray Robert Wisdom. He's an American actor best known for his roles in Howard Bunny Colvin on The Wire, Norman Lecro Street Paint and Prison Bake, and his exceptionally large penis. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Can I Sorry, just can we, I'm editing that right now on Wikipedia. I'm going to get banned <laughs> from Wikipedia. I'm going to take a screenshot of this. Keep going on, and I will add this. <laughs> um, so the fight scene happens where Burkick's little person is picking a fight with Caster. Now, if he knows who Caster is, why is he even daring to pick a fight? Obviously, Archer's not fighting back at first. You know, he's very thrown off by this whole face swap thing still. Pollux is looking at him with this doubtful face. What's wrong with Big Brother? And all of a sudden, he does it. Archer, as Caster, gives crazy Nicolas Cage face. Number two in this movie. Could we just have a crazy Cage face count in this movie? I'm sure we're well past two at this point, but... Um, what better way to convince everybody that you are Castro Troy than to give crazy Nicolas Cage face, beat a man senseless, and then repeatedly say, I'm Castro Troy! I'm Castro Troy! I'm Castro Troy! <laughs> Which then goes to, Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> You're doing the best Nicolas Cage impersonation right now. <laughs> I'm pulling that the face. Tra- You're- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That transition of, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> It's just so great. I love it. Um, yeah, and of course now the real caster wakes up, which, A, your medical staff is advanced enough that they could switch people's faces, change their bodies, everything, change their voices, and yet they can't tell that this man's about to wake up any second now. And they have no security detail on the world's greatest terrorist. I don't understand why nobody's watching him. Um, we cut back to the prison. Uh, of course, there's a quick phone call he made because they also leave uh, an active phone line there. which He knows how to dial out on the most secure government building ever. Like, shouldn't he have to go through a switchboard or something like that? And... Uh, he dials out and he's like, okay, well, you know, you're not going to believe what's going on. Um, so here's the whole setup for this is really just two scenes. And when he finally talks to Pollux, you know, Pollux already knows that something's off with him. You know, he's saying, I'm so fried. I don't even know why that guy was picking a fight with me earlier on. And he goes, you don't remember having a sex sandwich with his wife and sister. <laughs> just hearing uh, Pollux use the word sex sandwich there's something about Pollux that is like the most obnoxiously dorky villain ever. I love him. I fucking love Pollux. He's amazing. I, yeah. He's he's our underappreciated character of this episode, Pollux. He's yeah. he's amazing. Yeah, and, and he is so obnoxious, and that's what makes him great. Like, you need a character like this that you just you want to I, I mentioned in uh The Amazing Race Canada that uh uh, I'm sure Ben and everybody else listens to. I uh, couldn't about- stop listening. I've listened to it five times today. Yeah, and some somebody else I'm sure will touch on it at some point. My hatred for Ryan Reynolds' face. Where there's something about Ryan Reynolds' face, <laughs> really? I just want to punch him in his face. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I just I, Ryan I Re- to- you're ro- you're wow. That's not nice. I know he's Canadian, and I want to punch Ryan Reynolds in the face. It's just something about looking at him. I want to kiss gonna- his face. I want to have a beer with him. I love that man. Okay, uh, get off my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It took us this long in a movie we agreed on. Um, but Alessandro Nivola, it's not his face, but the way he performs this, it's like he's so brilliant. You just want to, like, claw the man's eyes out and say, oh, I can't stand this guy, but I love him. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, and yet he quizzes him on the meds, of course. Like, what were my meds? And it's cool because as an audience, you're like, does he already know that somebody has taken his brother's face 
and done a highly secretive procedure to swap it with the FBI agent that caught them both, and he's posing as him right now in prison to find out what's happening on the 18th. But in reality, it's just, you seem off. You know, are you still there? How much do you still remember? Yeah, um, yeah and uh, the the thing after that where he comes in and we get the first meeting between Travolta. Now, it happened very quickly. You know, I guess there was the scene in there, too, where Confior comes in and you see the brief shots that I mentioned of Gore with his face, where it's only cutting as he's clapping away. It's, like, so brief. Something you could get away with in a PG-13 movie now. And it is gruesome, but in an R-rated movie in 1997, you got to do really quick cuts because that is disgusting. Um, And obviously, we don't see him do the procedure, but when... We cut back and, you know, you know, obviously when Pollux gives away the 18th uh, to Archer as caster, um, he goes away and you think, OK, this is the moment he's going to be able to give the information up, except everybody in the FBI is dead that knows about this. And in walks Travolta or in walks Cage as Travolta, we get the first face to face meeting and they have very few scenes together in this movie. But you mentioned like the chemistry they have. I don't even think Cage really speaks in this movie other than just sort of mumble and sobbing some more. But their <laughs> chemistry is like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, their chemistry is incredible, and that's, I think, a result of them really studying each other and knowing each other's mannerisms. There are moments in this where you mentioned, like, okay, are you watching this as Cage as Travolta and as Travolta as Cage? There are moments where it is like, well, that's John Travolta. That's not Nicholas Cage. And when he comes in the first line, he goes, ooh, wee, you good looking. <laughs> it's a great line. I think it was in all the trailers. But that is John Travolta. There's no way Nicholas Cage says that. But when he follows it up where he says, it's like looking in a mirror, only not. Like the way he says that is Nicholas Cage. It's just the transition back and forth is so fantastic here. Uh, I just love the scene they have together and the way that he's taunting him in that scene um, with, uh, you know, talking about his lonely wife and stuff like that. Uh, I'll cap it off there before he actually goes home and we get now it becomes the John Travolta show. But I love the face face meeting here. And I think I swear half of this was in the trailer as well. Yeah, Um I think you're going to look at that screenshot I just sent you and crack up laughing here, so I'm just going to wait for you to read <laughs> see the edit I put on Wikipedia just to that bit right now. Because uh, on season three of Prison Break, playing the role of Panamanian drug kingpin, it'll occur in roles, series regular. Um, that's all I you see. Get- Where am I missing this year? They're right at the top, Robert Wisdom. You've got to look underneath where it's got Robert Ray Wisdom was born. 1953 is an American actor best known for his roles as Howard Bunny Colvin on The Wire, Norman Lachero, St. John on Prison Break, and his exceptionally large tongue. <laughs> I did went to put penis, but it said, we've noticed that an edit you have made is inappropriate. Uh, and I've just refreshed the page and it's still live on Wikipedia as of right now. I'm just going to send you the link so you can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put a screenshot up on our on our website. <laughs> oh, we we will never be trusted again. But this is making for such a great episode. <laughs> this, is, this is this is his favorite uh, actor is Brad Pitt all over again from the Survivor Oz days. <laughs> the difference is Survivor Wiki leaves that on there, whereas oh. Wikipedia that's going to get removed any time now, and uh, my random edits will be banned. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thank you. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Robert Wisdom thanking oh. me for making his day too. He's like, damn straight. Now the truth's oh. been out there. <laughs> I'm sending this to my wife right now. She's got to see this. <laughs> Can I also just point out the fact that his character name is Tito? It just reminds me of Rush Hour. You mean Tito? Tell us what we had last night for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> we should also point out uh, in this prison sequence, um, I just want to point out two actors. Uh, you know one of them. You're not going to know the other. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, who's the guard. Um... I mean, he's, he's from he's, Volcano, 1997. Well, I mean, he's one of these actors that I guess kind of is like, you see him in everything and you're like, oh, him. And it's kind of like, I know Jimmy Kimmel recently did a skit uh, on his show where he got like four of those actors who were kind of like, yeah, I know him. He's from that movie. And they like, they did an award for, I know him. He's from that movie award. And it's kind of, it was actually quite funny. Look it up on YouTube. But like, yeah, Volcano, uh, people, fans of the Drew Carey show, obviously knew him as uh, Steve Carey, Drew's brother, who obviously went on to, I think, marry Mimi. And he was like a crossdresser, was he not? Um... But uh, recently, uh, I saw him. I know you and I have talked a little bit about the founder. Uh, he was one of the the co-founders in that movie of McDonald's, which is a great movie. Um, and also American Horror Story fans. He played uh, Twisty the Clown, this freaky, freaky guy. You think it's freaky? I haven't even seen it, but uh, sorry, yeah, I'm seriously, still, I still can't get over it. And it's exceptionally <laughs> large dong. <laughs> You know, the funniest thing is, is back in our uh, good old Brink days on Edge Radio, uh, myself and Josh both created profiles for ourselves on Wikipedia that stayed up for 12 months. They did not, you could type in Ben Waterworth and it would be, Ben Waterworth is a radio personality from Hobart. It stayed on there for a year. And then if, I think even probably till a couple of years ago, it's gone now, but if you went to like March 18 and it had lists of famous birthdays, my name still stayed on that list for a very long time. <laughs> and there's actually, there's a website called like Deletepedia where they basically archive all articles that have been deleted from Wikipedia over the years. It's still on there. So, um, random fact that I was once on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's John Carroll Lynch. I've got to point out, so the guy that he gets into the fight with, who's then later on getting brain fried, uh, Dubov or whatever his name is. Not going to care for you. You hate Third Watch. Uh, well, I don't think you hate it. You've just never seen it. Um, yeah. Chris Bauer is that actor. He plays Fred Yokus in Third Watch, one of the uh, the main character's husbands, in at least for six seasons. And then he obviously went on to play uh, Andy in True Blood with Anna Paquin. So there's our six degrees of separation we're doing here. Uh, love Chris Bauer. He's awesome. Just needed to point him out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, all this stuff, like, I love, uh, I, I fucking love Pollux. He is just the underrated character. <laughs> Him and Tito's large dong. Um, <laughs> that, uh, I mean, you know, it's just, it's so interesting. Like, this is actually Alessandro Nivola's first film role. Um, which is fascinating, and it's kind of like, the, I mean, the only thing I've really ever seen him in, uh, would be Jurassic Park 3. And, I mean, here he is playing, like, obnoxious geek brother of, of Nicolas Cage, and yet in Jurassic Park 3, he's, what, raptor-stealing egg sidekick of Alan Grant, <laughs> who's, he's like... The hunky, he's the hunky action hero of the movie. Yeah, who you think dies, but, spoiler alert, isn't dead, even though he got thrown into cliffs by pterodactyls, and somehow the <laughs> army found him, even though they were on the beach for five minutes. Um, <laughs> coming soon, Jurassic Park 3, picking apart the many plot holes. But it's still a decent movie. Um, <laughs> underrated. But... <laughs> We've, we've lost. <laughs> we like the prequels. We call Jurassic Park three this, underrated. <laughs> this is what happened with Robert Wisdom's dong makes its way onto the on network. <laughs> hey, at least you said Titanic sucked. We gained some respect back. <laughs> 
not sucked. It's a good movie. Um, but the thing, like, th- there's points here that I don't understand. It's like, why would Pollux be sceptical, even if it's like you're feeling a bit, like, you seem a bit off? Like, what does... Yeah. Why would you have in, like, if I right now came to Winnipeg and I knocked on your door and you're like, Ben's here. Yay. Um, <laughs> but, like, all of a sudden I started coming in speaking French and being like, oh, I love France. It's amazing. Are you going to be like, something's off with you. Did you have a face swap with someone? <laughs> like, you're yeah, not really I mean, Ben. <laughs> that's why I kind of, and it's not really said in the movie, but I kind of take the opinion and maybe it's just me trying to defend my movie here that he knows what happened to him. He knows he should be dead. And now he's in here. And of course they mention, oh, you know, well, when he says I'm fried, he's like, oh, the shock treatment he's probably assuming there's something wrong with him. And it's kind of like, you know, if somebody falls and they hit their head, you're like, okay, what's your name? What's your birthday? Do you know where you are right now? I kind of look Happens at me every day. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we started this episode. Ben, what episode are you on now? Well, I really love the sixth day. It's a good movie. Um, it's, <laughs> but like, I mean, okay, I, I get that. Fair enough. I, I'm, I'm here to, I'm not trying to def- like take this movie down. Cause I love this as much as you do. We know we're both going to buy it at the end of it. Spoiler alert. But like, why then does he tell him, oh, the, the LA Convention Center? Oh, it's like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. And then, like, the thing that I really don't understand is how quickly, when eventually we see Travolta and that's all sorted, like, how does he automatically know that that's really Castor Troy? It's like, that's never seen really. Like, one phone call? Oh, remember that time when we were brothers and I showed you how big my penis is and yours is small? Oh, oh, bro, how are you? Like, I don't know. We'll get to that. But, um, yeah, I, I fucking love the scene when they're like, they get introduced. And, like, before that, though, like, yeah, I mean, you pointed out, like, how's he being guarded? Like, this is a guy that apparently is a vegetable. Um, he gets CCH Pounder burns a cigarette on him as an evil thing, like, he's never going to wake up. Yet he wakes up and he's completely fine. <laughs> like, does he not have yeah. internal injuries, <laughs> like, from being yeah, thrown exactly. against a grate? And then, like, again, how does he call his henchman? And be like, hey, guess what? You're never going to believe what happened to me. I'm alive. My face got taken off. Can you come here? <laughs> Can you grab me comb for raw? Uh- <laughs> and how does he know which doctor to grab? I mean, he's exactly. watching the videos. It's like, well, here's his home address. <laughs> They'll have, like, face masks on. Then how does he get the addresses of FBI agents uh, Tito and CCH Pounder that are just oh. on public record? And then also, like... We've gone over the point that, you know, Sean Archer's gotten all this done. You know, he's got these love handles and all this sort of stuff. His body hair. So then does he, like, at gunpoint, hold Colm Farrar and be like, you need to make sure I've got the same body markings everywhere that Sean Archer had. You need to put the scar back. Like, like I don't know. Again, we're reading too much into it. This is an amazing movie. <laughs> Just got to point out. They're the bits that I think people should need to nitpick in. Not like, oh, but they don't look nothing like each other. Anyway, but yeah, the scene like, you know, ooh, you good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking love that line. Um, And just like, like the weird slow-mo they keep going to like, you know, obviously, uh, well, Sean, Nicholas, whoever he is. Um, I love that line when he gets in. He's like, "Oh, you'll be in here. I don't know for the next hundred years." Yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> just the way he says that. Um, and oh, it's just so so good. And it is interesting. You point out they barely have any scenes together, 
But I mean, God, they make the most of it, doesn't it? Like, I love it when he says, like, I miss that face. And he goes in to, like, kiss him before he gets, like, choked. But it's it's really that helplessness at that point. Because, again, you're thinking, like, well, fuck, how the hell is he going to get out of this now? He's screwed. Yeah, um, yeah that's interesting. Because, like, the movie at this point, it's gone the way the trailer expected, you know, for you as the audience member expected it to go from the trailer. And I remember watching this the first time and actually feeling like, where's this going to go from here? I mean, how is he going to get out of prison? Nobody knows he's alive. How is he ever going to get his face back? And also the point we should mention is like, they've taken off his face. That's why it's called Face Off. Face Off. Face Off. (laughs) I love that scene. Um, But like, how do they store his face in something where the dead tissue wouldn't die. I've been watching a lot of Nip Tuck recently. Um, so, like, you know, medical side of things. So, they've obviously got some medically advanced technology where they can keep Travolta's real face on ice, basically. Um, and why do they need to keep Caster alive? Couldn't they just turn off his, uh, uh, you know, life support at that point? They don't need him anymore. They've taken his face off. Done. Mm. Like, like again, plot hole right there. There's no reason to keep him yeah. alive. Yeah, I mean... Just ruin face-off, Ben. Good job. They don't really explain why he's kept alive in the first place. He's like, why are you keeping him alive? Don't worry, he's a vegetable. But why? Yeah, you're you're completely right. I mean, maybe there's some ethical thing there. Hey, you don't kill somebody. Um, yeah, but... he just, he's a massive criminal. It's America where the death penalty exists. But... <laughs> you know, my biggest issue, obviously, being... Why is there no security? Not even like a security guard watching footage. They have footage of every minute of this. This is how he knows what happened is because he watches yeah. the footage of the entire procedure, which is, you know, at his access there. If they have that much security footage, why is there not footage watching him right now? They're like, hey, there's a guy without a face walking around the lab, guys. Just thought you might like to know, you know? And that's the, and there's other patients there too. He's not the only yeah. patient. And, like, this is a, a secret facility where you've got secret guys doing great things. And, again, let's be honest. This, I mean, some for some reason, Sean Archer gets on the cover of Time just because he stopped a bomb. Fair enough. Oh. That makes him man of the year. Fuck everybody else who was, like, curing AIDS and shit. Like, yeah, we'll <laughs> Did get they to cure that. AIDS in 1997, Ben? I don't remember that. <laughs> There's an alternate timeline. I, I remember it. Uh, but here like... is Tommy Lee Jones saving a Los Angeles from a volcano <laughs> in 1997. And Pierce Brosnan saving the town of Dante's <laughs> Peak, sort of. Uh, he didn't yeah, really save it. It got destroyed. <laughs> but anyway, but like, was a big year. <laughs> we're just pointing out, you know, Jack Dawson from dying on the. T- oh wait, that was nineteen twelve. But like, it's, <laughs> like I don't mean to destroy this movie that we love, but I mean it's just this is where people need to point the plot holes at. All the pot, plot yeah. holes that people pick about this movie are the ones that we've just established. There's not really plot holes. People gel over the fact that there's no reason that Caster Troy should be kept alive. This is essentially <laughs> Osama bin Laden. Right now. Yeah, like, let's exactly. imagine Osama bin Laden did not, like, he's secretly been kept alive in a, a facility somewhere in America and they've face swapped, like, Soldier A from the US government to go inside the caves of the Taliban to, like, find out where the next 9 11 is going to happen. Like, would they don't need to keep Osama bin Laden alive. So, like, yeah. anyway, that's uh, Ben Waterworth destroying Face Off. Um, I love this movie. And uh, never forget that Robert Wisdom has an exceptionally large dong. <laughs> I'm going to be checking that all day throughout the day. Just to I'm going to refresh it now. I'm going to refresh it again. I'm going to refresh it. It's still on there! Yes! <laughs>
Yeah, never lose that screenshot. <laughs> oh my god, we are seriously like five year old boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what people are gonna say? They're gonna You're racist just because he's black, he has a big dong. I'm like, I start off this episode saying they're both Italian, they both have big dogs. It's got nothing to do with that, people. Like, honest to God, I would have written that for anybody of any, you know, size thing. I mean, look we know I, I, Nicholas Cage has a big dong. Do, do I want me to go and edit his cage right now? Do I'll do it. <laughs> Before they take your access away, go on there and put Joan Allen has an exceptionally right. large dong. Done. I'm doing all three of them right now, so we can we can cover all genders and races, just so that we're not perceived as racist or sexist. I'm going to quickly oh. do this right now, <laughs> just while we we said at the beginning of this, oh, it won't go for like five hours. Uh, well, this is why it does. Can, can I just point out, you know, this is loosely connected here because Colm Fiore played a great prime minister. Um, Canada's first and only female prime minister, Kim Campbell, who wasn't actually Love voted her. in. She sort of took over when the prime minister at the time, Brian Mulroney, stepped down. Uh, her Wikipedia page, no joke, for about two and a half years, had not even with proper grammar and edit on the end that said, she was a real great prime minister. Like somebody <laughs> added that on there. And it lasted for two and a half years. (laughs) You know, I used to always question uh, in uni when they would always say, like, oh, no, you can't use Wikipedia. It's not a valid source. I'm like, oh, bullshit. Like, don't be stupid. It really is. (laughs) Um, Somebody I remember once reading the Madonna page. Probably was you actually thinking about it. But, like, you just read through Madonna's page and was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then it got to this point where it's like, this still didn't stop her from being a massive cunt. And I'm sorry for saying the C word. I know I've probably only said it about four times on this show. But you kind of had to put that into context. (laughs) And then just, like, the thing is, you did not expect it. It wasn't like somebody completely graffiti. It was the most, like, obscure reference. It came out of nowhere. It was like, oh. Okay, that shouldn't be in there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just make our goal before the end of this episode that we can have every member of Face Off be known for massive dogs. All right, I've done Joan Allen's. I've taken the screenshot. I'm just getting into Nicholas. I think think Nicholas Cage is locked. It says this article is semi-protected. Oh, I can't edit. Nicholas Cage is, damn it. (laughs) Can we 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 do Travolta's? (laughs) 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 That's the opposite. He's known for his exceptionally small dong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Now it's time to get serious, Ben. Um, Shut up, Colin. Let's I, move on. <laughs> I wanted to let, let the no, world know about massive dongs, all right? That's my new no way more, in life. No more dong tra- talk here. Um, <laughs> Travolta doesn't have a dong. Cage doesn't have a dong. Wisdom has no dong. Joan Allen does not have a dong. We're not even up to the scene yet where we need to be talking about the dongs, and we're still on <laughs> dong watch. Let's, let's save our dong talk for the dong scene still to come. <laughs> Um, well, we're almost there, I guess. Uh, so the date night, I guess this is, uh, it's kind of is the dong <laughs> scene then, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's him reading, I guess he, he comes home and all that. There's the thing where he, um, uh, this is caster as Archer, you know, drives up and misses the house. And this is what I was want to ask about because you mentioned like we had these, you know, great soundtracks and everything for the other anniversary month movies. And uh, you kind of missed the In Excess song of this, which I don't know, was it really even part of the soundtrack? I mean, here it was promoted as being in it, but was it, was this even a big deal or is In Excess even a big deal there? Oh, In Excess is a, is a very big deal here. Uh, I mean, they would be probably alongside ACDC, our biggest ever international band. Um, I mean, they did a... 
a very good miniseries probably about two years ago on um, sort of on the band. And uh, the guy who played Michael Hutchins is was brilliant. And it was a fantastic... Like, it, even if you just know a little bit about In Excess, I heavily recommend looking it up. It was called In Excess, Never Tear Us Apart. But very, very good little miniseries about them. And, I mean, it's also just about to be the 20th anniversary of Michael Hutchinson's death. So uh, kind of a bit yeah. in the media here in regards to that. But, yeah, I was reading about this song. Um, it, it was, I think, kind of loosely tied in with the movie. Um, apparently, I'm reading here, it was never released as a single, and it was sort of promo tied in with the movie. Um, but I, apparently, it was actually written more so um, by Michael Hutchins in regards to um, his dislike of Liam Gallagher from Oasis. <laughs> so, <laughs> apparently, all the lyrics are just actually more related to their feud rather than actually uh, the movie. But apparently, I also reading here that Nicolas Cage was a big In Excess fan, and um, Michael Hutchins dedicated... Uh, a couple of songs from that he was at a concert in Montreal and uh, climbed up and sang alongside Nicolas Cage. So there's footage that we need to see Nicolas Cage alongside Michael Hutchins. Uh, you know, <laughs> and an showing us their dongs. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, Michael Hutchins would have the biggest one there. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's it's funny though because like you said, this wasn't released as single. I mean, it, it was here at least in Canada. I remember the song got a lot of airplay. Um, and I even remember there was a video that uh, maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was a video that even included shots of this because I knew this song as being, you know, uh, from the movie more than I remembered the movie. And I guess in excess, you know, at least in America, they had kind of fallen, yeah. fallen out for a couple of years. Uh, they were still fairly popular here in Canada, but the album they released around this time, the one had it. I think a better song this one elegantly wasted on it. Oh yeah. That song elegantly wasted was like so big here. I mean, you, you can go yeah, and you can go anywhere without hearing that song. And I think this song, you know, still it wasn't quite at that level, but I remember it being played quite a bit here. Uh I wasn't really into NXS growing up. I mean, I was maybe a little bit too young when they kind of broke through, but it was kind of sad because I remember like getting into the Elegantly Wasted song and then this one with this movie. And then all of a sudden, as you mentioned, it's coming up in 20 years of that. Michael Hutchins is dead. Mm. Um, but what, like, is this a song you were familiar with outside of the movie? Like you said, it wasn't released really as a single there. Um, no, I mean, I, I knew it just cause I'm an NXS fan. Um, so kind of, I, uh, you know, some of their music, um, but yeah, I mean, I would have been 10. I don't really didn't really listen to the radio that much in 1997, so I was probably listening to, I don't know, Barbie Girl by Aqua or something like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with it being a big, big deal here. Um, but, I mean, again, it's kind of like, I guess you've gone over some of your Canadian bands on some of these other shows, you know. Don't worry, baby, 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 or whatever that was. <laughs> um, any excuse to bring it up. But, um Crash Test Dummies, by the way. If people haven't listened to our Dirty Dancing yeah. recap, uh, <laughs> don't. It's shit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think kind of In Excess is one of those bands here in Australia that no matter what music they have, it's going to be, a you know, make the top ten or something like that. They're just one of those bands. Um, and, yeah, I just a side note, because I love to share stories. Apparently, I read on Reddit the other day that I just like to talk about myself and just brag, so I might as well keep up the tradition. Um, I, <laughs> I saw In Excess, actually, uh, when I was 19 with my dad. They came here just after they had that uh, reality show with the Canadian JD Fortune was oh, yeah. um, the front man, and it was an amazing concert. It really was. And I, JD Fortune, to me, sounds exactly like Michael Hutchins. So um, I think that they lo- they lost a big hit by not keeping him on uh, as much as they did. That's just a random fact about In Excess I thought we'd share. Um, but In Excess Oz, coming soon to the Oz Network. Yeah. Uh, seriously, though, like in all seriousness, we should probably, you know, maybe the 20th anniversary of Michael Hutchins cover, um, you know, Never Tear Us Apart, the In Excess story, because it was, it was a brilliant miniseries. It was really good. 
I'd be willing to do that. Um, I like In Excess. I like this song. Uh, it's it's funny to me, though, that this song's included here because this is such a 90s thing that most movies didn't have uh, a lot of music in it, despite what people think. There were a lot of soundtracks in the 90s, but the movies were basically dominated just by the scores, and then one or two songs were usually thrown in there in the end credits, and then they would market a whole soundtrack. Face Off didn't do that. They put, like, let's put one song in there. But it was like such a 90s thing. You have to have a song to play on the radio where you could have a music video that can promote the movie with. It, it almost yeah. feels odd to have, you know, Don't Lose Your Head playing as Caster Troy as Sean Archer is driving up to his house in the suburbs. And that, that 90s thing, because, like, I mean, uh, you know, growing up kind of obviously pre-YouTube when you used to, here in Australia, it was a TV show called Rage. You'd get up on a Saturday morning to watch the, you know, the film clips. And, yeah, you would always have these film clips that would... They'd be their own film clip for the most part, but you'd always kind of have the cut-in scenes of, like, you know, like kind of thing what you may be mentioning. I haven't actually seen the film clips of this song, but um, that was, yeah, such a 90s thing um, where they would have these tie-ins in terms of the thing. And it, I I did recently see, a, I want to say, a, a film clip not that long ago from, like, 2017 where they tied in, like, shots from the movie into their film clip, and it just looked weird now. You're like, oh, they haven't mm-hmm. done that in a while. You know, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's interesting. Like, um, I remember the, uh, Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith when they kind of had that scene from Armageddon oh, yeah. with Liv Tyler, like, on the screen, meant to be, like, rubbing the face of her in-movie dad, Bruce Willis, <laughs> yet she's doing it with her real-life dad, Steve Tyler. It's kind of a bit creepy, but anyway. Can you imagine, like, Dunkirk, you know, having some... <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to close my eyes! <laughs> Justin Bieber's hit from Dunkirk. Oh my awkward God. shots of Tom Hardy behind his mask. <laughs> no. Um, so there was more to this. There was more to this than him just driving up and in excess playing. We just had to go off on an excess for a minute. Um, I like that he misses the house and he kind of just drives past his own wife there. Uh, and when he's in the house, we a couple of. Uh, other quick scenes here you know he's reading the diary of eve and it's like date night right and he's like we haven't made love in two months and he just throws the book what a loser <laughs> i mean seriously like is that a thing still that people did that in diaries like i mean i guess this was pre-blogs so people actually had to write their thoughts right and not have everybody share them but um, i mean what other I- things are there in there like well- Dear diary. <laughs> my mum used to keep a diary. I remember my mum used to keep one when I was little. And I think one time, like, I read it because I'm a little shit. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of like one of those things that, like, I every year would say, I'm going to keep a diary. I'd do it for, like, two days. And I'm like, fuck this, she's boring. <laughs> just, like, throw it out. <laughs> I just need, I need to have a platform in about 20 years where I can express myself and talk about myself on a radio show that's broadcast on the internet. Oh, wait, podcast. Hello. <laughs> The Ben Diaries, coming soon to the Oz Network. <laughs> God, that, that would be a very interesting show. We also get Ben's favourite scene of the movie, oh. um, a teenage girl in her underwear. <laughs> oh. Can we just talk about this for the writing hour? Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's you know a pleasantly distracting scene, I think, for a 16-year-old when I saw this. Um, <laughs> uh, I will say I always confused uh, this actress, Dominic Swain, with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Like, not, not, I mean, in this movie, I was aware this is not Kirsten Dunst, but you see them in anything else after this, and I'm just assuming they're the same person half the time. Yeah, um, I see the resemblance. Yeah, I think she's slightly more tolerable than Kirsten Dunst was, at least at this point. Uh, but th- th- here's our first bit of weird, creepy dad checking out his daughter scene. Um, 
really the only moment where he gets stripped up to yours where he calls her Janie and is like, Janie? It's like, <laughs> and he has to look at the pillow. It's like, I mean, Jamie. <laughs> I just wanted to like, tell me, what are my meds, Dad? <laughs> uh, but, um,. Yeah, what else do we have here? Um, the the we, Pollux gets out of prison. We'll just kind of breeze through some of this here. Uh, the scene where he, there's another nod here where um, they're kind of picking apart, like I said, with Nicolas Cage's hairline and everything, and John Hall's love handles. He's like, this nose, this hair, this ridiculous chin. <laughs> Which which John Travolta I read apparently was not happy with. He apparently took oh, really? exception to that line because uh, I guess that's a well-known trait about John Travolta, his chin. And yeah, from yeah. what I read in the IMDb trivia, they said he took exception to that line. Mm. Yeah, it's it's hilarious though. And I, I like that these guys kind of make fun of themselves in this movie. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the escape plan here. Uh, the inspiration for the movie Escape Plan with <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Which, for me, this is a bit of a complaint because as much of a defender as I am of this movie, and especially as a teenager watching this, you're going to defend it no matter what. This always bothered me, even the first time I saw it, where it's like, this is the highest security prison. And we've gotten this scenario where we both said, like, it's like, how do you actually get out of this? Like, they have wrapped up the movie in a way where you're like, I don't know how they could end this. Everybody's dead. How does he switch his face back? And he just escapes from prison with basically no effort. If he had even had a couple of scenes where he's trying to plan this and talking to, uh, you know, these other guys uh, about, oh, I need to get out of here, maybe it would make a little bit more sense. But he's just like, I need to get out of here. And then all of a sudden he picks the fight. You know, he goes in for the shock treatment and, oh, how coincidental, Dubov is there. And how coincidental, (laughs) I'm just going to take a gamble and say, hey, guess what? I didn't touch your wife and your sister. You want to break out of here with me? And then they just have this miraculous breakout with almost and it's a great action scene but it's just the ease in which it happens in this high security prison uh, one of the few moments in the movie where i feel like it's a little bit too rushed on john woo's part um this the music is playing here we talk about the soundtrack i love the the score that plays here for the escape music and i didn't even realize this uh because obviously he wasn't a big deal at the time but the guy did the music in this movie john powell I mean, he's gone on to you know be a huge composer. Uh, I remember when he did the music for the Bourne movies; it was like something I'd never heard before. And then most recently, How to Train Your Dragon, which you know I'm like a huge movie score nerd, and How to Train Your Dragon is probably up there with, on level with like the Star Wars scores. I mean, it's just incredible. And he'll be doing the Han Solo movie, which is exciting too. Um, but yeah, I love the music in here. Uh, this is basically everything you expect when i said this movie's not like your typical big blow-up action movie this sequence is it's just sparks everywhere guns big stunts um feet on fire oh my favorite moment (laughs) (laughs) you're like come on burn burn more burn more (laughs) (laughs) i want to see panic i want to see fear in your eyes (laughs) i don't remember what we were watching i mean people are gonna think i'm sick but you are obviously you've never listened to any of our other episodes so i'm the jailbag guy you're the guy who likes to see things getting burnt it's fine not even things it's just people 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 sorry, on people. fire seems funny to me it's not like i get enjoyment burn burn and I'm, i imagine the smell of your your burning flesh we, 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 like we have an episode like upcoming on our our third watch rewatch which i think you might need to join us on because there's a scene where four teenagers <laughs> get burnt to death in a car which i think you might like so 
You make me sound so sick, but I just might be. I don't know. You really do. Um, uh, I mean, it's like my favourite. I think it's the best episode of the entire show. It's a brilliant episode, and it's tragic. But uh, look, let's just get Colin Hilding on to go, ah, those teenagers were drunk and dead. Ha, 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 they're burning to death. It's funny, though, because I was watching Volcano, uh, as I mentioned, oh, the other night. And <laughs> how many times is Volcano going to come up in this episode? They came out the same year. It's relevant. Uh, you know, when all of the... Uh, like uh, volcanic eruptions are going on and just these people are getting hit by flame balls and stuff and they're all bursting into flames and I just burst out laughing in bed with my wife and she's like, you're really sick. John Carroll Lynch <laughs> is like melting in lava. It's a dramatic scene Slap. and you're Slap. like, ah, he's burning to death. Look at his legs, they're disappearing. Yeah, even even she laughed at that part, so maybe it's rubbing off on her. You'll be laughing at burning people soon, just, and I'll just, be. You're never welcome to Australia in bushfire season. When all of a sudden they come on the news and like, oh, tragedy in Melbourne, a hundred people died in a bushfire. You're gonna be like, ah, a hundred people burnt to death. Oh, don't get me started. I'm gonna get into a laugh attack right now. Uh... <laughs> let's go back to but dongs. Let's let's laugh about dongs yeah. again. That's more appropriate. Um. Yeah, there's the the escape sequence is awesome. You know, when they come out in the middle of nowhere, I do wonder, like, how does he get away? Like, do we ever find out? He just sort of jumps off. Where does he go from there? Like, yeah. how far away is he planned? I, I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I'm with you. There's a few bits in this section which are like, um, what? <laughs> I think also in the middle here we get uh, the rush thing of Pollux being turned. You know, he's in there and... They're whining and dining him now, uh, but of course Archer's going to make himself look like the hero. This is the beginning of him getting on Time Magazine. You know, Pollux is giving up the information to his brother, posing as Archer, so that they can defuse the bomb and be the hero and everything. Um, after he does defuse the bomb, which I just love, like, the the arrogance that he does it with, you know, oh, just leave me be. And again, in reality, this cop says, leave me be, and he magically defuses it when the bomb squad can't, and he comes out and... Even the way he appears on the news, like, what was the line he has? Like, uh, checkmate or something like that. You're good. Inception. Your move. Very uh, Jim Carrey esque. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would think that. It's like, he's doing his best Jim Carrey now. Like, yeah. At one point, Jim Carrey was cast in this to play caster. <laughs> and Travolta wasn't told till three days into filming. No, it's Nicholas Cage. Who, who, knew, who knew John Travolta could really do a perfect Jim Carrey? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess, I guess we'll just. I don't even know if there's a logical place to end this here. Um, His employees all love him now because, as we said, he's now the world's greatest boss. He's the world's hero. And then he goes home, and Joan Allen loves him. And I just wanted to point out, this is the dong scene, I guess. uh, It is the dong scene. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to point out, I I just, I I found it fascinating to me that the, the two years that Joan Allen has where she does Face Off and then Pleasantville... And basically sleeps with every leading man in the movie, whether she's married to them or not. Didn't sleep with Tobey Maguire? <laughs> well, Jeff Daniels, William H. Macy. I mean, she probably never slept with William H. Macy, but still. <laughs> she's, she's kind of the two-timing housewife of the 90s here. At, at, least, at least she doesn't have, like, uh, you know, John Travolta coming home going, Where's my dinner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's not masturbating in a bath in this one either. Can I just point that out? <laughs> Fuck, I love Pleasantville. Probably was two months without uh, making love to her husband there. She was writing about in her diary. <laughs> we don't know what she was doing in the bath then. <laughs> she, she, um, she needed um, uh, Reese Witherspoon to teach her the joys of yeah. touching herself. <laughs> um, I'll 
cap it there, I guess, uh, before we get into um, the the Mikey scenes, which I guess is an important bit. So whatever you want to talk about in there, just have at it. All right. Well, anything I want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back. Okay. So jail baits in her panties. On the Ben Diaries today, I saw a girl in her <laughs> panties on Face Off. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I went and had a bath and Reese Witherspoon told me what to do. Um... Yeah, this is again why I had a comment online the other day about me that I have some weird, like, I'm always creepy in the way I comment about uh, attractive women. Um, yeah, it's true. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> again, it's why I'm single, people. This is, people need to go through, like, the evolution of our podcasts and go back to, like, when I wasn't single. I mean, I was kind of creepy, but I wasn't over-the-top creepy. Now that I yeah. am single, it's kind of like, yeah, there's you need a girlfriend, Ben, to calm yourself down. So, <laughs> you do have to just because I know we're getting in trouble. We do need to put this into context. I was 16 when this movie came out. Ben, how old were you when I this was movie came out? Ten. All right. Can I just point out, Dominic Swain is seven years older, older than, than me. both of us. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she was older than both of us. So a- again, it's like if I watch Harriet the Spy now, it's cr- probably creepy for me to say I'm madly in love with Michelle Trachtenberg in that movie because she's like 11. But again, at the time, I was like nine. And that was probably, in all seriousness, the first crush I ever had was Michelle Trachtenberg watching Harriet the Spy. So when I'm watching this, I mean, Harriet the Spy doesn't walk around in her panties. So, like, I mean, this is a big step up for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, just pointing that out there. Um, but I, I love the bit when he, yeah, he's driving along and he reverses back. And what does like Joan Allen say? Like it's only a matter of time before you forgot where we you live. You forgot where we live. <laughs> um, and I think you mentioned though, like it's it's very convenient that she just happens to be walking outside at that time. Like, are we missing a scene? Like he's driven around the block like five times before finally <laughs> she's there. Um, and I, I like what does he the line he say when he says like. Um, Hate to see you go, but love to watch you leave or love something. Love to watch you leave, yeah. That's Nicolas Cage. Like, that is so mm-hmm. Cage. Um, and what does he say, like, when he pulls up, like, and he's like, oh, I may never get hard again. <laughs> he's, like, driving around looking at the neighbourhood. And then he drives past Joan Allen. Yep, yep. Um, just just on um, dear old Jamie, can we just point out that she's on the phone to a guy that is going to get a bit rapey soon? Um, mm-hmm. So, like... Like he, what did she say? Like, oh, that poem you sent me was very kinky, Carl. And like walking around in a pan. What's going on here? Are they about to have phone sex? Like, do we need to have like John Travolta walk in five minutes later and then it gets even more creepy? Uh-huh. <laughs> now, phone sex colonies when two people love each other but they can't actually be in the same room. So they. That's use- <laughs> now it all makes sense. <laughs> I never understood this movie on this level until now. There you go. You need the disgusting perv like myself to explain it to you. But, um, I mean, the thing that kind of baffles me about this whole, like, scene, and, you know, I get why it's meant to be creepy, because it's not really her dad. So, of course, you know, when you said that line earlier on about, like, oh, is Jamie ripe yet? But, like, you know... In, in, I have a sister, you have a sister, and I'm sure growing up you had many moments when, like, you know, your sister requested space, as teenage girls do. Um, mm-hmm. Like, in no way is this plausible that a teenage girl would let her father walk in and not be like, Oh my god, Dad, get out of my room! Particularly when she's about to have phone sex with Carl, and, like, walking around in her panties, and just, like... I, yeah. Like, she's just not... She's too okay with it. This, <laughs> the scene... 
makes her seem creepier than yeah. the dad because at least you know the dad is Nicolas Cage. With her, you're like, why is she okay with this? Yeah. Her dad's flirting with her. And particularly the way that she, he leans in over her to get the cigarette and she's just kind of looking at him. Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got a daddy complex, my dear. Um, you, yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, I, I think it's, it's still like a funny scene though because, again, it's like – this is very incestuous, but we know that's not really John Travolta, but she doesn't. Um, anyway, uh, that's another movie. Um, but what is... Um, I don't get how Pollux is so... Like, he he gets... He knows it so quickly. Like, we're missing a scene there, I feel. That, like... Because we've kind of gone over how he's a bit sceptical of Nicolas Cage in prison. But when, obviously, he gets let out... I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Like, he's he's so quick to just, like, working with him. Like, again, surely yeah. they're telling him... But, like, can we just point out that maybe they didn't need to do the whole face transformation thing in general? Because, like, maybe Apollo is very uh, more manipulable than they're giving him credit for. <laughs> and maybe the whole point of this... Sean Archer could have just pretended to be... Oh, yeah, I got my face swapped... Remember yeah. that time in school we played with little Tonka trucks? Oh, yeah, you're my brother. Let's go blow up the LA Convention Center. <laughs> yeah, because, like, look, Archer's wife is not that quick to buy this story. Exactly. But he basically calls her, Pollux, um, and notice anything weird about your brother? Oh, it's not your brother. By the way, I'm not Archer. I'm your brother. You'll notice my face is a little bit different. Just trust me. It'll all make sense. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of again we're discovering the plot holes that no one talks about in this movie and defending the ones yeah. that people do talk about. I do like the um the scene though when they're on the phone and um he what does he say like uh, oh now I'm the only one with the looks like you're not the only one with the brains now or something like that yeah but I'm the only yeah. one with looks and he's like touche like just the way he says <laughs> that line is just um awesome um what is with this prison showing like Bambi on the screen uh, <laughs> they have a line about that too that's like you know uh, about how it's going to drive them all nuts just watching the Nature Channel all the time and one of them says about the Salmon Channel being slightly erotic is that Pollux that says that or he's like oh I find the Salmon spawning slightly erotic. Um, that's me, apparently. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like, yeah, the bomb, like, the scene when he's, like, so cocky. It reminded me of, um, you would have no doubt seen the X-Files Fight the Future movie, um, where, um, oh, what's his name? I've, I've gone blank on his name. He plays Lock in Lost. Uh, is it John Terry? No, not oh, John Terry. Uh, Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn. I know there's a Terry in there. He's the FBI agent who just kind of waits for the bomb to go off in that opening scene um, and kind of tells everyone to leave. I love it. You know, the opposite. He obviously stops the bomb. But, like, how, what? can we just analyse this whole situation? You've got these two cops who are like, there's a minute and a half on the bomb and you just need to get out of here. Um, okay, are you two getting out of there? This is a bomb which we've already gone over is going to, like, level half of LA and cause, like, um, fallout and make people sick. And you're just so calm about this bomb. <laughs> like, yeah. it's going to go off. You need to leave. No, it's fine. I'll stop it. Are you sure? Okay, thanks, John Travolta. Bye. <laughs> like, okay, this guy's not like... like- <laughs> Seriously, buddy, you don't want to stay here. You are about to die, too. And they just drag him out kicking and screaming. No, no, I wanted to be the hero. <laughs> this, is, this is like somebody on 9-11 in the trade centers, knowing what's about to happen, standing in one of the Twin yeah. Towers, looking at a plane, going, no, no, it's okay, I've got this. Uh, guy, there's a plane flying towards you. No, no, it's fine. I've got this. <laughs> and then, like, you know, <laughs> meantime, he's like the Hulk, and he can just put his hand out and stop the plane. and be like, no. <laughs> but anyway. And, like... 
this is his entire organization. This is a bit of a plot hole about how nobody in his workforce catches on to this. Yeah, you know, because exactly. there are clear things that they should catch on. We'll get into later on with Lazaro's death. I'm like, somebody there is doing an autopsy and being like, it's not a heart attack. Why is there a chop mark in the back of his neck? <laughs> exactly. Like right here, it's kind of convenient, Archer, that you let Pollux out. And now all of a sudden we know where the bomb is and you're the only one that can defuse it, but you're not telling anybody how you defused it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and particularly when they say like, this is untampered, like we cannot, these are the bomb experts of the FBI. And they're like, yeah. no, we can't do anything about it. Uh, it's like, well, mm-hmm. how did you, like, wouldn't his fingerprints be on the keypad? And yeah, look, we love this movie, but uh, <laughs> there are just some things here that are like, what? And can I just point out, like, in what universe... Does an FBI agent who stops one bomb become Time Man of the Year? <laughs> now, look. Don't they wait for the year to end? This is June. It's, well, you're, you're ex- absolutely right there. Like, this is always put at the end of the year. And now, let's go to the magical year of 1997. Uh, the Time Man of the Year in 1997 was a man called Andrew Grove who was the chairman and CEO of Intel, recognised as a pioneer in the semiconductor industry. I don't know what the fuck the semiconductor industry is, but that sounds very important. And I don't know if, uh, you know, Sean Archer, for stopping one bomb, gets that distinction. A year later, Bill Clinton, the President of the United States, won his second Man of the Year. And previously, in 96, um, David Ho, a scientist who pioneered AIDS research... And yet a man who stops a bomb is the time man of the year. How many bombs around the world are actually stopped every day by the experts? Exactly. And then this guy comes in there with his tiny dong and impresses the world. (laughs) (laughs) And he's the man of the year. And I mean, it's kind of like, he's like, I'm sure it's great. He saved half of LA. Fantastic. But like, at the end of the day, like, does that affect the people in Somalia? Does it affect yeah. the people in Canada, in Australia, in fucking Burkina Faso? No. So why is he the man of the year? He's the man of, like, downtown Los Angeles for five minutes. That's about it. Not even all downtown. Like, I can't even remember what line it was, but I remember this as being something that's like, oh, it's going to be like a nuclear explosion and all of California is going to sink into the ocean. But they say at some point it's something like four blocks. It's like you save the convention center and about four blocks of Los Angeles. Like, it's not even that big of a bomb and all if you take in like account like the grand scheme of things. Judging on the context of this criteria for man of the year, Jack Bauer was the man of the fucking year yeah. ten years in a row in the two thousands. Um, James Bond is man of the year like 25 times. Uh, I love how this is like the biggest thing we're pissed off about in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Time Magazine, man of the year. I, I do also John like the fact, like, I do love the line when it's like, the president's on the line and your wife's on hold. Put the president on hold. It's like, ah, yeah. you've become a good again, husband. <laughs> because we know that the real nice husband, Archer, put his wife on hold for 10 minutes. Yep. At the beginning of the movie, so he could go off and chase Caster. So he really is a better husband at this point. You just imagine Bill Clinton on the line there, like, go, I can't do a Bill Clinton impersonation, I'll try at least. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. No, that's not even, that's George Bush. But uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Um, but <laughs> he's, he's, he's got Monica Lewinsky under the table. It's 1997. It's probably yeah. happening about that point. But um, I do <laughs> I do like it. That What's that Margaret Cho say? Like, oh, did you have surgery, sir? Because you've had a stick yeah. removed from your ass. <laughs> it's like... 
<laughs> wow, that's one way I to get feel five. for them too because like he he was a dick of a boss when he didn't have to be, you know. And and speaking of dicks, um, the romantic scene that we're getting here with Joan Allen. Now, look, it's all fun and games. We're all joking. Bigger dongs. Ha, 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 ha. Hilarious. But, like, <laughs> like, I've got to be absolutely legitimately serious with this point. Again, this is a plot hole, whether we sound like we're being silly or not. Like, there is no way in this movie that Castor Troy is not an amazing sex man. Like, he... He's yeah. like a ladies' man. He got an FBI agent to suck his tongue in, like, three seconds. He has women later on, like, oh, I thought I was your peach. I'm your peach. Like, I'm single. I don't know a whole lot about ladies, but I know that if this guy's a bit sleazy, but they're still wanting to sleep with him, he's clearly very skilled. So, yeah. like... He is going to town on Joan Allen. There is no way that later on when he's like, Sean Archer's back to be Travolta, the next day they make love, she doesn't all of a sudden go, oh, maybe I I want to see other people. <laughs> like, she's yeah. complaining that she hasn't had sex in two months. Women don't do that unless they want sex. So, therefore, she's having, like, her socks completely rocked off at this point. She's loving, loving, loving it. And yet all of a sudden, by the end of this movie, she's okay with having the boring, small penis John Travolta who um, just can't rock his socks that well. (laughs) Maybe it's not a plot hole. Maybe after two months, she's forgotten his dong. So it's completely the last thing on her mind at this point. Now, I I should really clarify that at the end of the day, size doesn't matter. It's what you can do with it that counts. Um, Just I've heard that. It's nothing to do with myself. But... uh... It's not relevant to me at all. Friend, relevant friend, to Colin, but not me. Friend told me. I wouldn't know. I have a massive dong, clearly. It's on my <laughs> Wikipedia page. Um, but, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I've lost the plot now. Um, but again, like he's becoming an amazing husband. An amazing... He's a cool dad. He's smoking with his daughter now and trying to get in her pants. And like he's an amazing boss. Like... <laughs> I want the sequel to Face Off, where they're all like, oh, you were better when you were casted, Dad. <laughs> um, but yeah, this I whole... cast were my dad. <laughs> we all wish Nicolas Cage was our dad, let's be honest. As much as I love my dad, we all love our dads. But, like, part of us sometimes wishes our dad would go fully, you know, Nicolas Cage. Like, wash the dishes, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> um... <gasps> The bees, not the bees. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's just Nicholas Cage impersonations always have to bring out the bees somewhere. Um, but yeah, the escape scene. Um, yeah, I'm with you with everything. It's like, it's so the way he's like basically like, I didn't really sleep with your wife. I didn't really sleep with a you know your your sister. Let's go. Like this guy literally was ready to like bash the shit out of him. And I know he's just had his brain fried. But, like, Colin, right now, I tell you, oh, by the way, Jamie and I are having an affair. Like, it's amazing. Then five seconds later, you and I are locked in a room, and I'm like, oh, lol, just kidding. We didn't really. Um, I have a little dong. She doesn't like that. Um, <laughs> are you all of a sudden going to forgive me in two seconds? Like, you've got to be hurt. Um, so, it's it's interesting. But, like, it's... um. Just the way it's it's a it's an escape of convenience and look again it's we know it's an action movie it's it's a movie in general like it's not a scientifically accurate movie but like how does he know the computer system like he jumps straight onto the computer and like types a few things and that helps him escape 
Um, we have the tragic death of uh, Jubov, <laughs> you know, falling off with vomit on his shirt. Um, and then when he, like, jumps out, like, this oil rig, like, you actually look at that rig, there's no way there's a prison inside that. Like, you see, like, the levels of it. It's like, where is all that section we just saw? <laughs> um, and, like... How is this a place that Amnesty International doesn't know about, the UN doesn't know about, um, and all these kind of things that they point out, yet there's, like, a helicopter buzzing around this platform. He's an escaped convict. How do they explain this to the media? Oh, there's an escaped convict. What prison was he being held in? Uh, we can't comment on that. <laughs> I guess, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah, you're right. Like, well, how does he get back, and why does the helicopter just give up? It's like, oh, he jumped in the water. He must be dead. Oh, well, what a shame. And then even, like, we get the uh, the FBI guy saying, like, Oh, he's escaped and he's dead. And when, like, Sean Archer's completely right. Travolta's like, have you seen a body? Uh, no, they're looking for it. Well, then he's still alive. (laughs) That's the one moment where he becomes the original Sean Archer, everybody's least favorite boss. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's kind of, even, like, if you think about this logically, like, you can kind of see the land in the, in the background, like, of where it is. So, like, he's had to swim there. Surely they've got more in their arsenal than one helicopter. They've reported that he's escaped. There's surely boats around there, and surely they're going to look at the shoreline there and go, okay, there's no way he can swim any past these points, so he's going to have to come ashore at these points here, cordon off the area. <laughs> I mean, again, this is the agency that literally was like, oh, we can't stop this bomb, but we'll let a man alone by himself potentially <laughs> stop it, even though we just said he can't stop the bomb. Uh, they, they are basically the Smallville Police Department. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, look, it's entertaining. It's great to watch. But if we're analysing it, it's kind of a bit weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, this movie's about to get really weird here uh, as we're about to get into the part that uh, Honest Trailer said, this all makes t- perfect sense if you're on a lot of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> No Which more drugs for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is basically where all the kids factor into the plot. We already know that Mikey, poor Mikey, is dead. Uh, as Archer leaves for the day, you know, he's he's being all flirty and everything. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, well, did you forget? And it's like, is this your way of not dealing with it? And he, of course, has no idea. He's like, yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about that thing that I never forget about, which was what, by the way? <laughs> and we find out it's poor Mikey's birthday. So they go to the grave. Aww. And this is what I wanted to bring up about the expression, because, yeah, we had that moment where when he does kill Mikey earlier on in the movie, you know, he has this look of, oh, what did I just do? And, you know, was that fear? Did he feel bad about it? Uh, obviously, he doesn't have the paternal instinct. Like, we, he doesn't know. We, we're going to find out about his kid later on, Caster's kid. He doesn't know about that kid as far as what we're told in this movie. Uh, But when they're at the grave and he sees like how Eve's breaking down, it's played very interestingly because it's not so obvious that it's like, oh, he actually feels bad about what he did because that would make him maybe more of a sympathetic villain. But he has this like cold expression on his face, but he's kind of being comforting at the same time. So I don't know. It's it's open to interpretation. Is that another moment where he's like, "Oh, I really wish that hadn't happened. This is too bad," or is it just sort of like, oh, "Better be the nice husband here and get this over with." Like it's it's hard to tell because it's played so uh, so up in the air and open for interpretation. I guess it is one of these ones that yeah, like interpretation. You make your mind up. I mean, I would go back to what I said earlier in terms of that. I I probably say he's just doing it to show a bit of sympathy because I want to picture him still as his cold, heartless villain who doesn't give a shit. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that that would be my personal one. But I mean, again, I think it's kind of one that, yeah, I'm sure people would say maybe there's a bit of sympathy there. He does feel a little bit um, bad for the fact that, you know, he kind of did kill this kid. Yeah. Um, the next scene where we find the other kid, I'll bring it up again because I'm interested just to know well, where would this movie have gone otherwise. Uh, quick phone conversation between the two guys uh, with each other, and it's like, if you're Sean Archer, I guess I'm Caster Troy. <laughs> it's just, just the most <laughs> obvious line ever. Uh, we're reintroduced to Dietrich here, Mr. John Cassavetes, director of The Notebook. Um, he gets his gun box delivered to him, which, of course, the, the chiclets are always his favorite thing in there for some reason. <laughs> uh, I do like the double guns, though, which is like one of John Woo's many trademarks. He used that like with all the movies he made with Chow Young Fat back in Hong Kong. Uh, it's kind of like uh, along with the doves, which there's going to be lots and lots of doves still to come. There's lots of double guns here. Uh, so they slips. I don't know. Are they slip something in there? Does he know that they've what? Is, what do they put in the drink? Is it a pill? Is it cocaine? What is it? Uh, I look based on my drug knowledge, uh, Colin. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Back in my days in the in the streets, um, you know, <laughs> dealing smack, um, I would deduct that that would be a drug that fucks with his head. I'm going to say cocaine. Look, I don't know. I have no clue. I think he does see it, though, doesn't he? Yeah. He does see that yeah, they put yeah, it in the drink. Uh, yeah, I, I always miss whether he saw it or not. But it turns into a really fun scene because, you know, he's going through the plan he's going to have with this and... You no, know, they're saying, oh, you need to get out of the city. He's like, no, no, I'm going for this guy. Uh, and this is where we get, like, maybe the greatest exchange of dialogue. Not just great Nicolas Cage, but greatest exchange of dialogue where he goes into this line where Face Off, the title, is worked into the movie. It's like, I'm going to take his face. And, of course, he holds his hand up to his face and then pulls away <laughs> off. And everybody starts imitating him. Face <laughs> off. <laughs> it's like face I try to teach my off. It's like when I try to teach my one-year-old, it's like, that's a car. Can you say car, Casper? It's a car. <laughs> Face off. That, that's how my dates go when I'm trying to like get laid at the end of it. I'm like, you take your shirt off. Yeah. And they're like, shirt off? And I'm like, shirt off. <laughs> they're like, that's the door. Leave. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say to me. You leave now. Leave. Now, leave. <laughs> Now, police, rape accusation. <laughs> Nine <police>. one. <laughs> what comes after that? It's triple zero in Australia, Colin. You should know that. Uh. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, and you, we even find out. Here's something that probably Archer should have thought of when he realized that he's still out there, is that he knows everything about it. You know, we see how paranoid he's going to be in the upcoming scene when he shows up at the hospital, thinking. Oh, well, the real Archer, as Caster, is going to show up. Do you not think that the man knows the security code for his house? He even says it here. The code's 10-19-86. Dead son's birthday. Like, Caster, the real Caster, as Travolta, is so paranoid that he's going around everywhere and, you know, uh, thinking that he shows up at his wife's work. Change the alarm code, man. (laughs) Don't just leave him to come in and, you know, take your wife out of the shower with his tiny dog and all. (laughs) And how does Travolta get in? Like, does he does he have to like wait around? Joan Allen, are you home yet? Well, you know the code, honey. No, I don't. You know the code. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, there's also the really great line there. It's like, well, how do you know all this? I uh, sleep with his wife, which, <laughs> of course, is a lie because nobody's sleeping with Joan Allen except for Big Dong Cage at this point. Uh, and, th- of course, that last one was like, you can take his face off. His, his eyes, nose, skin. It's all coming off. <laughs> and then they do that face off. <laughs> no more jokes for that. <laughs> I do love that line. That that. That's yeah. like, I think you alluded to a line later on that kind of, is, you know, explains this movie, but I think that's kind of the second one. It's like, yeah, there's no, no more drugs for him. Where, <laughs> two moments where this movie's kind of a nod to, this is really absurd and nobody is really paying attention at this point. <laughs> um, the second scene where Sasha's introduced here, which is great, where he's looking in the mirror and he's like, I'm me, I'm, which is your profile pic, the I'm me. And he just yep. wrote the single craziest face, which literally is mesmerizing. Oh. I'm not joking. I could not take my eyes off of it. And Sasha's just looking at it. There's so brilliantly played, just the, the, the way that it cuts back and forth between them, the way she's looking at him with this insane look on his face. Oh, can't even do it justice describing it. It's amazing. Um, we'll, we'll go through the whole sequence here. The, we find out uh, on both sides the paternal instincts of both of these guys. Uh, so the real caster as Archer, let's just say Travolta, bad, bad Travolta here. Hold on. You know, is phone yeah um and jamie of course is you know coming home from her date with what was his name carl carl bloody carl phone sex. yeah phone sex carl uh she's opposed to the car sex so it's just phone sex for her <laughs> um so he basically brutalizes this guy with more violence than we've seen out of him fighting grown men as a terrorist like this is the world's greatest dad i'm i i, I can't believe, i never saw it that way before you brought it up He's a good dad at this point. He's saving his daughter. He keep, takes her inside. He says to her, it's like, do you have protection? Which is like, what, like a condom? And just, he pulls out a switchblade and explains to her, stick it in his thigh and twist it around, which, of course, is going to come up later. But again, you're looking at it saying, why is Travolta not giving her this advice? Like, real Travolta. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, and like, going back to kind of creepy, like, maybe it's actually Jamie who's incestuous here. <laughs> the way her mind showed is like, you mean a condom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about sex, Dad. Tell me, weird. tell me, Dad, about sex. <laughs> <laughs> we need to cut that off here. This is going to go south really quickly. Um, yeah, the, so uh, as we cut back to... The real Archer as caster, Nicolas Cage, hero Nicolas Cage. It's so conf- It really is impossible to describe this movie at this point. Um, when he's sitting there talking to Sasha, Pollux actually sees him. So, of course, they're on to him. Okay, we know where he is. And the little boy comes in. And what's this boy's name, Ben? Uh, Adam, isn't it? Adam! Adam! We actually have an Adam this time around. <laughs> There's a real Adam in this movie. <laughs> oh, that went blank there for a moment. I'm like, oh, all right, Adam! There is an Adam! <laughs> Yeah, is is it Billy? Um, <laughs> was that the name? That was the name of the guy in Dirty Dancing, wasn't it? Oh, don't bring that up again. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I'm Patrick sorry. Swayze. There we go. Yeah. Um, so he finds out that this is you know Caster's son, which the way she explains to him is clear. You know, okay, he wouldn't have known about this kid beforehand. Uh, this is my question about: Is this part of the movie? Kind of like had caster known that he had a child would caster have been that you know we see the paternal side with him and jamie we see maybe that he feels bad it's just one of those things again open interpretation what would caster have been like if he actually knew this was his kid of course we're never going to find out um 
And then, of course, the gunfight erupts. So this is the other big action sequence of the movie. Uh, and we get the fun stuff with Over the Rainbow playing on Adam's headphones here. Uh, and uh, uh, when there's the showdown, this is the other thing I want to point out with Honest Trailers. Um, we have Archer and Caster face-to-face. And they're like, you know, look each other in the mirror and not pulling the trigger. Look each other face-to-face and not pulling the trigger. And Honest Trailers is actually saying, why aren't they shooting each other in the face? They need their faces. Mm. It doesn't matter. They can't pull the trigger on each other because they need to swap back. And, and can, why- can we point out that just the real-life facial transplant that happened in 2012, the first one that I said earlier, the reason why that guy needed a facial transplant was that he accidentally shot his face off. Uh, in actually, funnily enough, the year that this movie was released in 97, so he had like a completely deformed face because he accidentally shot himself. So clearly a gun, a bullet, is going to like fuck your face over even if you do yeah. survive. So yeah. And then what's going to happen? I mean, is Archer going to have to have Tito's face for now until the end of time? <laughs> he wants his big dong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dong off. <laughs> dong off. The sequel to Face Off. Um, I-, I did find it, again, funny, the uh, scene with Adam where Sasha's like, uh, uh, you know, pulling the gun and shooting people. And she says to him, I never want to see you do that. He's got his headphones on and can't hear her. Like, in his mind right now, it's like, that is the coolest thing my mom has ever done. And 20 years later, he's a terrorist like his old man because his mom showed him that shooting people in the face was cool. And he's got a shit dad who's, like, lame because, you know, he gets adopted by John Travolta. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The worst father in the world, Archer. Um, The other thing that's interesting that happens here, which is kind of subtle, is the idea that the real archer is having to fight his own people. This is like his team, his uh, co-workers, and they're shooting at him thinking he's the terrorist, but he can't really shoot back. And meanwhile, the real caster, a.k.a. Travolta, has no problem pulling the trigger on Dietrich. Yeah, or like just going after his own men, essentially, mowing them down. Yeah, so I mean, maybe he doesn't have the compassion, like, you know, I'm trying to make it out. I, I just want Caster to be a good guy. <laughs> I want him and Sasha to end up happy together, you know, raising their raising their child. And In the suburbs. He could be showing him, yeah, he could be, he'd be showing him, this is how you make a bomb, and this is <laughs> this is how you sing hallelujah, and just being like the greatest dad in the world. Caster Troy just, you know, doing, uh, you know, shuttle runs to and from school, and uh, taking, yeah. his, taking his son to soccer practice. <laughs> Like, like in the Family Man. That's what the Family Man is—the secret, secret sequel to Face Off. <laughs> Followed up by the Wicker Man when he completely turns crazy. The bees, the bees. <laughs> Dressed as a bear, punching women. Why not? <laughs> um, we'll kind of end it with this. This is like the, I guess, the last really big thing before the climax here. Um. Obviously, in the shootout, you know, Pollux dies, uh, and there's even that other guy. It's like, uh, why are you so sad, sir? It's just Pollux Troy, <laughs> which he says in such an obnoxious way. But, of course, he's going to turn on him. Uh, this whole thing is perfectly edited. Like, uh, this movie is your typical action movie, but there are moments, as I- I've said since the beginning of the episode where there's, like, there's this elegance that John Woo brings to this movie. And this is kind of what he does with all of his movies. John Woo, right before he started making American movies, he made what are probably considered like his two masterpieces when he made, like you, I'm guessing you don't like to read books. So I'm guessing you don't like to read subtitles. You've probably never seen John Woo's non-Hollywood wow. movies. 
No, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I've seen movies with subtitles before. Here's here's a completely off-topic thing. Here, do you know that the first, as an Australian, this might embarrass you. Do you know that the first Mad Max movie, which is in English, uh, when it was released here, the, the, I remember the first time I saw that on VHS, it was subtitled even in Canada. I don't know. If we you, had to subtitle so speaking English. I don't know if that was you who told me that or I read that somewhere. But yeah, I, I did know that that was a thing. I'm pretty sure it might have even been you who told me that. But I think that's yeah. funny because I mean, you know, you can understand me sort of, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like when you say dong, I know what you're talking about. When you say <laughs> sex, I kind of have to question what is this word he speaks of? Sex? Uh, <laughs> you put the where but, what? What where does that why does that go there? That's not natural. Uh, it really isn't. It's kind of <laughs> Wow. This can this, I, oh, this, is, this is just so <laughs> pathetic that you're the married one and I'm single and yet you said that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How did you have a child? Ben would make a better dad than I would. He'd make a better husband than I would. Come on, let's just say it. I'm the archer, you're the caster. Well, you know, I've got the bigger dong, so... uh. (laughs) That's not what I hear from the Ben Diaries. Shut up. (laughs) Uh, But, um, yeah, the, the way that the editing goes back and forth here, you know, with Over the Rainbow playing, like, it's it's very elegant. It's kind of, like artistic action if that makes sense and john woo made a movie called the killer i think it was like in 1989 and then he made a movie called hard boiled which is kind of like the hong kong version of die hard and just the way that he does action is so different with like slow-mo but not in a cheesy way and even the doves which can become a little bit cheesy i mean there's just something so classy about it and i just i love the editing and the sequence and even just the way dramatically it plays with pollock's death uh the movie can take itself seriously uh, and I think the audience can take it more seriously than they probably should just because of the way John Woo handles the action in this. Yeah, I I mean, it's interesting kind of like with the slow-mo mixture with it. It's kind of like I, I was thinking, watching, oh, God, this is going to get annoying, you know, having not seen it in a while and kind of having to analyse a lot more, but it, it does work quite effectively. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, as we are kind of saying about the amount of action sequences that are in this film, it never lets up. So uh, it is always very exciting. But no, I've never seen, besides uh, Mission Impossible 2, really anything else from John Woo. So, um no, I haven't seen uh, The Killer or whatever the hell it was or subtitled Hard film. Boiled. I think what's that? Um... You know what you would enjoy? They made a, a video game sequel to the movie Hard Boiled called Stranglehold, okay. which actually has Chow Young Fat in it. It's a great game. You should play it. Do you have to read in the game or do you just play? <laughs> no, it's it's in English and you play and you kill people and shoot. Pretty much sounds like a good game then. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just, um, I have nothing really to add on the grave scene. Sad, it's birthday, it's convenient, cool. Um, I just, I just kind of, I know we kind of touched on this before, but I, I love the bit when, like, he's on the phone and he's like, oh, have you seen his body? Then he's alive. And he says, get the LAPD on this. It's like, you're the FBI. Like, I mean, do you not have... An elite counterterrorism division of the FBI. It's like the Toronto Maple Leafs saying, get our junior team to play instead. Yeah. Um, which probably <laughs> would do better anyway, but... Um, <laughs> oh. I, I like the Maple Leafs, Ben. Uh, I don't Thank know why I called you Ben. Your name's Colin. My name's Ben. Um, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> See, we really have swapped now. <laughs> it's, it's come full circle. I do like the bit when he he calls up the hospital as um as Caster Troy and is like, "Your husband isn't who he says he is." You know, don't trust him. She's like, "Who is this? Don't call again." Bye. 
Like, I mean, <laughs> if you have somebody right now... Yes, we know that the real caster, who's John Travolta at this point, has called up every single one of his henchmen and had the exact same song conversation, like, Boss, you're alive! <laughs> Nicholas Cage does it. It's kind of like, if, if right now somebody rings you up on your phone and is like, Jamie's in who she says she is, don't trust her, and don't trust your son around her. Like, are you going to be like, oh... Yeah, that's a prank call. Or are you going to be like, holy fuck, who's saying that? <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit? <laughs> I noticed her dong was slightly bigger. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Don't make a Wikipedia page for Jamie. She'll kill me. <laughs> She'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she probably would. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, I love just, I love the interactions between, um, Cage and his henchmen just, you know, chilling around and like, what's that line that, um, he says at one point to, uh, to Dietrich when he's like, yeah, you drug dealer. <laughs> just so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot to even write a note on that. It's so funny. Because it's like, you know, if you're, if you almost like if you forget somebody's name, you're like, hey, how's it going there, big guy? <laughs> he just doesn't want to say, hey, what's going on, drug dealer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and just also like, yeah, we've, we've touched on before, those girls are like, I thought I was your favorite peach. No, I thought I was your favorite peach. Like, you know, just, just chilling around. Like, what is their purpose in life? They're just girls who hang around evil people to be peaches like i mean they're probably getting well compensated so good for them um but i i do yeah the whole face off that's just brilliant they're gonna take his face off like what if like they legitimately went along with this plan like dish was like yeah yeah let's fucking take his face off like, dish was like in fact let's take the girl's faces <laughs> off first and they just tear them apart let's take my face off right now <laughs> <laughs> Let's all take our faces off. Oh. I do like the mirror scene, like the face he makes. And like one thing I don't know if we pointed out, the prison breakout scene when he's like trying to become like himself and he turns around and does that weird face to his brother. And then he's like punching yeah. people. I'm like, I'm Caster Troy. I'm, I'm Caster Caster Troy. Troy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you did point that out, but I just don't think like this is a yeah. scene where he, he needs to be like in the mirror. Like, okay. Um, I love it when like <laughs> Sasha punches him. I mean, this, like, are we not realising before when they said, like, oh, you know, uh, your voice box could be, you know, taken out by yeah. a, a heavy sneeze or something like that? Like, um, clearly not getting punched in the face. Um, and, like, the surgery is that good that it's, you know, not going to, like, dislodge any stitches or anything like that of his face. Um, can, can I just interject something there? He's already tried to make the phone call and be like, you know, your husband is not who he says he is and all that. He was testing it out in the car and he was kind of pressing on his throat. And even though it didn't change his voice completely, it kind of altered it a bit. Couldn't he be like, seriously, I've had an operation. Listen, who can do this? And he's like, I am Caster Troy. (laughs) Like, it's still going to be, you know what, there's something wrong with you here. And maybe there's something to the story. And it's just the whole sequence that we'll eventually get to when he's like, basically, she believes him is when it's like, oh, I once had this date once and she chipped a tooth and we took it to a drunk dentist. Ah, Um, like, I mean, can't he just lead with that? Like, like, oh, hello. You know, this is Joan Allen. Uh, Again, we don't prefer them by their characters' names. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Joan, it's Nicholas Cage here. How are you? Good? It's filming a movie. Oh, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, can he just be like, remember the first time we had sex? Uh, I had a little dong. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> like, that's straight away. Like, if I've swapped bodies and I need somebody to know, the first thing I'm going to do with is like, 
remember that time we created a Wikipedia page and lol, it said I had a big dong. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like, it's straight away, you're going to say something that you know nobody else is going to know. Um, but anyway, that's just a small little thing. I, I do, uh, the, <laughs> the, the whole sequence there when, uh, Archer's like bashing the shit out of Carl. Can we just point out, Carl played by Danny Masterson, who obviously went on for, uh, yeah. being known, of course, in the 70s show. Um, but like, <laughs> this guy is just hilarious. The way he's all like, you know, just getting all raped. I'm saying that's hilarious. But when he's getting the shit bashed out of him, I love the way he just kicks in the car window and then he's just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> mean it, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, he's such a little <laughs> bitch. Love it. And like, let's be honest, like, Jamie, like, this is the guy who she's having phone sex with and getting kinky palms with. And yeah, okay, I realize that, you know, he's getting a bit rapey on her. But at no point, like, again, in a realistic situation, like, if this is her boyfriend, you're still probably going to be a part of you. Like, Dad, no, you're going too far. Like, yes, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know. Like, you've seen Forrest Gump, obviously. Of course. <laughs> This exact same scene takes place in Forrest Gump. Yes. And Jenny's like, Forrest, what are you doing, you idiot? Yeah. that's Well, I mean, that's just Jenny. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, anyway, that's another movie. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, it's just so creepy now that we've pointed out that Jamie's a little bit incestuous more so than a father. Do you have protection? You mean a condom? <laughs> Weird, I never saw that before. Colin, a condom is what you use on your dong. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We use them, it broke, and that's why we have Casper. Uh, <laughs> I really hope when Casper's old enough, he doesn't listen to this episode and assume he's an accident. I don't know if he is or not. He's not. Uh, don't be horrible, Ben. Uh, we love Casper. Um, I'm not starting bagging out Colin's son all of a sudden. What am I? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Like my wife has a dong. <laughs> my son's an accident. <laughs> Hashtag reasons why Ben is single and soon to have no friends. Um, it's like, Casper, they never wanted you. <laughs> I can't wait for like 20 years time where this is going to be like the father-son podcast because you've kicked me off. Because it's like he just he didn't like you, Casper. He's fired. We've taken over. <laughs> Um, the, the scene between, um, Sasha and, and Sean, uh, well, Nicholas Cage, whatever, when he's like, just yeah. jumps on top of him, like, do you want me to do this? And it's kind of like, well, we already know that, like, Joan Allen, in a way, is sort of cheated on her husband, kind of, even though it's a husband. So, like, surely he can get a freebie here too, right? But, I mean, you know, he's... he's oh, come the- on, if the guy hasn't wanted to sleep with Joan Allen in two months, like, <laughs> does he care that much? I mean, he's the most boring father and worst father and wife yeah. husband in the world, so... The one time he's actually, you know, faithful and decent. I'm not saying he wasn't unfaithful before. Um, <laughs> the one time. Him and Margaret Cho have been going at it every day in the office. <laughs> no, it's him and Tito, let's be honest. With that dong, everyone's sleeping with Tito. Uh, <laughs> uh, the whole sequence here with the FBI. Can I just point out the FBI are terrible? Like, they literally just storm this building and just mow down everything. In what world did the FBI not try to be a little bit tactical about this? They have no tactics yeah. here. They're just, like, storming the building. And, like, and this is brought, like, 2 o'clock in the morning in, a, you know, an oh. area of L.A. Are people not, like, going, why is there a massive, like, war battle happening in downtown L.A. right now? Oh, it's that man who won time of the year. It's, uh, it's the person yeah. of the year. 
That's okay. Let's let him shoot up a building here in LA. These FBI agents, like, there's no, like, stop, FBI! They just, like, shoot the shit. There's a little kid here. <laughs> like, the FBI Yeah, exactly. In the middle, nobody there is like, somebody get the kid out. Exactly. They are so, so bad. Um, and again, we're picking out these plot holes. We love this movie. It's a great action scene, but let's analyze this. The FBI, FBI are terrible. Um, I do, oh, I, I do. Mean, in all fairness, the scene that's coming up where uh, he kind of kills a man, uh, his boss, uh, what's the guy's name, Lazaro? Yeah. He says to him, it's like, you know, you did this, you did this, you weren't supposed to do that. So I, obviously somebody was like, yeah, this was a really bad move. I just, I had to point out though, when you said like this, is, everybody's like, oh, look at the war going on in my backyard. Oh, it's just Time Magazine's Man of the Year. <laughs> Didn't the same thing happen to David Ho in 1996? It did. It really did. Uh, it's just like, what's all that noise? Oh, it's just a guy who's like saving people from AIDS. It's okay. Like just let, yeah, let, exactly. him, let, him, let him do it. Um, but like we live in a world now where like a police officer is questioned for the shooting of like one person. You know, oh, yeah. they were unarmed. What's going on here? Like, where is the media backlash over this? <laughs> like, just, oh, my. Again, media, we can't really comment. Uh, they basically gave Time Man of the Year to a guy who stopped one bomb. So, um, media are a little bit different in Face Off 1997. Um, but the um, the bit when uh, Dietrich gets shot, and I do kind of like the way he, like, holds his neck and he, like, says goodbye to Sasha. Although, can we point out... Brother and sister basically make out at this point as he, like, says goodbye to her. Uh, yeah. was, was I the only one at that point that forgot they were brother and sister and that they were a couple? Can, <laughs> every single time I watch this movie, I forget. And I'm like, wait a second. Are, are they a thing? Is, is this, like, something that, you know, is going on on the side when Caster wasn't paying attention? John Woo and his uh, hidden incest themes uh, in Face Off. Yeah. <laughs> two things really going on here. Um, but... The the mirror sequence when they, like, get there and they turn and, like, point the guns in the mirror. That's amazing. That, like, yeah. you know, we can sit here and say the FBI are terrible and all these kind of things there. And, again, as we said at the beginning of this, we're going to nitpick things. But we still love this movie. And just that shot of them in the mirror with the guns, it's just so good. And just even then when, like, um, Travolta or Archer, Troy, whatever, the way he's kind of like, you know, oh, let's, you know, let's talk this out. Let's do this. And then he's like, oh, well, plan B. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like let's just kill each other yeah uh, it's, it's just so good and there's another bit here with the FBI like why does the FBI have a bazooka and start like firing rocket launchers like at people at once <laughs> like at what point are they going oh this war isn't getting big enough let's start shooting people with grenades and rocket launchers um, the world's biggest terrorist is calling the shots for the FBI <laughs> I mean let's be honest that bunker in Pakistan when they got Bin Laden they didn't just walk in and shoot him in the head they went in there with full bazooka mode <laughs> that's why we never saw bin laden's body it's like in pieces everywhere oh yeah um we shot him in the head uh we buried we, him at we sea. wanted to see what happened if we took his face <laughs> off there is literally like this man walking around somewhere it's actually osama bin laden undercover um oh stop making bin laden jokes ben um but yeah, I, I do like that bit with that guy. Like, why are you so intense? Just pull it straight. Bang! <laughs> but like, I think as they point out in the uh, Everything Wrong With video, like kind of going to your point there, which you'll get to no doubt um, with Lazaro, like if they do an autopsy, like, he's going to have bruises on his chest, that sort of stuff. Are they not going to match yeah. the ballistics with like Archer's gun? 
Like, I mean, like, okay, I can understand that a lot of people are going to die in this shootout, so maybe it's just kind of collateral damage, but they've got to look at his head. That is a very, like, accurate shot, and, like, in the midst of a gun battle, which the FBI is starting World War Three in downtown LA, are they all just going to be like, oh, wow, somebody had a real precision headshot in the middle of this gun battle. Uh, so it's kind of like, match the ballistics, the bullet to this gun. It's like, oh, why did our terrible boss, who all of a sudden we love now and remove the stick of his ass, just uh, assassinate one of our key agents? Um, I do, I really also, just one thing I point out, you said, obviously, that it's kind of like, Travolta, uh, was Cage can't shoot his own men, but I do like that bit when he gets, um, James Denton, Buzz, and he kind of says that, it's like, Buzz, like, he, and he just kind of, like, knocks him down, and then he kind of shoots deliberately and misses him as, uh, uh, what is it, that, um, uh, Dietrich walks in, and he's like, I hate cops, or whatever he says, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, that wasn't one of the one-liners in the movie. <laughs> I hate cops. <laughs> I just love your over-exuberance of the laughter there. Uh, that was just a very Nicolas Cage moment. You're like, ah! <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole shootout here is really setting up the climax. And uh, I talked earlier about how, well, not just, pretty much throughout every segment of this podcast, but how great John Woo handles this massive story that should be longer than Titanic, and somehow he fits it in here. And this is a perfect example, because we went from this escape, and all of a sudden, we've been thrown this whole, the world's greatest boss, you know, he's uh, Time Magazine Man of the Year, and then the other side, okay, well, Castor actually has a son, uh, this is your plot, how you're going to get him, and then the shootout, and Pollux's death, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff crammed in here, in probably about 10 minutes a movie, but yet, again, it doesn't feel rushed, so... Uh, not that I want to spend more time talking about how great the editing is. I've spent enough, but just wanted to bring up again another example of this. Uh, the next group of scenes, not as much to talk about, but we'll kind of cap it right before the climax here. Uh, so Archer, it's is it? Am I the only one who's having trouble? You struggle to remember the name of the character because you're like Caster. I mean Archer, and then you just think Travolta, bad Travolta. That's why I think we just need to call them. This is the one movie we easily get away with by calling them John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So bad, bad Travolta here. Uh, (laughs) Bad Travolta. (laughs) Obviously, he's mourning his brother's death, uh, but he probably shouldn't be publicly. And his boss, who has a much smaller role in this than I would have thought, but I love Lazaro. Like he's such a great character. And uh, the actor, I don't know, I've seen, he's one of these guys I've seen in a million things before, but you, you can never really place him. Um, looking at it right now, Fargo, that's where I place him from. Saving Private Ryan, that's the other thing I place him from. He's dead um, any, Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> Way to kill the dream, man. Sorry, sorry, uh, uh, all the fans and family of Harv Presnell. Um, I, I totally thought we were going to have him on the show, but we're about a decade too late here. But oh, he was in he Lois great. and Clark. He was in Lois and Clark. Oh, that's a shame. Who did he play on Lois and Clark? Not Lois or Clark, I can tell you that. You like Lazaro? Yeah, I like Lazaro. I mean, he's, he's kind of one of those ones that, um, I mean, he's there. I mean, yeah, it's interesting you say, like, how uh, he could have a bigger role, but um, I, I think he's kind of got a satisfactory role. What more do you need than the angry, grumpy boss? I mean, John Travolta's the angry, grumpy boss for the most part when he's actually John Travolta, but when Nicolas Cage is John Travolta, he's kind of a semi-nice guy besides what he's about to do to his boss. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, from what you see of him, I, I think he's he's fine. Um, he's, he's not, to me, he's not in the uh, underrated character category. He's not in the Trudy he's or the Sven the category, but... Uh, you oh, know. don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, Lazaro, especially this scene, I just love the way it's played. Uh, you know, he's coming in, and he talks about, here's another thing, way ahead of its time, I'm terminating your war on terrorism. <laughs> war on terrorism was a thing before George W. Bush, who knew? He stole it uh, from face-off. He, there you go, he that's where he got the line from. <laughs> I just wish that we could have had George W. Bush saying, like they said in the face-off that I read about on the internet. <laughs> oh, don't we miss Bush as president? <laughs> <laughs> Good comic relief. Um, great guy, too. Underrated president. <laughs> but, like, in all seriousness, just on a side note, like, we all remember that time we are like, oh, my God, could we get a worse president? Yes, we could. And Colin yeah. and I aren't even under him. Like, we don't... He's not our president. But, like, we can actually you say that. Like, <laughs> look back now, it's like, you know, Bush was at least good for a laugh. Bush And he, the, he took it. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I, just, I remember the best segment on David Letterman was just great moments in presidential history. And they'd get there and they'd show, like, back-to-back iconic ones and you'd get George W. Bush going, I believe that fish and humans can live in harmony. <laughs> um. Lazaro, I guess, was the inspiration for Bush's presidency here, <laughs> terminating the war on terrorism. Um, and of course, he just keeps choking or, or grabbing his heart or whatever in the middle of the speech. You know, the second that he grabs it, and even the way that Travolta looks at him, you know exactly what's going to happen. Of course, he's having a heart attack as he's terminating the war on terrorism. <laughs> and uh, Travolta is, of course, going to have a field day with this. So he chops him to the back of the neck and basically kills his boss on the spot. Which, when nobody talks about the plot holes, they don't mention there will be an autopsy. This mm-hmm. is the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just going to buy, hey, I heard a lot of screaming and now our boss is dead. Uh, it must have just been him choking on a peanut. You know, It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a lot more complicated than that. Uh, but who knows, maybe the autopsy would have been done a day later. Really, we're about a day away from the finish of the movie here. Um, but I just love his whole death scene. And then Following this, we get the trio of scenes on blood type, <laughs> because it's never come up until now. Like, how long was he going to expect to live as, I say he, John Travolta, live as other John Travolta uh, <laughs> before maybe someone comes like, what if he had been shot in the shootout and he was unconscious and they said, it's time for a blood transfusion. This is his blood type and he's just dead on the spot. Lots of bad things could have happened. But blood type, um, that's obviously the thing. So... Uh, Nicholas Cage breaks into the house and uh, of course can you, you at this point you've kind of accepted him as the hero of the movie you don't realize like what his wife would really respond like hmm. I mean it, it, it's almost not quite over the top enough like you expect she would be screaming and maybe come at him with a knife or something uh, that would have been a fun way to do the scene but this is where we find out you know he, he's basically saying you know uh, you're not going to believe this but blah 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 uh, test my blood type and uh, or test his blood type as well and then um it was it this scene yeah this scene as well where he you mentioned it where he talks about the we went out for surf and turf and i didn't know this girl was a vegetarian (laughs) what if he had gone through this entire speech like i drove around all night looking for an all-night dentist and the dentist was drunk and she's like yeah that never happened to me (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't me that was your first wife or (laughs) that was your ex-girlfriend not sasha (laughs) damn it i told you never to bring her up again (laughs) <laughs> and would it be so bad at this point? I mean, Joan Allen's sleeping around with half the cast in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I did MJ. Find it... <laughs> I'm not saying that we should blame her for it. I mean, you know, 
Nicholas Cage comes in with this massive <laughs> dong. <laughs> I'd, I'd do it. I mean, come on. You know, anything to get in Nicholas Cage's pants and his massive dong. We'd all go there. <laughs> oh, Ben, you wonder why people question you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, Colin, a man and a man can also love each other when it comes uh, to sex. That's uh, another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you and Nicholas Cage. Okay. Hey, hashtag vote um, yes. Hashtag love is love. Can we can we take a bit of like a a, a side rabbit trail here? Um, <laughs> you have to ask permission. We do it anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. we went off about thirty times in this episode talking about dongs. Um, Nicholas Cage as a sex symbol. Okay, was this a thing in the nineties? Did I imagine this? Well, as as a ten year old who was very much into male sex symbols. Uh, I mean, I did have Ben Affleck on my book in when I was twelve. Um, that's, that's a true story. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he should be. I mean, who who was the sex symbol of nineteen nineties? Let's uh, you you talk. Well, I'll John find Travolta out. certainly was. Well, I'm going to find out who was the sexiest man alive, according to people. In uh, you know, we've gone through the Man of the Year from times, so the more like, important one. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's probably either George Clooney, Denzel Washington, or Pierce Brosnan. I'm guessing. Oh, or, or uh, well, George Clooney. Uh, good guess. <laughs> oh, was it nice? Uh, Harrison Ford was in 1998, and Richard Gere in 19. 19- we went over this in Dirty Dancing. Richard Gere's like Patrick Swayze. Like they always look old. <laughs> Well, you you do know that old people read People magazine as well, right? I mean, their audience is not 10-year-old boys. And like, Let's put Ben Affleck on there. But, like, I swear they went through this phase on People magazine where, like, they just went for the old vote. Because you look at this, like, you know, uh, Harrison Ford wasn't exactly young. He was 56. Richard Gere, 50. Uh, when was Sean Connery on there? Wasn't he around there at some point? Um, and then, like, Nick, definitely- Nick, Nick Nolte in 1992... <laughs> Patrick Swayze, not, like, they, they just go for Grandpa. Sean Connery was there in 1989. I mean, who the hell's Mark Harmon, 34 years old in 1986? Uh, oh, he, he, I mean, he, he was sexy in the 80s? Was he sexy now, isn't he? <laughs> hey, my mom loved Mark Harmon. That's one of the, I mean, I don't remember him. I think he was on, it might have been L.A. Law or something like that. And by the time I was allowed to watch L.A. Law, it was like in its final season. And I just remember my mom going on and on about, I think Mark Harmon was on. Mark Harmon and Jimmy Smith, those are like my mom's guys of the 80s. So <laughs> I guess by 1992, she was more of a Nick Nolte girl, I guess. I love how two James Bonds have been on it. So Connery and Brosnan was in 2001. Good to see that when I'm eventually on the cover, I'll be the third Australian behind uh, Hugh Jackman <laughs> and uh, Chris Hansen. Well, Mel Gibson, if you classify him as an Australian, I guess. Um, I just, I find it funny though, because, you know, nowadays, if you were to mention Nicolas Cage, I guess most women's rational would be like, ew. But I do remember a period in the 90s where Nicolas Cage was considered a bit of a sex symbol. And maybe, I don't know if this movie was it. I mean, John Travolta certainly was. Like, you know, even to this day, my wife watches John Travolta now in his 60s. And she's like, that's such a beautiful man. <laughs> she doesn't get that reaction with Nicolas Cage. But I remember Nicolas Cage being like, maybe it was like this time with Con Air where he's running around with all his muscles and an undershirt and a mullet. And it just appealed to all the trailer park girls <laughs> 1997. I, I just Googled Nicolas Cage sex symbol and um, two standout pictures, uh, three standout pictures. Someone's photoshopped Nicolas Cage uh, as Princess Leia. Uh, someone has <laughs> photoshopped Nicolas Cage shirtless on the moon with two puppies saying, wish you were here. 
and they've also done a Photoshop of, instead of the Brady Bunch, the Cagey Bunch, and they've Photoshopped Nicolas Cage's faces onto the bodies of the Brady Bunch people. So um, that's the extent of Nicolas Cage and uh, Sex Symbol. So maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just. Maybe I had a thing for Nicolas Cage. Who knows? Ah, we all do. Um, Let's be honest. I remember it was. It was weird the first time I heard that. But um, so here he's. You know, obviously not the one sleeping with his wife. You know, he he has to go through this whole thing. Uh, we'll find out later on. It's like I've been sleeping with that man, his husband and wife, for a week. Uh, but um, what I want to point out here is that this this is the closest we get in this entire movie to romance. You know, my favorite genre of film. Um, but I mentioned, like, right at the beginning. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Hello. I just heard... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Where did I go? <laughs> I, I wasn't looking at the screen, and, I, you know, the sound effect was identical to the sound effect when you hang up. Oh. You just sent me a picture of Nicolas Cage holding a Pomeranian. <laughs> Shirtless with... <laughs> I really wish that sometimes people could see the shit that goes on when we're, like, talking behind the scenes when we're recording these episodes. <laughs> people listen to these, oh, face-off, never heard a podcast, this is great, so professional. We're set the majority of these talking about dongs and sending pictures to each other. So, uh, welcome to the Oz Network. Oh, man, all those people. We're, when we were back talking about Dirty Dancing, saying, we promise it'll get good soon, face-off's coming. We're so sorry. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going to happen in Man of Steel. <laughs> well, I know what's going to happen in Man of Steel. I mean, think about the innuendos in that one. Think about his dong. My lord. <laughs> we promise we will not bring up dongs more than a half a dozen times during Man of Steel. Uh, actually, that's not true. My wife will pretty much force me to bring up dongs more than that Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah, well, Kevin Costner's in it, so. Yeah, um... Anyways, this is like the closest we have to romance in the movie. And I mentioned like right at the beginning that this was like a guy's movie in the way that most people don't expect guys movies. Because if you ask a guy what's like a great guy's movie, they're probably going to mention something like The Godfather. If you ask a woman what's a guy's movie, they're going to assume it's Fast and the Furious. That it's just, you know, flashy cars, big explosions, cheesy one-liners, and a lot of half-naked women. And that certainly has its place, but... (laughs) Most guys want to watch a movie that's just, you know, okay, perfect good. example. Good, yeah, good. <laughs> but where I'm going with this is that Jamie and I talked about this in the Star Trek Discovery episode, um, that just like there's women who sometimes they just want to go out with the girls, you know, there's guys who sometimes just want to go out with guys. You know, you just want to hang out and have a little bit of masculinity. And it's okay to have a movie like this that has no love story whatsoever. You know, Joan Allen's not there to take clothes off. Uh, she's not there to provide some type of love story so that the women in the audience will be like, oh, you know, uh, I was so bored. And then now all of a sudden we have this great romance subplot. It's just 100% a guy's movie. And I feel like that's getting lost now, that we don't really have movies like this. This just guys and it's about betrayal and it's about uh, deception and all this complex sci-fi stuff and terrorism and there's nothing being bogged down with like romance or anything like that like this is what guys truly want to watch i believe yeah i i think it's a good point and i think the difficult thing we face in in movies and this isn't me trying to get all political and controversial here because by all means what i want to do that um it's we do live in a different age now where kind of it's it's becoming a, a lot 
more focused on on the female side of things when it comes to that. So it's kind of interesting what you pointed out with Fast and the Furious about how you know a lot of women watch those movies. I for one have only ever seen one Fast and the Furious movie, and I have no desire to see any more. Um, you know, they're just they're not my type of movies. Um, and it's it is like. It is rare to kind of get just pure action guy movie anymore, um, you know. And if they do, they'll probably reboot it in five years with an all female cast. So, yeah, um, I don't know. And like, there's it, nothing wrong with no you know, some of these boots. Like, there's if they want to remake Ghostbusters so they can appeal to a, a woman's audience, that's fine. But there is a place to have like just guys movies. Like the original exactly. Ghostbusters is a perfect example. You know, it's just a guys movie and. Yeah, there is also a time where you need to appeal to both. Just like there are chick flicks out there that want to appeal to guys. Like I always say, You've Got Mail is the perfect example of a chick flick, if you want to call it that, that appeals to guys. You know, the guy is the main character. He kind of acts like your typical guy. He's just tormenting the girl for most of the movie. And it appeals to both sides. Just like you need even chick flicks that can appeal to guys to a certain extent, you need, you know, some action movies that will appeal to women. But that doesn't mean all of them have to. And sometimes you just want to watch a movie that's just a guy's movie. And that's kind of like what the classic James Bond movies are as well. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's it's important to have those. And, and, it's, it, and it's that's not a, a dig in saying that, you know, these movies are going out of their way to completely take out women in terms of them not wanting to see them. I mean, you've kind of implied about Jamie that Jamie would much rather watch like John Wick than, you know, certain other movies or things like that. So I, it's, it's not a simple case of all women will never watch a movie like Face Off. Uh, I mean, I you, we talked about Speed randomly. I remember when I was with Louise and she would never watch movies like this, but randomly Speed was on TV one night. She woke up and I was watching it and she sat down and loved it. She was like, what is this? This is great. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of... I, I agree. I think that there still needs to be a, an argument or a case that you do need to have a full-on guys movie sometimes, just like you still need to have a full-on girls movie. As much as equality is important, as much as, you know, you want to make a cinema experience, you know, equal for both genders, you, you still do need to have an escape mode every now and then for, for both agendas. As much as the women want to go and see, you know, Magic Mike and all those sort of things, like, you know, we, we want to see men ripping their faces off and um, <laughs> magic Michelle or something. I don't know. Um, no, dream girls or, or strip tease. Dream girls. What's worse? Dream Dr- girls. Dream girls. Or, I think oh, not dream show girls. girls. Show girls. That one. That's the Jennifer dream Hudson. Girls. Get the clothes on, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson, Broadway musical. That's what every guy wants. Show girls. Elizabeth Berkeley. That's the that's girls in the title somewhere. Strip. We'll go with strip tease. Yeah. Demi Moore. Why not? Um, that was a shit. But anyways, movie. that's just yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm not. I haven't watched strip tease, but uh, I'll believe you on that. So strippers uh, uh, take their clothes off, Colin. For I money. understand the concept. <laughs> I watched Independence Day. There was a scene in there that explained it. <laughs> hey, that one sequence in Independence Day was a much better movie for strippers than all of strip tease. I believe it. Yeah. Um, here's another funny thing. We're talking about 1997 here again. Another rabbit trail. Um, if people do believe, and this is just me defending my gender, <laughs> which is something I think, you know, the male voice on this podcast. I'm the feminist voice. Yeah. You're the male voice. <laughs> That's right. But just like I said, women kind of have this idea that guys just want to see, like, you know, women in bikinis and their titties are bouncing out, and then there's an explosion <laughs> in the background. Like, that's What's that movie. I'm watching that. <laughs> 
called Fast and Furious one through eight. <laughs> Maybe I didn't you know, need to watch these. <laughs> and and again, it's not that guys are going to complain with that, but like like I was saying, guys really want a movie like this. Here's your perfect example. They made two back to back movies about female strippers, showgirls, striptease, which are universally regarded as two of the biggest flops in history. Uh, 1997, The Full Monty comes out, a movie about male strippers, makes $100 million and became the most profitable film in history. Magic Mike comes out, makes like $100 million, you know, a huge uh, hit for that as well. So let's be honest here. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but like women, y- you kind of like some things dirty too. <laughs> well, and maybe more so than men. Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, that is yeah. like... That is like porn for women, which is a weird sentence to say. But, like, I mean, the whole reason those books and those, I mean, the books and the film became so big was because it was, you know, the the housewife and the the women, and I don't want to say housewives, but, like, you know, women who would get these books and kind of feel a bit taboo and naughty because they finally had something that's out there and them for there that's kind of like what men have with porn. And that was kind of just the big sort of revolution (laughs) when it came to that kind of stuff. And I've read bits and pieces of it. It's fucking shit. Like, I mean, seriously, I course, wrote better than that crap. And, and every woman who read is like, they never had someone like, this is dirty dancing. This is fascinating. <laughs> I'm, I, look, this I would debate have, would be more suited for I think I probably would have preferred dirty dancing if there was a contract <laughs> in a room and... What's her name? Dakota Johnson? Is it... What's her name in that movie? I don't I've know, never seen it. Big know. Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> fan, Colin... That's Dakota Johnson or something. I don't know. Is, she, is that the one with Nicolas Cage and the Pomeranians? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if Nicolas Cage is in Fifty Shades of Grey, I'm watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you take um, off your clothes right now and sign a contract. The contract. The contract. It's all over me. <laughs> I've never seen it, but that sounds like a great movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't actually know if that's said in the movie, but I'm just Nicolas Caging Fifty Shades of Grey. We need to Nicolas Cage every movie, like Nicolas Cage in Twilight. Yeah. I'm a vampire, which he was. What was the movie where he was a vampire? Was Nicolas Cage a vampire? Yeah, there's a movie where Nicolas Cage is a vampire. It's like, um, oh, I need to find that shit. It's like a. Pe- it's one of the ones that like often gets memes done about it because there's like a picture of him with his vampire teeth. I looked up Nicolas Cage vampire and I see nothing. <laughs> oh, come on. There is definitely one. There, He's a vampire. Oh, wait, hold on. Vampire's Kiss, Vampire's... 1988? Yeah, that might be, but I'm pretty sure there's another oh, okay. one. And there's also that picture. There's like an old photo of like the 1800s or something, which basically this yeah, man looks like Nicolas Cage. It is Nicolas Cage. It is. The man is immortal. Let's be honest. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Wow, that was a rabbit trail we didn't expect to take. Okay, <laughs> back to the scenes here. Uh, so the hospital scene, um, you know, where Eve has Nicolas Cage and then Travolta comes storming in. And of course, there's a guy here who has half of his face off. I get it? It's kind of a bit of a play on the title there, people. Uh, and of course, he's off. like, off. <laughs> um, I see the meme now with him and the fangs. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um... But yeah, you know, Travolta's just playing, oh, uh, I I just get so jealous or whatever. And then when he storms off, he has, like, the great line. Of course, at this point, he knows there's something going on uh, where he goes, lies, distrust, mixed messages. This is turning into a real marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's kind of where we'll wrap it up here. You know, they kind of come up with a plan here about how they're going to catch him. Eve, you know, realizes what's been going on this whole time. Um, anything you want to talk about there with Lazaro and the uh, blood type scenes? No, I mean, 
you know, like you kind of covered it in terms of like, there's going to be an order. He's going to have bruises on his chest. I mean, the guy just like freaking killed Bill, chopped him to the chest essentially. Um, and I mean, like, I think when you said like it's basically the next day, uh, you know, with all the, but like, uh, is there not, how, how long does it take for him to get a funeral? I mean, they get this funeral up and running pretty quickly, don't they? I mean, Jesus Christ, are they expecting him to die? Like, okay, Lazaro's dead, funeral in place. <laughs> well, we never found out. Why did he start having chest pains? You know, was Margaret Cho out there, like, spiking his coffee with some, there's a lot of cocaine in his coffee every day and his donuts. It's, it's a stressful job of being the director of whatever, and clearly, you know, Travolta gets the promotion pretty quickly. Um, there's, there's no review board or anything in the FBI. It's just like, oh, well, boss is dead. Put in Travolta. It's all good. We like him well, now. Time of the year, Mega Man of the year. Supposed to be Tito, but he's gone. Uh, we get Tito's dong out of the grave. I mean, that would yeah. be bigger than Travolta. Um, That's the hierarchy, so we know that Lazaro has the biggest one of all. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the dong. It's how you get big. That's how life should be. The person with the biggest dong should be the president. <laughs> and- <laughs> You know, the current. Isn't that how it happened this time around? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I'm not touching that Come one. on. There were two people in the election and one was a woman, Ben, and you're feeling this is controversial? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not commenting on that because I would probably say that Hillary Clinton does have a bigger one than Donald Trump just because <laughs> she's tougher and stronger and, and actually says things that don't incite a week's field worth of controversy about people kneeling. So, I mean... Let's, let's, let's just say um, she definitely has a big one than Joan Allen at the very yeah. least. <laughs> we all know Justin Wikipedia. Trudeau has the biggest dong out of all the world leaders, all right? Justin Trudeau's dong trumps all. To you Australians, <laughs> you're in love with his dong, among other things. His butt, usually. Um, <laughs> um, let's get into the funeral here. Oh, this is kind of. I the wasn't going to talk about any of the other stuff. It's all good. It's uh... no, don't bother. You're like, there's nothing really to talk about here. I was saying about the, the chest bit. I was going to get to the hospital stuff quickly. But... Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I was going to say was that um, yeah, like when he's in the room with Joan Allen when he's Nicolas Cage. It's it's kind of like. You know, let's imagine that Osama bin Laden shows up to the widow of a 9-11 victim. Like, I mean, you're not just going to be like, oh, hello. Like, what does he expect she's going to do here? And, like, again, he doesn't even explain. Again, like, as we keep saying, clearly John Travolta as Nicolas Cage can explain to his brother straight away, like, remember that time we did this and this? Whereas he's just, like, going on about something. I know you're not going to believe me. Then he, like, steals a photo out of the frame angrily. It's like, oh, yeah, I believe you now that you're really my husband who's devastated the death of our son because you're just breaking a photo of him right in front of me. Um, And I do love the fact that it's like the only evidence that she believes is because he's got a different blood type. Like, yeah. It's got to be a bit more extensive than that. Like, she, as a, Where's as the a, scene where she's peeking under the sheets? <laughs> With a tape measure. <laughs> His penis was only six inches last week. Now it's 40. What's going on here? Um, but, like, I, I, I'm no doctor. Thank God for that. This world would be in trouble. But, like, are there not explanations for why you might have a different blood type? Like, a contamination or... Like, does, does, like if a doctor right now tested my blood and I'm AB, and then tomorrow they test it and I'm like, oh, and they're going to be like, oh my God, he's switched bodies. <laughs> like, like, Wait a second. <laughs> Him and Noah have switched faces. 
I didn't know that Ben's penis was that small. He must be Noah Goes. Um, like, like, surely there's other explanations for this. That's the first conclusion. He was right. Um, and then why does John Travolta, the, the now director of the FBI... Just walk around with um, Caster Troy's henchmen. Like, is this not raising? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this not raising a few eyebrows? Like, if James Bond starts walking around with Jaws, uh, Mr. Bond, something's different here. No, no, all is good. Just keep walking. <laughs> like, it's just like we're pointing out the plot holes that no one talks about here. Um, Donald sat side by side with Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, Chelsea. You're not me. Nothing to see here. Keep walking. <laughs> um, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs walking next to a Stanley Cup. What's going on here? Uh-oh. This isn't. This isn't right. Um, yeah, I, I do like the way she plays it, though. The way she's like, I'm a doctor, I'm on call, like, fuck off. Like, you know, it's, I mean, the cracks are starting to fall through here with perfect John Travolta husband father. He's getting a bit clingy all of a sudden. Uh, he's getting a bit MJ. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I had to add. You can move on now. <laughs> all right. I didn't actually want to hear any of that, so let's let's cut it. No one did. <laughs> um... So the funeral has come very quickly, as Ben pointed out. And uh, I love the intercutting back and forth here between Nicolas Cage and Travolta as they're both prepping for this. Uh, you know, obviously we find out why Jamie's not going to be there. You know, she uh, stole out of her wallet or whatever and disappeared. Uh, it makes sense. You know, you have to, you're not going to bring your daughter down there. But of course, as you find out, Travolta's on to this whole time. Actually, before we even talk about that, uh, just one more thing to talk about on the the hospital scene that I tried to rush you through. Ah. When I saw this movie the first time, I was 100% convinced I had to figure it out. I'm like, his wife's a doctor. She'll swap their faces back. How come they didn't do something like that? I mean, in the end, it's sort of like, it's okay. We know what's going on. And no, we don't have no idea who knows how to do this procedure again. Well, clearly she's not a face doctor. Uh, I mean, I don't... Well, <laughs> neither is Margaret Cho, but she seems to be on top of things. <laughs> Because Margaret Cho can do anything. That woman is amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, since Colm Farrar died, he's the only face doctor in all of LA. So they had to, like, fly in someone from New York or something. I don't know. I can't answer that, Colin. Um, because the movie says so. There. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so as Lazaro's funeral is going on and, you know, um, Jamie's not there, but... Uh, we have all the scenes with Sasha and Travolta or Nicolas Cage. See, I can't even do it anymore. <laughs> it's not even possible. They are one person. <laughs> um, you know, he has that line. It's like, whatever happens, I promise you, Sean Archer is off your back for good, which is so cool to the audience because they're like, he really is a good guy. And to her, she's like, how are you actually going to pull this off? Um, with the, the doves, this is where all the doves come in. Are you familiar? You know, you said the only other John Woo movie you saw was Mission Impossible. Uh, you probably, if you're going to notice it in any movie, you would have noticed in that. But are you familiar with Doves as John Woo's thing? Not until really I saw the Honest trailer for this. So I don't understand his obsession with Doves. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I think it looks cool, especially he's always doing it in slow motion. And, you know, I, I remember hearing, I think it was in his commentary for Mission Impossible. He was saying something it's like, it's such a peaceful bird. And I like to have it coming out of like, fire and in the middle of gun battles and it's like this is weird you know really artsy type of answer he has for a guy who made a movie he about people taking their faces 
He wants peace. This is his, his message for world peace. Um, I love the dialogue they have back and forth. Again, we only have a few of these scenes between Travolta and Cage, and everyone's just gold. Uh, when he's talking about uh, um, you know good versus evil and all this, you're still not having any fun. That was like a great trailer moment. That every single line that Travolta has in this movie is so quotable, and you could build a trailer just out of all that. Uh, you know, obviously the the shootout starts to happen, which again a great shootout. Uh, I like that this climax starts so simple, and for a movie where we've seen like teams of people going at each other for the, the other big action sequences we've had. I mean, I guess we've had three up until this point, if you include the prison escape, but you know, the first chase on the runway in the airport, uh, the last one, it's Dietrich's house. And then with this one, it basically is just the two of them. And of course there's the standoff, but it more or less is just Archer versus Troy throughout this entire thing. But we get the standoff where everybody's holding guns to everybody. And of course he brings out Jamie's there. Um, why she all of a sudden started to start, decided to start dressing normal, I don't know. Uh, that's just the way <laughs> she that... She to impress her new sexy father. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, at this point, she kind of still thinks it's her dad. Uh, I don't, at what point does she realize it's not her dad, too? Like, that's kind of weird. Because she, she knows... She like, dong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. We can't go there. <laughs> but we, we, no, when, like, Nicholas Cage is holding the gun to her head, he's, like, pressing up against her. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. That's a small dong. Oh, let's try not to go there again. Um, I'm Tasmanian. I'm allowed. <laughs> oh, I didn't think you talked the Dirty Dancing reference to that. Let's just have that in every episode. Every time Ben says something inappropriate, it's Tasmanian, it's allowed. Well, just as the reference point, if people don't know the long-running joke about Tasmanians, we all sleep with our family, we're all incestuous, we're like the Alabama of Australia, so like, you know, no offence to people from Alabama, I don't know if they're actually the incest state. <laughs> I've never studied my American state. What's like the incest province of Canada? Is it like the Yukon or something? Or Oh, I mean, I'm from Manitoba, so we're going to say Saskatchewan for okay, everything. Okay, well, Saskatchewan. So, no offence to our Yukon listeners. God, I'm just offending everyone right now. Uh- <laughs> Anyways. I'm Tasmanian, I'm allowed. The- <laughs> <laughs> um, my favourite moment in here, and I, I want to talk really quickly about you know, my mom. My mom was not a fan of John Travolta at all, even though she was a teenager when he really broke through with, you know, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, or Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, she hated him from that TV show Welcome Back, Cotter, so much that even though she liked the movie Saturday Night Fever and liked the movie Grease, she always hated John Travolta. And I remember, like, when I watched Pulp Fiction and Get Shorty, and I got like so into John Travolta, like every single time she's like, "Oh, I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy." This was the movie that sold her on John Travolta. And I don't think she saw the movie yet. She just saw the trailer with all these one-liners I keep mentioning, you know, uh, particularly the one we hear where he's like, "What a predicament," you know. It's just like so, so much energy. She would quote that line, like, all the time, no matter what, you know, it was like her go-to movie movie quote was like, what a predicament line that Travolta had. This movie won over my mom on John Travolta. So I'll always be thankful for this movie because it enabled me to be able to watch The General's Daughter and even Battlefield (laughs) Earth at home in years to come. I'm for that one. I just want to add on that. It's funny you say that about, like, your mom not liking uh, John Travolta. I I was mentioning to my dad that we were doing this... And, you know, as I said, I remember watching this movie with my dad a lot. And I just said, like, oh, you like Face Off, don't you? And he's like, yeah. He's like, but I don't really like Nicolas Cage. So, you know, I'd rather watch some other movies. I said, my dad doesn't like Nicolas Cage. I don't know what's wrong with him. But, um, yeah. He's never seen him shirtless with Pomeranians on the good. <laughs> I'll show him that photo. And he'll be like, damn, I love Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, 
Sasha dies here. Aww. <laughs> it's so sad. Is she a bit of an underdeveloped character? Like, I mentioned that it kind of was just tacked on to have her early in the movie. I'm not saying she should have had more screen time or anything. It's just, it, it feels like it's too big of a character with her death. You know, Pollock's probably had the same amount of screen time that Sasha has. But it, it just feels like it's flat when she dies in the movie. Is that just me? Uh, no, I think it's, it's it's a valid point. I mean, there's only, what, like five women in this entire movie. And, I mean, she's, you know, her, she's the strongest. I mean, you might say CCH Pounder is, you know, been like in terms of strong females. But, like, I think she's she's a great character. And it's kind of, I, I would have liked to see, like, you talking about um, seeing more of, of Lazaro. I, I think, yeah, she's a bit undeveloped and it'd be nice to see. Because she, she does kind of, like, as we touched on before, like, She's brought in early just as a case of when she comes back in later, like, oh, I remember you. You were the one in the interrogation yeah. room. Um, so, you know, but, like, I don't think we really touched on it too much in the, the shootout scene, um, you know, at at uh, Dietrich's place. But, like, you know, when she's got the gun and she's, what did she say to, her, like, Adam at one point? Like, I don't want you ever doing that again. Like, when she kicks the guys in the balls. Yeah. In the balls and, like, she's awesome. I think she's, she's a great mm-hmm. character. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's kind of, it's a bit flat when she just dies. Yeah, it, it just... It's weird because I never really sat down and you don't really sit down to analyze this unless you have to take notes and figure out how we're going to talk about this for four hours. But <laughs> when I sat down to think about this, I'm like, you know, she, she her death just should have had more of like an oomph. <laughs> you, are you familiar with <laughs> I am familiar with oomph, but I just I love the way you deliver that kind of like a Travolta line, like oomph. Like. <laughs> We actually we had an ad in Australia. I think it was for Ford, and they were trying to explain like because the engine was powerful. So the ad they actually like it's just got more oomph. I'm like, yeah, it's got more oomph. So like that was like a catchphrase in Australia for five minutes. People were like going, oh, it's got more oomph. And we actually there's a coffee place in Hobart called Oomph Coffee. So I'm very familiar with oomph. Wow, it's more popular there. Maybe we got it from you. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah, you're bloody thieving Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> um. There, I love the, just the way that John Woo mixes slow motion. One shot will be slow mo, and the next shot will be like regular speed, and then you're back to slow mo. I mean, it's very you did the just you. <laughs> I was gonna say you did it to death and kill Phil, but I mean it's so much better here. Oh, when John Woo does it, it's okay. But when Ben Wallace, I don't have any doves, and mine's shit. Yeah. Pretty much. There's no <laughs> oomph in Kill Phil. I love your reaction. Where's your oomph? Yeah. Uh, well, the oomph was, of course, in the uh, All By Myself scene. Uh, that was... Yeah. <laughs> brought a lot of feelings um, of oomph. That was more people going, oomph, I'm going to throw up. That was... Yeah, that was... <laughs> All by myself. Um, I love the standoff with Jamie. Where, you know, his voice is finally... He just sneezed violently because now his voice is back to normal. <laughs> what did he say? Hear my voice, I'm your father. I'm like, I'm your father. Yeah, hear my voice. How about look at my face? When have you ever known a voice to say I'm your father? Like, look I at look my like dong. <laughs> yeah, we, it just whips his pants down. Which one's your dad now? <laughs> Joe Who's Allen. Dad? I knew there was something different about you. <laughs> <laughs> but like seriously when it's like listen to my voice what if at that point Travolta's just been like look it's not like people could just go around swapping faces Jamie can they what if Nicolas Cage could just pull off a very good John Travolta vo- vocal impression yeah like, exactly I'm, you know like all these people could do really good like <laughs> I was saying uh, what's his name from the- yeah well like, if you right now did a really good Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation holy fuck dad your face swapped with Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> Um, why does she actually shoot 
the other, or she, I mean, she misses, but why does she shoot for Travolta? Because, well, she, she doesn't she shoot Nicolas the voice? Cage? Like, first? I can't remember. I mean, she, she shoots Nicolas Cage I mean, she first, misses. and then... Because he has that line, you know, that no daughter of mine would miss. Because I think, like, she he was expecting her to shoot him in, like, the head, but she only hits him in the arm. And I think that's kind of where he's saying, like, no daughter of mine would miss. So I think that's kind yeah. of what he says there. That's That was my implication of it, because he was probably expecting her to, like, you know, go full-on shoot FBI agent in the head mode like he did previously. Yeah. Uh, I just love one of my favorite lines in this movie, just like subtle, hilarious John Travolta, where he does the impression of Jamie. He's like, Dad, put the gun down. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that. He's just Um, swapped faces there with Dominic Swain. (laughs) (laughs) Dominic Swain's dong isn't that big. (laughs) Listen to my voice, Dad. I'm Jamie. Don't shoot me. There's um there's there's a bit where we get to the end here where like the, we, we, the acting in this movie is you know typical action movie it's not brilliant but it's not terrible it's, it's there's lots of good acting but there's also some really like cheesy acting but uh, I think Dominic Swain takes the cake at the end. Hi, I'm Jamie. Oh yeah, Ugh, that's <laughs> awful. Chris and Dunst could have done that a little bit better. <laughs> oh my gosh, I could have done that better from Kill Phil. Like, yeah. Um. But the blade in the thigh comes back, which is hilarious, you know, because you don't actually really see that coming. Uh, this kind of uh, leads to, of course, we can't forget the one other line in the movie where they're saying what the audience should be saying is like, will someone please tell me what planet I'm on? <laughs> and say, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Face. Off. Off. <laughs> planet. Um, you're on. <laughs> the bees. The bees. <laughs> <laughs> not the bass, not the bass. <laughs> There's another part of the Wicker Man. It's like an underrated moment, but Nicholas Cage is, I don't know if his, his face is stung or something. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see that when his face was actually off when you just had like the the under part of his face. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, what they're doing to my face? <laughs> <laughs> we just we need to like restart this episode and just do it all in cagisms. My food, my food, my food. Another one, of course. You can't forget it's the wrong movie, but uh, put the bonnet back in the box. <laughs> I told you to put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> my stomach hurts. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Put the bunny back in the box. A B C. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Caster Troy! <laughs> I'm Caster Troy! Woo! <laughs> oh my god. Uh, just because we've had so much fun, let's stop before we get the boat in the, the fight here. So, how about it? <laughs> the boat! Not the boat! The boat! <laughs> oh, where do we even start? Uh... <laughs> 
funeral. Uh, the, fu- <laughs> the funeral. Why wouldn't we be laughing at the funeral? <laughs> um. Okay, so this is like the director of like the FBI, right? So like a pretty big deal. Um. Why has he got like five people at his funeral? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> World's worst director of the FBI. <laughs> like, I mean. I don't know. That just seems a little bit sus that there's just this. And, like, what is this place that they're having a funeral at? Like, a little beach house? Like, is this where, you know, Ryan hang out in the back of the Coens on the OC? Like, I mean, it's just some tiny little shed. <laughs> and, like, you know, gets all Jesus-y. And, I mean, it's kind of... I, I like the um the scene there, which I think they point out in uh, Everything Wrong With, where... Uh, Travolta comes in and he does the whole like symbolism with Jesus when he like he hangs his arms out like it's kind of like just in case you don't know he was being Jesus, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like the standoff thing. I like what's um when Sasha when they're like I'm I'm your brother, I'm Castor, that's Archer, and I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that little line, and I've written here um like who is it. <laughs> We're just going back to our quotes here. Is it Travolta or Cage? When there's one point in this standoff when they're like, "Ha ha, woo!" Is that is that Travolta again? No, I I must have missed it. Oh, it's and it's like just this whole like again. I, I like Sasha does not believe any of this is happening in terms of like, oh, I'm Castor, I'm Sean, like like yeah, what, what what like it's not one of these you know those movies where say. There's a clone. I mean, we did the sixth day. That was our very first one we did. And like, it's like, I'm, I'm the real cast. No, I'm the real. Like, again, that's confusing. Like, again, if, yeah. you're in a, like, if I'm ever in a point where I'm, like, in a standoff, I'm just all of a sudden going to be like, no, I'm Colin Hilding. That's Ben Waterworth. Shoot him. <laughs> like, I mean, just like, in what world? Like, Jamie's completely correct. What planet are we on right now? <laughs> but um, I do the bit when uh, Travolta licks her face. <laughs> Oh, yeah. She enjoyed that. Like, look at her face. She's like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is where I want to see, like, how... This is one of those movies where I'm sure you're the same as me. Like, whenever you don't get a sequel, you're like, well, how think, would have things worked out afterwards? Like, what would have happened, mm-hmm. like, post everything that happened in this movie? You're going to have Joan Allen sexually unsatisfied again, back with boring old Travolta and his little dong. You're going to have, uh, you know, Jamie sexually unsatisfied again because, you know, Carl's gone with the sexy poems. Uh, and then, like, Daddy's not as flirty as he was a week ago. So, like, you know, it's not exactly in the best situation for the Archer family, you know. Post- and they've got, you know, Hitler's heir yeah. under their roof. <laughs> Can we just, like, this is a, one of these ones where, like, 20 years later they could easily do a sequel. Like, unlike Independence Day where they completely butchered the idea, can we not just have this again where, like, little uh, Adam's grown up into somebody resembling Nicolas Cage? There's another excuse to get Nicolas Cage back in the movie. And, like, yeah. he's just, you know, oh, I'm going to school, Dad. Oh, off you go, little Adam, you know, have a good day. And then secretly he's, like, you know, popping down the local ISIS joint uh, like getting ready to like blow up the uh, west coast of the usa again um, you know there's a perfect sequel that is the logical sequel to face off yeah <laughs> we have to take our face off again <laughs> again that's what the movie's called face off again again <laughs> um this is more off turn into christopher walken our faces are more, more off. More, more off. 
Oh, we need a movie. Christopher Walken, Nicolas Cage, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Done. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, no, it's two hours of them sitting on a, like a park bench talking. Like, there's no plot. Everyone would go and see that movie. Hey, Nicholas. I can't even do that. I'm not even trying impersonation to you, Nicholas. I don't know who that was. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Wait a second. You have a choice between Nicholas Cage, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Christopher Walken, and this is what comes up. Hey, Nicholas. <laughs> That's that's the fourth side character, Adam. <laughs> no one impersonates Adam. No one likes Adam. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, we're to the boat now, aren't we? Uh, the boat, the boat, let's get to the boat. Um, yeah, okay. So great boat chase here. We'll kind of speed through this because we're going pretty long. Uh, probably my favorite boat chase in movie history uh, ahead of oh. Indiana Jones in the last crusade. What, you have a better one? Bond? Uh, you know, there's an interesting question. Yeah, Bond or well, which Bond cuz there's lots of boat chases. World is not enough. I mean, World is not enough. Live and let die. Probably Oh, yeah, that's too tough. Um, yeah, uh, favorite non-Bond boat chase. <laughs> there you go. Remember your roots, Colin Hilding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where do we come from? Double R seven. Now available via iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Download now. <laughs> well, that sounded like a legit commercial. That was really good. Thank you. I've been practicing. <laughs> um, what else do we have here? Um, the boat chase. Oh, with with the boat chase. <laughs> um, okay, so the boat chase. There's then be okay. One of the things that does not sit well with high definition is where I think it's Cage being dragged by the boat. I don't know if you caught this too, but oh, the I guy who's Cage is... This. <laughs> yeah, like the guy who's Cage's stunt double legitimately looks like John Travolta, like big, you know, massive, you know, beautiful jet black hair flowing in the water. Little dog flopping in the water. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, the, the stunt. I mean, the stunt work is great, but it's very clearly not those two guys. Um, after that, I mean, there's the whole thing with the hook uh, being dragged by the chains. I said, uh, what was really funny to Jamie as we were watching this was John Travolta's stunt double who was being dragged through the water, and then the very next shot when he's back on the boat, his hair is like bone dry, which is funny. <laughs> um, the hook catches, the boat flops up in the air. Uh, there's a whole knife in the sand, which I never really connected the dots. As many times I've seen this, as many times I've seen Mission Impossible 2, I never really noticed it's the exact same final fight scene. Like you're, you, I don't even know if you remember Mission Impossible 2. Oh, but God, no, I blocked it out years ago. But uh. <laughs> Well, Mission Impossible 2, I mean, again, great climax. You have this giant motorcycle chase, and then it ends in two guys in the sand on a beach fighting over a knife. It's the exact same climax. I think Mission Impossible had a better fight scene than this. But, I mean, the drama here is what's so great. And, obviously, you know, it ends with the whole harpoon thing. Um, when he starts cutting his face off, John Travolta cutting his face off. It's basically only here. Like, all these people are like, well, why don't they just shoot each other in the face? They want to swap back. So, only now when he's like, well, I'm beaten. Let me just take your face from you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, of course, how does it end, Ben? What's the only way you can end a movie this epic, this massive, this intense Nothing like a kick to the balls to ruin the terrorist plan. <laughs> well, he's got a big dong. I mean, that's clearly a little yeah. dong. I mean, he's got... Oh, fuck. I forgot. I've, I'm confused now who's got the size of the dong now. I mean, it's the, we're at that point <laughs> of the movie. But, um, I mean, yeah, of course. It's it's the only way to go is to kick you in the dong. Yeah. Um, 
again, there's not as much to talk about. I mean, it's basically a lot of action here, but the action is extraordinary. I, I said all the way back when we started this on Dirty Dancing, at least probably leading into, you know, maybe Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, which was, what, 2011. So at least for 14 years, I would hold this as, like, the greatest action movie I'd ever seen, uh, just as far as just the action in the movie goes. And, I mean, it really does hold up. I just love the boat chase, the fight scene, everything. Um, obviously, when it ends here, you know, we, we find out there's doctors on standby, because apparently anybody could do this procedure, <laughs> did... Um, Caster, the real caster, keep the DVD footage, which, you know, they've been studying for the last, like, I don't know, 40 minutes, and they're like, oh, we know how to do that. That's simple. Um, and, of course, there's the last mention of the scar. You know, uh, the, the, it's like, I'm not going to be needing it anymore. Uh, I just would have loved, like, that's good, because it was destroyed by the fire along with everything else. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel is just two hours of you complaining that the scar doesn't look right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you could have done something with my dong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when he comes home, this was a scene you mentioned with uh, Jamie. It's not just the whole, my name is Jamie, with the weird hand over the face thing. What I wrote down that was worse was, Dad, sorry I shot you. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Travolta's impression of her earlier on, Dad, put the gun down. That basically is how she talks in this movie. <laughs> and, and even the one when she's like... Dad, like when she like runs to the door, it's like, did, did like did at some point in this movie did Dominic Swain just forget her acting skills? Like it's like she's been pretty okay this entire movie, and all of a sudden it's like, Dad. Well, you know when she takes off the makeup and puts on the pants, I mean all bets are off. Yeah, just leave the pants off, Dominic. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the nice touching scene. He brings home new literally. Mikey. Who's yeah? Whose name is now Adam? <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna say Who, touching the face. That's I'm not saying she's touching anything. Never mind. You know what I mean. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, okay, he's Tasmanian people. Um, <laughs> the beast, and of the course, the, the, the last note I wrote was he will be a terrorist because that's the <laughs> only thing I can think about at the end of this movie. Um, yeah, I mean that's it. That's face off. Great fight scene. I love the climax. The, the the last scene, it's traditional 90s action. You have to have kind of, you know, the nice scene on the end where everything's, you know, nicely tied up. But uh, it's kind of cool, I guess, that he gets a son back in the end, even though he's taking a terrorist son. Because nothing replaces the memory of your dead son than a new son. It's just like a cat, basically. You, you, you mourn the death of your cat and you just replace it. And, you know... This kid's going to grow up to look a lot like Nicolas Cage. Like, what's going to happen every day when he looks at Adam and he sees the face of the man who took his first son from him? I mean, like, let's be honest. If Casper died right now and then all of a sudden you brought home another kid, is oh, Casper was fine, but this kid's better. Um, like, I mean, no, I mean, like, this is a human being, people. This is an animal. It's a human being. Quote an iconic uh, comedy duo in Australia later on Woodley. He's a human being. Show some respect. Um, the boat sequence. I don't get that. No, you wouldn't. It's it's funny though. Uh, <laughs> at least I say the so. Boat. My, um, yeah, the, uh, nothing really to add to the boat sequence. But like you mentioned about the the stunt double in the water. Can I just point out that did they even bother to try and hide these stunt doubles' faces? Because there's at least no. five scenes. Where, like, and it, it, to me, I don't know, like, maybe it is an HD thing, maybe, like, you know, in blurry 1990s movie land that, like, you didn't notice this, but, like, this really distracted me from the scene, particularly the bit where they're thrown yeah. off the boat and they're falling onto the sand. They do not even attempt to cover their faces, and I'm like, 
Yeah, that's not John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. That's Jim and Sam. That one Sam. looks like Joan Allen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's Tino. <laughs> uh, I mean, I should just say a little bit in defense of that. You know, we're so accustomed now to actors being able to do a lot of their own action, which, you know, obviously, I mean, Tom Cruise was one of the first major ones to do that. You can go back even earlier than that. And we've talked a lot about speed in this episode. I think that was the first time when, you know, a director basically demanded, I want the actor to do his own stunt. So Keanu Reeves had to do the bus or the jump onto the bus. Not he actually had to drive the bus off the, the, the <laughs> You must ramp, learn how to but... drive a bus. Oh, no, I don't want to do that, John. <laughs> That was Sandra Bullock's job. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, Speed was pretty much the only one that did it. I mean, prior to Tom Cruise with Mission Impossible, and then, you know, nowadays everybody does it. Daniel Craig, obviously, with Bond and everybody else. Keanu Reeves with John Wick. Actors wouldn't do their stunts. I mean, they wouldn't clear them. They would not pay for the extra insurance so that they could have the actors. I mean, it wasn't even allowed to do stunts like this. So That's not we can true, forgive Colin. it. Patrick Swayze did all these action scenes in Dirty Dancing. <laughs> like tickling armpits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, all right. So my, my that was all I had to say on that. Oh, sorry, I thought you had more. Um, the bees, the bees. Um, but like, I I like the bit when he, at the end, when they're having the, the, the sequence and finally when he gets like harpooned. I love it when Nicholas Cage is like, Die! like just, you know, the way he just gets him. Um <laughs> That was my terrible Nicholas Cage impersonation. That didn't even good in this episode. Um, but like the bit at the end when all the FBI come in and it's like, uh, you know, good job, Archer. And it's like, he called you Archer, yeah. sir. And it's like, how do they know? Like, at what? Where? Hey, why would they believe it? Exactly. Again, like, I don't want to go to 1997 Los Angeles and have to deal with the FBI. They're kind of dumb. Like, because, I mean, like, who, like, again, everybody who knows about this is dead. Like, they should be storming that beach. On your feet, on your, on your hands and knees. It's like, no, no, I'm actually, should I, you're not, bang. Like, I mean, it's kind of, it, this is, this is Night of the Living Dead. This is, uh, you know, what's yeah. his name, getting shot at the end. Like, come on. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Like the, the the fact of the matter is too like when he gets the surgery at the end miraculously anybody can do this as you mentioned it's not just good old you know Colin Farrar it's everybody else um, mm-hmm. this is legitimately where you might say John Travolta could get Man of the Year because he's the first recipient of a facial transplant in the world yeah like, like <laughs> you know you know Arnie was getting it in 1995 or four for Junior yeah it, well exactly the man pushed the baby out of his no he didn't really but he what you know what I'm talking about but like yeah you know like you don't get one for stopping a bomb again going back to what I said Jack Bowers Man of the Year every year in the 2000s essentially. <laughs> Um, but you know, not even just John Travolta for receiving it, the, whoever this other doctor is, who's Conferor 2, should be like, mm-hmm. this is a world first procedure. Um, and I love the fact that like, he's getting this major surgery. His wife is a doctor, yet they're just chilling at home. <laughs> <They're> like, yeah. <laughs> ah, you know, poor old Sean. Shouldn't they be there in case he dies in the middle of the procedure? <laughs> exactly. Like, there's no guarantee. And, like, again, they're doing this procedure at L.A. County when before it was at, like, some fancy upmarket medical facility with no security for high-risk prisoners. So, like, again, no scarring. He's perfectly back to normal. Like, um... And how, how long does it take for flesh to start dying when there's no blood flow? Because exactly. I'm guessing it's at least an hour before they can start, you know, doing this face swap. I mean, 
that's that's rotting flesh at this point. Well, like in, in like kind of tying in uh, Nip Tuck now available via the Oz Network. There was there was an episode which actually was our good friend Joey Slotnick, um, where kind of he had gone off the rails and he wanted to take Christian Troy's face off face off uh so like it's this you know he's high on drugs and he's trying to cut his face and you know christian being a doctor is like explaining like you need to take yours off at the same time in order to so the flesh doesn't start to die because it will quite quickly and yet in this movie you know um travolta's face is just sitting in a tank for a while while good old (laughs) nicholas anyway this movie is very uh scientifically accurate as we know but um yeah like i love at the end i love at the end when he just brings home adam and it just he just basically looks at Joan Allen. She's just like, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. again, it's not a fucking puppy. Like, this is a child. Like, you got to get him to school. You have to get him his clothes. He might not like certain breakfast cereals. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like, for fuck's sake. Like, this kid, you need to learn about this little kid. And, like, and, and how does he explain this? Oh, so, uh, honey, you know, glad you're back. Glad your face is on. You know, great. Um, your dong's still small, but, hey, we can talk about that. But, like, so... we really knocked kid- up by Caster right now. <laughs> like, they have another kid coming. <laughs> and, like, oh, so we're, we're, we're about Sissy's child. <laughs> and, like, and what happens if, like, Joan Allen got pregnant from, the like, the, the kinky sex she had with Nicolas Cage's John Travolta before... Uh, so, like, who, like, I'm confused. <laughs> and, like, can we just also point out that, like, John Travolta died, like, his body... No, actually, no, hang on. No, ignore that. I was thinking of something out loud. That doesn't make sense. I'm from Tasmania. Um, but, yeah, I have nothing else to add. I've lost the point. I was going somewhere with that, and I just I just died a slow death, like this podcast will in a minute. But, yeah. um, at the ending, yeah, it's it's cheesy, and Dominic Swain can't act in the closing. She forgot how to act in the last scene. And the face touching. The face touching. Like, what is... It is weird. <laughs> the face touching. The face touching. <laughs> <laughs> Not the face. Not the face. <laughs> Put um... the bunny in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's wrap this up. We've gone really long on this one, and we well know done. half of it was dong talk, but we apologize. Uh, Face Off came out in, what was it, June? So we're a couple months past the 20th anniversary, but came out in June 1997. Uh, opened number one at the box office. I remember, you know, opening weekend, and it was kind of a surprise just for an R-rated movie. I mean, now we're living in a day and age when Deadpool can open, like, well north of $100 million with an R rating. Uh, you know, it opening at, like, 130 with an R rating. 1997, that was still a big deal for an R-rated movie to open as well as it did and to go on to make over $100 million. I mean, domestically, $112 million, 11th place overall at the box office, just behind Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, also, worldwide box office, uh, a little bit lower, 14th the year, but still $245 million worldwide. Uh, just a step above Batman and Robin in 1997, which I know everybody's going to laugh at that, but Batman and Robin made a fortune still. It's just people didn't like it when they walked out. Uh, so the movie was a huge hit for R-rated movies. I believe that would make it the number one R-rated movie of the year, if I got uh, that right. What was the other two? Uh, Air Force One and Goodwill Hunting. Oh, okay, right. Uh, well, I'm looking at worldwide right here. Face oh, I'm beat, looking at uh, domestic R-rated for 97. Yeah. But, yeah. And, well, that's the other funny thing, because Air Force One, I mean, I remember that, there being talk about that R-rating, and in Canada, I think it was even like, P, it wasn't even like PA, like Face Off was, it was like PG. Yeah, I, I don't think understand. it was M here, not MA, so yeah, I think it was a yeah. little bit less than Face Off. 
but obviously the movie's a huge hit. Uh, critically, I mean, you're going to find some critics who trash it regardless, which there was. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, even to this day, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, for an action movie to come out now and get 92% would be extraordinary. So this movie obviously has held up well uh, with audiences and with critics. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four. We always got to mention Robert, Roger Ebert here. Um, Wu and his writers find a terrific counterpoint to the action scenes. All through the movie, you find yourself reinterpreting every scene as you realize the other character is really playing it. In other words, Roger Ebert had a hard time keeping track of him. Um, we got Peter Travers here. You may not buy the premise or the wind-up, but with Travolta and Cage taking comic and psychic measures of their characters and their own careers, there's no resisting face-off. This you gotta see. See, he has got some smarts about him every now and then, Peter Travers. Yeah, let's also say he put Die Another Day what, in his top five best Bond ten. movies. But top ten, okay. But he loved Face Off, so we'll give you a pass this week, Peter Travers. Um, as far as nominations, movie like this isn't going to get Oscar nominations, but it did for best sound effects editing, um, which it lost to Titanic as everything else did that year. <laughs> um, MTV Movie Awards for best action scene for the speedboat chase uh, and best duo for Travolta and Cage. Uh, so what was it up the against? Movie. Who were the other duos that year? Oh, we got to look that up. Um, you keep talking. I'll find that if you want. Yeah, yeah, you do that. Okay, I was pretty much done talking, but let me just no. stall a little bit more here. <laughs> well, I, I can keep talking in the meantime because I've got something to say quickly. If you want to find that, then okay, go for it. Um, just on the reviews, you didn't mention Barbara Schulgasses of the San Francisco Examiner calling the movie idiotic and argued that a good director would choose the best of the six ways and put it in his movie. Wu puts all six in. If you keep your eyes closed during a Wu movie and open them every six minutes, you'll see everything you need to know and have a perfectly lovely ending at the, the cinema, evening at the cinema. Shut up, Barbara Shulgas. Who are you? What does that even mean? Like, what, who are you? What is the San Francisco Examiner? Like, you know, I know the Examiner in Tasmanians and the Launceston newspaper. It's a piece of shit. So, uh, <laughs> um, I just want to say, I mean, this came out like a huge year for movies. 1997, we've already talked about Titanic's you know, 20th anniversary. You know, On top of that, this was the year of Men in Black. I mean, before Titanic came out, it seemed like nothing could be bigger than Men in Black. Uh, the Lost World came out that year. Air Force One, as you mentioned. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies. My Best Friend's Wedding. Scream 2. Con Air. Contact. Um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Good Will Hunting, Sh- obviously. Shit, liar, you- liar. Oh, crap. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Ben's like, I thought that we we're never going to speak of that again. Um, it involves Ben Affleck in a notebook. Shut up. <laughs> the notebook too. <laughs> but you have a lot of competition. And I mean, for the most part, a lot of people would kind of be like, well, is Face Off that much of a classic? In 1997, we mentioned the MTV Movie Awards. That's a young target audience. And John Travolta and Nicolas Cage were not geared towards young people, Near is it, nor is an R-rated John Woo movie. And this one best on-screen duo beating Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in Good Will Hunting, who were, like, as big as it got for, you know, young actors at that time. Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler in The Wedding Singer. Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith for Men in Black. And Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet for Titanic. And Nicolas Cage and John Travolta won for best on-screen duo. And can you just point out here, too, Colin Hilding, that Nicolas Cage, a back-to-back award winner in this category, because the previous year... He won it with Sean Connery for The Rock. 
So there you go. Yeah, who and, are they up against that year? Uh, well, he beat Leonardo DiCaprio two years in a row because uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes for Romeo and Juliet, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams for The Birdcage, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stamara for uh, Fargo, and Fargo. Beavis and Butthead for Beavis and Butthead <laughs> Do America. <laughs> And that was an MTV movie, and they still gave the award to Nicolas Cage. Yeah. That's how great the man is. And that year was also great, because Jim Carrey won Best Villain and Best Comedic Performance for The Cable Guy. Yeah, underrated movie, which we'll talk Hugely about. Hugely underrated I don't know, movie. Four years for its 25th anniversary or when something. When we get to our not only our Jim Carrey month, our Jim Carrey year, which we... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of face off unless we have anything else to talk about you want to get to the ratings here which i have a feeling we know where it's going buy it buy it obviously (laughs) (laughs) sorry did you want me to elaborate (laughs) we've we've just spent like i don't know how many hours talking about this movie uh with no arguing between us all the great stuff we agree with all the bad stuff we agree with and even the bad stuff we love i mean face off is it's it's still one of the greatest action movies ever made, and that's what like we were saying at the beginning. How you know we're gonna like, and we have we've picked up some major flaws in terms of the plot line, but we don't give a shit because you know like we've done four movies this month. We've had you know one that Colin loves, and I thought yeah that was pretty okay. Uh, one that we both hated, one that I loved and Colin hated, and now we've finally got one that we both universally love. And um, you know this this movie is just amazing and. Nicolas Cage, John Travolta, they need to do another movie again. Uh, oh, yeah. I think I read that they nearly did do another movie again, but I, I can't remember what it was, and I think Cage pulled out of it. But, um, you know, like you were going, alluding to the whole going to video, you know, market that they may be involved in now, even if it is a going to video movie. I don't give a shit if it's just John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, you know, yeah. go to the supermarket. I'm watching that movie, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one other thing to mention, and this isn't a knock against them, um, this was pretty much the peak of their careers as far as popularity goes. Like, for people who don't remember 1997, it's no joke. John Travolta was as big as it got. It, it's the equivalent of somebody like The Rock now. I mean, if John Travolta's in a movie, it was guaranteed that it was going to make a fortune and everybody would want to see it. And Nicolas Cage had kind of just gotten to that point here as well. They both had, like, a lot of success after that. I mean, I, I can, you know go on and do a John Travolta podcast every single week for the rest of the year. You know, The General's Daughter, Basic, uh, Ladder 49, uh, Civil Action. Uh, yeah, he had a ton of great movies. And, you know, Nicolas Cage had some good ones as well. <laughs> Are you going to go see Gotti? Gotti's coming out soon, isn't it? I will go see that. I'm excited for that one, yeah. Uh, and, of course, we, we should mention, you know, John Travolta, at least, a bit of a comeback with that uh, O.J. Simpson uh, oh, trial show he was, was on. Shapiro was, uh, yeah, that was, oh, mm-hmm. that was such an amazing show. And um, I, I, the interesting thing about the reviews that he got for that, like some people really ripped into his performance and said he was terrible. But I mean, I think that was one of these shows that everyone was amazing. I mean, for God's sakes, David yeah. Swimmer made me completely forget that he played fucking Ross. And that's probably the first time <laughs> I can say that about David Swimmer outside of Friends. So uh, that was an amazing uh, miniseries and one that if people haven't seen it, they need to see it. Ryan Murphy, again, just the genius of geniuses. Yeah, so, I mean, both of them, yeah, straight to video, but, I mean, they had a lot of success after this movie, but I would say this is kind of the peak for both of them. Would you agree? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, Travolta had the uh, iconic Battlefield Earth, what, about, like, two years later? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, oh, for sure, I mean, it's... I think Cage, maybe, you would say, had a bit more mainstream success for a little bit longer than Travolta, because I think 
Battlefield Earth. And Travolta had had a few years leading into this, I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, Battlefield Earth really derailed him again, whereas... Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I wasn't sure who was talking there. (laughs) I thought you had more of a defense for that part, but please continue. No, no, I do. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, let's, let's look at Battlefield Earth, but Swordfish came out the same year, and Swordfish... Would it come out like a month later or something like? Or I guess it was a year later. Swordfish was a great movie, made a lot of money. True. Uh, true. Domestic Disturbance, you know, did a fair amount of it. It was both on level with what John Travolta movies are. Uh, Punisher, Ladder Forty Nine was huge. You know, Be Cool did good business. Wild Hogs, massive after that. So I'm basically Hairspray. running through almost every movie he made. Which one? Hairspray. Uh, he got uh, Hairspray. Got, yeah, was nominated. Yeah. So John, uh, I would actually argue that John Travolta post Battlefield Earth. I mean, he had some of his biggest hits there. Good, good call. Fair enough. I'll, I'll take back what I said. But I mean, Cage. I guess like he what had as you kind of touched on a few there, like National Treasure, the National Treasure Family Man, whatever it was called. Knowing, mm-hmm. um, did he do that? Uh, City of Angels was that pre or post yeah, Face Off? That was that was the year after this. Yeah. So um, that was where he was the sex symbol. That's the one I knew. I was trying to remember <laughs> where was the Nicholas Cage was considered a sex symbol. City did, of Angels. So what would have destroyed Nicholas Cage? Was it the Wicker Man? Like in all seriousness, like the bees, the bees. Was it, well, was it literally the Wicker Man? <laughs> it's funny because you know, again, Nicholas Cage is made fun of a lot. But I mean, look at his filmography coming off of this i mean let's even skip a few years after face off if people want to do that because like he had eight millimeter and that was kind of trash gone in 60 seconds i mean oh, huge movie yeah uh, huge movie. you know wind talkers oh boy that was a big hit uh, i actually do like wind talkers and uh, of course that's him reuniting with john woo but uh, obviously it wasn't that big of a hit but nobody's like saying oh wind talkers are what ended his career but like yeah world trade center did decent amount of business ghost rider i mean people trash it all you want but Film ghost rider one made a fortune was um, it really? Uh, both of them filmed in Melbourne. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he was he was in Kickass too, wasn't he? That did a fair bit of um, business. Yeah, I mean, of- it was probably the if if you look at it here, I guess the the year he had with three big bombs: Sorcerer's Apprentice, Season of the Witch, and Drive Angry. And yet, the funny thing is, people don't really hate those movies. It's just sort of like, well, obviously, you know, his star had fallen. And then from that point on, it became... <laughs> the thing that I've got to appreciate, too, about Nicolas Cage is, like, kind of going back to our point that he kind of does it for the movies now. Just look at the stuff he pumps out now. Like, look, 2016, yeah. he's in The Trust, Snowden, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, Dog Eat Dog, Army of One. Then 2017 alone, he's in, like... One, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, like <laughs> six, seven movies. Then he's got two already, two, and he's got one, two, three, four here that are to be uh, announced. And then he's already got the Croods 2 for like he's like his filmography just does not stop. This guy just keeps going and going. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, say what you will about this man, he loves working. And, uh, you know, whereas Travolta, I mean, looking here, he's done one movie in 2017, Gotti. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> like, you know, Cage is just going to town. So, like, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting kind of where they're at now. But, um, I, look, in this day and age of reboots and sequels, it really would not surprise me if Face Off would eventually get some kind of extra, like a prequel could maybe work, but... Um, <laughs> You know, the I, Tito, the Tito Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think we really. This is, I will say, one of those ones that we don't really need to see a sequel. But um, yeah, exactly. Again, who knows what the fuck happens anymore? 
Um, so we wrap it up, both buying it. Uh, I knew we'd get here eventually. <laughs> it's taken us four. And that's sadly the end of anniversary month. Uh, 220th anniversaries, 130th, 125th. Um, we'll definitely do this again next year. Maybe we'll even do it more than once. Who knows? I mean, there's tons of movies that have anniversaries. But, Ben, you have to tell everybody what is coming up next month. I mean, we're technically already in a new month, but what is coming up for the next month? Well, we are excited to be moving into DC month. Um, I mean, yes. it's I'm excited because, look, Team Marvel, Team DC, I'm Team DC. Um, and, look, I know the, the, the difference with DC movies is that... Um, they have a lot of criticisms against them, and obviously, the, you know, they're doing their whole cinematic universe. But in the lead up to Justice League, uh, there's only four that we can do. Really, we're obviously only focusing on the ones that are in the extended universe. You know, we would love to be able to go through all the Batman's, all the Superman's, and um, all those sort of ones. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be doing them in order of release. So we're going to be kicking off with Man of Steel next week, which. Um, I'm excited for him. I mean, you and I are huge Superman fans. Obviously, we've done some Smallville mm-hmm. in the past, and, uh, you know, he's my favourite superhero. I think he's your favourite superhero, yeah. too. Uh, so, like, oh, yeah. absolutely loves um, anything to do with Superman. And, like, Man of Steel is, I will admit, I've probably only seen it, I think, once, maybe once and a half. I can't remember. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to covering it again because then, you know, I, it's, it's an interesting one. And then, like, Batman, Superman, I'm, like, I love Batman, Superman. I know people hate mm-hmm. it, but I love it. I only recently saw Suicide Squad for the first time, and I actually quite enjoyed it. Uh, already we're losing listeners. They're tuning in. Oh, fuck. They like <laughs> Batman, Superman, Suicide Squad. Bye. Um, and I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, so uh, I'm obviously looking forward to seeing that because I'm, I'm so excited for Justice League. It's probably the movie I've been looking forward to most this year behind uh, Star Wars. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I'm looking forward to the next month because uh, I think we're, we're going to have some interesting things to say and hopefully maybe get some people back on the Team DC bandwagon and get them really excited for Justice League. I think I'm going to be spending a lot of time explaining people, and I've said this many times before, I'm a fan of Marvel movies. Um, I'm Right now, I would say a little bit bigger a fan of the DCs because it's fresh. We're dealing with some more interesting characters than what Marvel's got out there. Um, Marvel's doing nothing wrong, but I think there's too many people out there who give Marvel credit for everything they do and yet don't actually pay attention to realize that they're criticizing DC for the same things that Marvel did. I mean, uh, I, I can see flaws in what DC films have. I see a lot of flaws in what Marvel films have. And I think it's unfortunate that we're at that point where people are like, oh, well, Man of Steel was okay, Batman and Superman was okay, you know, Suicide Squad was okay, Wonder Woman was great, but for the most part, their movies are just average. Well, where were we at this point in Marvel's filmography? First Iron Man movie, everybody loved. Second movie, they made Incredible Hulk, nobody really cared about. Then they made Thor, nobody really cared about it. They made Iron Man 2, nobody liked it. Uh, Captain America, First Avenger, people thought it was okay. So at this same point, even one movie ahead, Marvel had had one out of the, knocked it out of the park hit. And then they had Incredible Hulk, okay, Thor, okay, Captain America, okay, Iron Man 2, nobody liked it. So for the most part, DC's doing what Marvel's doing. It's just people are being more critical, and Marvel's had a lot more time to really get to know their audience. So I like what DC's done. I like that it's a little bit more serious. And yeah, I I hear a lot of people criticize you know, even Batman and Superman, when we get there for, you know, some of the cheesy things that happen in that. And it's like, it's a comic movie. It, it's almost unfortunate these movies have, you know, presented themselves in such a serious way that people are being more critical than they should. And maybe that's the problem. But Man of Steel, maybe, I'm not counting like Superman 3 and 4 in this. So if you include like Superman 1 and 2, Superman Returns and Man of Steel, 
Um, Man of Steel might be the one that I have the most issues with, and yet I still saw it three times when it was in theaters. So, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna love talking about Man of Steel and all the other DC movies as well. I think it's also the case that uh, a lot of the Marvel ones really didn't have movies to base off. Like they were the first time they were ever on screen, weren't they? Whereas, like obviously, people are very familiar with Batman and Superman through the many you know films that yeah. we've had over the years. So, therefore, there's a lot more to I guess compare them to. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody has you know their eyes on you know because uh, Superman two I guess was different to to Batman in that we had what three actors four actors playing Batman in the lead up to you know when Affleck played him on screen whereas uh-huh. Superman you'd only had two I guess uh play him on on film in terms of you know Christopher Reeve and Brandon Routh or Ruth whatever you say his yeah. name is so it's kind of it's yeah well I think we'll have a lot to talk about and I think people yeah need to establish it I'm more of a DC fanboy. It's similar to Colin. I don't dislike Marvel. I haven't just not seen as many as I probably should have. And from what I have seen, I have enjoyed the Marvel films. But I've always been Superman as my number one, Batman as number two, mm-hmm. Spider-Man as number three. So that's why I've always focused on seeing those movies and kind of, uh, you know, I'll catch up with the other ones eventually. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to doing these films with you. And um, yeah, bring on DC month. Yeah. And, of course, we're going to have fun stuff after that, which we've probably teased in the past, but we'll, we'll leave it as a uh, surprise when we get there. Uh, let's just say... Oh, that, yes. And then also Christmas is coming. Those are oh, the only two uh, things we'll say. Dun, 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 <laughs> the bees! The bees! Not the bees! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Put the bunny in the box. Um... Yeah, that, so we wrapped it up on Facebook. We wrapped off the uh, whole month here, anniversary month. Uh, so that's all we have to say, I guess. Um, my name is Colin, and just a little page out of Ben's diary that I have here. Um, we haven't made love in two months. What a loser. <laughs> two? I think you need to add a few months to that one. Two um, years, sorry. <laughs> it's more like it. Fine. <laughs> Oh, God, I need a Tinder date. Uh, my name is Ben, and, um, fucking the bees, the bees, the bees! <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net. <laughs>